Yeah, I brought him. Should be coming up anyway. Uh. And then bringing up Ian as well. I don't know. We're sitting in the uh, connection purgatory here. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. Uh, Excellent. Perfect. Yeah. Your voice is back, huh? Uh, more or less, yeah. It is. Perfect. Cool. We've got all source. It would be great to get all, all source. Uh, I'll get Raw's alerts and invite just to get him to give us an update first. I think we'll kick it off with just an update on the latest, everything we know so far. And then we'll start the discussion on uh, China-US relations. All right. Why did it not shoot it down sooner? Because it was uh, considered to be a risk to the welfare of the U.S. citizen, even though it was over Montana, one of the leastly populated pines of the U.S., but still. Yep. Yeah, completely either. empty, just plains, no forests, just, you well, know. Well, so, so, so they plains. also said that they blocked it from gathering data. Yeah, that's, 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 that's total officials. bull. And um, the, Greg Gianforte, the governor of Montana, was like, when it was over by Billings, he's like, Eastern Montana is one of the least populated areas of the country. That 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 was a total uh, canard to say that uh, it was about populations maybe getting hurt. Well, go I want I want to kick it off. So I, th- I know we all have opinions. I want to kick it off with two. First step. What I would like to do is, Nick. I, I know you've been keeping up with the story. Also, have you been tweeting about the story as well, man? So I've not been tweeting about it. I have tracked it um, simply because of you know my focus is mostly on cartels, but I have been tracking it extensively on open source. Oh, okay, and, and Rosalos so, will be joining us in a bit. And so has Austin, yeah, go ahead, man. by the way. Austin has been tracking this extensively with me. Ah, oh, perfect. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so, Nick, I'll let you kick off the overview. Austin um, and anyone else can fill any holes just of the facts that we know so far. Then I would like to kick it off with Rory because I know Rory, you don't have a lot of time, and that's your first time on stage. Um, on you know, there's a few unanswered questions like you know, why didn't they shoot it down earlier? And the list goes on. Um, so we'll go to Rory on uh, on that, and then we'll continue the discussion um, and slowly pivot to. And that's why I invited Mr. Gorkas just to pivot to U.S.-China relations. But Nick, do you want to kick it off with just an overview? And of course, Jim, Austin, anyone else could fill the gaps. Nick, I'll let you kick it off. Sure, uh, I'll, I'll be pretty brief about this. But uh, obviously, several days ago, we did get. Uh, a notification from actually, I believe it first leaked on Twitter. Uh, people had spotted a balloon over Montana at the time. Apparently, the U.S. Department of Defense was already uh, they were already tracking the uh, the balloon. Uh, NORAD was tracking the balloon, uh, and as soon as it came out on Twitter, the DoD actually decided to acknowledge it. And China came out and said, "Oh, it was just a weather balloon that went off course." Now, several days later, it, it traversed. Uh, over 20 states at this point, and finally it was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, but I, I do want to go to T.J. Roberts real quick because he's been researching this a lot, uh, and, and I want him to give us a timeline here. Okay, so this is just the timeline that like the mainstream media has put out, and a lot of these locations are more estimates than they are anything because the Pentagon has not exactly been transparent about it. However, what we can see is like the first major sightings were in Billings, Montana on February 1st. It traveled through to Rapid City on the same day, then to Omaha, Nebraska on February 2nd, 
Then it went through Missouri, um, even making it close to St. Louis on February 3rd. Uh, late last night, it was in Johnson, Tennessee. And today it wound up in the Carolinas and was just recently shot down in the Atlantic. Um, throughout this time, China later did confirm that it was theirs. United States um, ostensibly decided not to shoot it down over concerns that there would be infrastructure or personnel concerns of safety of shooting something that of that size down from 60,000 feet in the air. Um, but further, one thing that's important to note about the locations of where this is, is that this balloon traveled over several Minuteman missile sites. Um, Minuteman sites are the areas where the United States has nuclear weapons ready to go on rapid deployment. So that's just a general overview of it. No one necessarily knows what data they have right now, so that would be entirely projection, but it's worth noting that the direction that it went was over several of our nuclear weapons uh, suppositories. Yeah, and I, I'd just and like why to, is, uh, if I can just add to that very quickly, um, the Chinese tone has since changed from simply acknowledgement and almost even an apology to now one of, um, well, this is force majeure, which basically means that it's out of their control. Uh, and now they're trying to uh, play diplomatic badminton by essentially saying, hey, guys, you know, we don't want to be accused of X, Y and Z. And so their, their tone has shifted from even within the past 24 hours from one of more sort of reconciliatory or rapprochement to more of a sort of, a uh, defensive and like, hey, guy, you know, hey, America, don't get too uh, sort of accusational. You guys don't have much to sort of get away with in sort of sense of hypocrisy. So uh, the Chinese narrative side of this is quite interesting. So, so Piotr, can, okay, I, can, I, gonna ask real quick, can, I, can I ask real quick, Piotr, just for our audience, can you define force majeure? Because that has been something yeah, that the sure. Chinese so, have so force times. majeure is force majeure is essentially a fancy way of saying that it's out of our control. Essentially, the Chinese uh, PLA, the Communist Party, have emphasised that this is a uh, a meteorological balloon that was utilised for you know uh, well intended, if you want to say, research purposes, but. Clearly, um, and, and that due to excess winds and other things, which surely they would know about if this was a meteorological balloon, which is why their argument is so weak, uh, is, uh, you know, it's now out of their hands and, and force majeure. It's a bit like COVID, right? You know, force majeure. We, none it's of a bit amazing that they yeah. are claiming that given that they've flown this uh, very same design of balloon over Japan's military uh, sites like last year. And also, so and also Latin before. America. Don't forget, there's one that's gone over to Costa yeah, Rica South Korea as well. well yeah. so, surveilling, and they have. Uh, what's interesting, yeah. though, Ian, is that they haven't acknowledged yeah. the one that's over Latin America. They've only acknowledged the one on over the United States and the one that was the third uh, parent balloon, which is somewhere over the uh, Pacific, I believe. So there's a lot of inconsistency with the narrative coming out of the Chinese foreign ministry. So I, I want to. So what I want to do is I want to go to Austin briefly just to fill any gaps, anything we missed in terms of facts. And then I want to kick it off with Rory um, just to get an overview of what this means to U.S.-China relations and her thoughts on China's tone I'd also in like response to, to all this. For us to talk about, I mean, this is something that we can get into later, but I'd love to talk about what people think the uh, scanners or, you know, the uh, surveillance devices they have on board those balloons 
uh, what they have on there, right? Because, I mean, it's easy to use Google Maps to surveil Minuteman sites. They're all shown on Google Maps, but uh, what those Google Maps won't show is, you know, how many missiles there actually are in these silos. Perhaps the, uh, uh, the, the, balloons actually, the balloon actually has the capability to detect uh, nuclear weapons, uh, in, you know, to, to pinpoint accuracy. Oh, I've added so, this to yeah. the agenda. Um, I want, yeah, so Austin, anything before yeah, I go to, point um, to, to Rory? Yeah, Austin, go ahead. So sure, yeah. So number one, um, TJ was correct in that the DOD wasn't publishing, you know, like updated uh, specific location information on this balloon. That being said, um, via open sources, it was fairly easy to give an estimate of its travel path based upon looking at um, flight patterns of American refueling aircraft. So KC-46s, KC-135s, things like that. It's very clear that the Air Force is kind of tracking this thing. Um, through and through. Uh, specifically, one additional point I'd like to make on the the Minuteman sites. You know, uh, the the locations of uh, American nuclear silos have been readily, you know, well known by um, countries such as China and specifically countries like Russia, due to the Open Skies Treaty that existed from 1992 to 2020, I believe. Um, which basically allowed them to conduct uh, surveillance over flights of the United States without being incurred uh, or sort of intercepted by the U.S. Air Force and likewise allowed the U.S. Air Force to do the same thing to the Russians. So, you know, these these silos, when we talk about them, most of these were dug in the 60s and the 70s, some additional ones in the 80s, but they it, it's not like there are massive sort of um, or it, really any efforts going on right now to dig new silos. And on top of that, so specifically with the sort of the question posited by Ian about, you know, could these silos have more than one missile? Yeah, silos have a single missile. Um, there is a technological innovation that came about in nuclear technology that allowed one missile to strike multiple targets called MIRVs, which is essentially, you know, you put multiple warheads on the same missile. So when the missile goes to re-enter the atmosphere, it becomes capable of striking anywhere from one to nine targets with warheads. So I don't think it's a, it's a particular concern that, you know, the Chinese are looking at these silos in particular. These are, these are well-known. So um, I want so, to go to so, so Nick. What I want to do is I want to go to Rory if you don't mind. Um, Rory, how are you? Hi everyone, I'm doing well. Thanks for having well, me. Uh, on. Well, uh, uh, let me let me jump in here just real quick because I, it is worth noting that a lot of the concern does have to do with uh, not the location of the Minutemen silos, but um, uh, but what? Uh, hold, hold on, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I mean the big. Can mute your mic, Nick. Um, but the big concern is just like, what are what information, what data are they getting about the Minuteman sites? I mean, I'm able to find the Minuteman sites with a simple Google search, so that's not really the concern. Uh, like, I mean, and as also as largely discussing is like that is public information, but what the stuff that is terrifying is the possibility of them finding out stuff that's not known to the public that's not known to them that that's more or less what i was getting at by mentioning the fact that it flew over the minuteman the broader point it's it's about the, the administration's reaction it's not about what they're actually picking up but it's also the do we really think that so just uh, this guy guys just very quickly um rory i want to go to you and then we'll go to other speakers including mr gorka um so that's your first time on stage pleasure to have you um You've moderated panels on, uh, on, on tension recently on the tensions in the Taiwan Straits, and you've been tweeting a lot about the situation. You are a managing director at Asia Policy, the think tank. I would love to get your thoughts on the matter. How important, even if you don't think it's that important, tell me, Mario, I don't think this is that major. 
Um, and if otherwise, tell me why you think this is so important and what it means to U.S.-China relations. I think it's very important, um, but I would say that it's less important as the incident in and of itself, and it's much more important to look at it as a surfacing of a ton of irritants um, about, you know, China, China's behavior, and the state of U.S.-China relations. So the incident in and of itself, you know, I think this, this group could probably debate all hour and maybe not even come to clarity on whether or not there was a clear and persistent threat to the United States from this balloon flying over our territory. Um, sensitive sites are no, but I think what it does surface is that there are a lot of concerns about Chinese surveillance, surveillance of America and about how close that surveillance is coming into people's lives, you know, whether that is, you know, surveillance concerns noted by um, the U.S. government about TikTok, whether it's about, you know, 5G um, or I'm sorry, and all of these other kind of tech concerns, you know, this certainly was a huge visible symbol of China's surveillance capabilities. Um, so it almost to me doesn't, you know, it it doesn't matter as much in and of itself if the Chinese were able to gather sensitive data. And for what it's worth, the DOD says, no, they were not. Um, they weren't so, able to get but would anything. The, but, but would the DOD admit if they were able to get something? Uh, I doubt that they would. But at the same time, it's good to have these consistent statements coming out. Um, and I think in time, like if there, if the DOD was inconsistent in the statements or there was an area to probe, there's certainly enough open source and, um, people in intelligence outside of the DOD who could kind of make those concerns known. So I guess what I would say is we can't know at this point if what the DOD is saying is, is accurate, but I take them at their word for now. What I'm much more worried about is that incidents like this, which are going to increasingly happen. I mean, I think the frequency of these types of incidents, um, the, you know, the concerns that the U.S. and U.S. government has about Chinese surveillance are going to grow as China becomes more and more of a peer competitor with the United States. And so we do, I think we do need to have a framework in place with China, you know, whether you call that strategic guardrails, whether you call that direct dialogue and consultation, but we need to have a framework in place to manage these incidents responsibly um, so that, you know, everybody who needs to make a decision about what is happening is well informed, has accurate and time timely information um so but Rory, also got a, so that, yeah go ahead no I, I just on this point sorry but this is a question that's been on my mind since i began following this on wednesday how much do you deliberately think that the chinese have chosen a balloon based on the historical association that the united states people have with weather balloons think uh battle of los angeles 1947 right the fanfare that happened around that and that most people believe it was weather balloons and this whole just idea of project blue book the pentagon and all this sort of thing do you think that the chinese deliberately picked a balloon because it's one gets us all freaking out, um, talking about it, and that's what the Chinese want to see, how we react. But second, because also it's not um, intense enough or extreme enough that it warrants a full-scale, like, you know, aerial response, but equally it is still something that they can get away with saying, ooh, oopsie, we accidentally, you know, used a balloon and it went out off path. And, do you and, think uh, that this could have been a bit more deliberate or, or is literally okay. just a mess? And, I'll yeah, add, no, and Rory, do you mind? I'm going to add one more point to Rory, to Piotr's question. So you answered two questions at, at, at the same time. So uh, if okay. you can add to that question as well, 
um, a lot of people are talking about, and there's a, an expert, I'm just trying to find his name, talking about um, the Chinese balloon being a dry run to deliver a nuclear EMP device. I know that's pretty extreme, but the person that did mention this is retired Air Force Major David Stuckenberg, who led, who once led the Defense Department's EMP task force. I know there could be biased there since he worked in that department, but he told that he said that to the Washington Examiner. And I'm going to quote exactly what he said: China's recent balloon flyover of the U.S. is clearly a provocation and aggressive act. It was most likely a type of dry run meant to send a strategic message to the U.S. Um, we must not take this for granted. And he's referring to a dry run um, in terms of delivering something like a, a nuclear EMP device. So we'd love to get your thoughts on this point along with Piotr and then we'd love to go to other speakers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's what I would say that I think will cover answers to all of the questions. Everyone is speculating about the Chinese intentions. And the fact is we simply don't know what Chinese intentions are. So you're going to see this range of views from it was an accident, the Chinese are incompetent, they don't have good weather balloon surveillance teams, and it really drifted off course all the way up to this is a, you know, a precursor to a full on attack of some sort. Okay, nuclear EMP. If, you know, I, I trust the experts on the, the technology of these topics, right? But from my perspective, I think you can't get to the bottom of Chinese intentions without having real information gathering about those intentions. And intentions are difficult to, to gather intelligence on. You have to talk to people. You have to triangulate what people are saying um, widely across, you know, the Chinese official government. I do not think that there was... Uh, that it is plausible that the Chinese deliberately chose a weather balloon based on U.S. history. I don't think the Chinese know U.S. history that well. And frankly, I don't think the American public knows that history as well. Um, you know, this group of listeners is extremely well informed. I can tell that from the questions that you're asking. Um, but for the most part, I find that, you know, both in China and in the United States, that the history of these incidents is not so top of mind for people. Um, you know, so how do we get to the bottom of Chinese intentions? Uh, we have to probe and we have to probe through multiple different channels and in multiple different um, methodologies, right? So there's an intelligence gathering process that is covert, but there's also an overt intelligence gathering process, which involves officials from both sides talking to each other um, on a constant basis. We don't have that right now. I mean, we haven't had it since um, since the Trump administration came into office and cut the channels of communication between the U.S. and China from several hundred down to like three or four. And the Biden administration, for their part, has pretty much stuck with that structure since they came on. The stakes are so high in getting but, but China what if right. The, what if the G20 summit meeting between Xi and Biden, where we saw the uh, Biden administration essentially get the Chinese to rejoin the uh, joint climate declaration? I know that's a different topic to this, but still, we've seen some. I would, uh, yeah, so we had to go I, I, I all the way up to the top of that channel, right? We had to go all the way up to the leadership channel to get any movement at all on issues that the U.S. wanted to cover. Um, I do think that since that meeting, the tone of the Chinese has changed considerably in terms of um, all of the public statements that Chinese officials from the top down put out on, you know, what the U.S. intentions are and what the U.S. threat to China is. Um, so I do think there's this period of um, message discipline in China that has been quite tight. And it's interesting to me to look at how this incident is going to if this incident is going to change that or how this incident will change that. Because certainly if you start to see Chinese message message discipline 
um, that they would like to keep this, you know, their relationship with the U.S. on an even keel and that they would like to continue talking. If you start to see that drift, then we're in for a really rocky road ahead, um, not least of which because, as you, you know, had alluded to before um, in terms of tensions in the Taiwan Strait, we're looking at a likely U.S. House speaker uh, visit to Taiwan in the coming months. We all saw what happened with that last summer. Um, from the Chinese perspective, they've got to up the ante if it happens again. So, so look I, uh, for the message discipline and see how it tracks over the coming days. So I want to mention a quick fact before going to Austin, Allsource, and Ed, and then I would like to go to Sebastian to continue the discussion about the relations between both countries. Um, I'm just going to read out this fact. China has an extensive satellite network. In November 2022 report, the Defense Department said China's intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance-capable satellite fleet had more than 266 systems, second only to the U.S., and that's in 2021. Um, So just wanted to mention that particular point and that kind of goes to the point that there are more balloons, one apparently spotted in Latin America, one spotted uh, in the ocean. Uh, Austin, can you elaborate on that third balloon? Uh, the third balloon over Costa Rica? Oh, it's over Costa Rica. So, Piotr, you mentioned there's one over the ocean. There's three in total. There's one in Latin yeah, America. There's, 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 one... there's one in Latin America. It went over Ven- uh, Costa Rica down towards Venezuela. There's the U.S. one. And there's a third one, apparently, that's over the uh, coastal region related to the American um, maritime line. So, Austin, I don't know if you can clarify on that. Well, no, what I what I actually would like to clarify on is that, you know, with the, the AP reporting today that there were two incidents in the United States during the previous administration where balloons were flown over the U.S., I think it's important to sort of note that the DOD previously has considered these sorts of incidents to be, number one, classified and sort of not really worthy of, of public discussion. So the idea of, you know, this being a, a new program, I, I would doubt just because, you know, we, we do have records of incidents in the past of this occurring. Um, but specifically, I wanted to actually comment, Mario, when you were talking about uh, Chinese sort of satellite capabilities. I mean, what we have seen from the Chinese over the past 20 years has been a considerable amount of investment in aerospace development, whether that's from their space program and their um, – their goals to construct their own space station to, you know, uh, surveillance satellites. I don't uh, really foresee that trend ending or waning anytime soon. This is so awesome. Let, let me ask you a quick follow up on that. Based on the paths that you saw, uh, especially the balloon in the United States go, does it seem the Chinese actually had active control over the balloon? I, or, I, 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 does, yeah, I think they, that they, they had they active did. control. Yeah, they said they, the Chinese said they did not. And from, from the path of that balloon, you know, I felt like it would have been a bit more directed than what it looked. It looked like it was following wind patterns, to, to be quite honest. And I don't think we've, I, I at least have not seen anything indicating that this balloon particularly had, you know, major propulsion devices necessary to guide it. Right. Yeah, so just a clarity on the balloon itself. Um, it's a big thing. It's about, I don't know, several buses as in like US kids school yellow bus types, right? Um, it has equipment ranging from cameras to basic kind of video footage type capturing equipment. And it had also solar pa- panels on, I think, the south and western part of it. Can't really remember. But the point is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a non-maneuverable, non-manned projectile, basically. And it goes wherever the prevailing winds are. What is, well, that's what the, Chinese will say it is what's quite interesting is though that it did go over some quite notable areas like these um 
uh, you know, missile sites in Montana that we've been uh, mentioned already. So there remains speculation about how much it is, really what the Chinese said is. And that's why I think they kind of didn't want the US to shoot it down, because now what I understand is the DOD or whoever it is, is going to pick up the debris. And that's perfect in the sense of post-mortem examination to understand really what this thing is and what it's capable of and also what it may have captured. And, but there's and more I, to come. I'd tack on to that, Peter, and I'd say let's, um, you know, I think it's important to note the size of some of these sites when we talk about, you know, missile fields in Montana. You know, you could you could reliably throw a balloon over the state of Wyoming and hit a missile site along the way, just based upon, you know, how those things are are spaced out and everything like that. What I, I think is is more critical to sort of look at is what we can observe from the photos we've seen have been, like you said, the solar panels, the sensor array. And beyond that, if if this was a propelled device, we would see Anything from an, an engine to a propeller to, you know, it's, it's hard to hide a, a propulsion device on, on something that big. Hey, Austin, I have a Is couple it, questions for you. Nick, do you mind if I ask him a Yeah, sure, questions? go ahead, Ed. And then we're going to go to all source and then, and then uh, Dr. Gordon. Yes, so let's say it didn't have any propulsion devices on it. Would it, A, would it be possible to release a balloon from China and say, okay, I wanted to fly over a certain area in the United States, or would that just be too hard to judge with the wind patterns and stuff? And B, the DOD said that they began blocking the signal from this as soon as it came over U.S. territory. Is that something that's possible with satellite satellite jamming? Okay, so on the first point, in regards to like target releasing a balloon in China and targeting a specific area of the U.S., uh, that's a very imperfect science based upon you know. It, it, okay, a really good historical example is the the Japanese during the Second World War tried to uh, create wildfires in the U.S. by releasing you know incendiary devices on balloons and letting them travel over the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream is well known; those wind patterns are well known. You can release a a high level balloon like that and expect it to end up somewhere in North America. The 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 exacts of that without a propulsion device are are very sort of wide ranging. Secondly, in regards to the ability of the DOD to sort of to jam, um, sort of uh, not not dumbing it down, but to put it in generic terms, jam the ability of this uh, balloon to communicate with the PRC or transmit data and everything like that. Um, I understand that the technology exists. However, I do not have specifics on what specifically would be used because that is generally pretty highly classified in regards to what satellites we would be using, what platforms, things like that. That's generally kept pretty close to heart. Uh, so, so Austin, does it? Uh, who was that? Oh, Catherine, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just wondering: did the government indicate that they are planning to retrieve uh, the elements of the the interior of the balloon? Yeah. So, was, yeah. Yes, they have. They're already, okay. Yeah, they're, they're already doing so as we speak, probably by now. It's on the. It's so that wouldn't have been possible if, if it was shot down, right? So, if it was shot down, uh, not over a body of water, that would not have been possible. No, I, I think it would have been possible. The Coast Guard had been in touch. I mean, all these uh, elements are in communication about this sort of thing. I mean, maybe Sebastian can talk to how this kind of thing works. But, um, yeah, usually, I mean, if the British government, for example, the, the, the similar sort of process, if you have a uh, foreign entity in your in your airspace, then it'll be shot down. And then the relevant party, be it the Marines, be it the Navy, be it the Coast Guard, will go and uh, acquiesce. Well, what I'm, I'm trying to establish is whether that could have been done earlier, not over a body of water as opposed to waiting for it to be over a body of water and shooting it down then in order to retrieve these elements. 
Well, I mean, the DOD will simply argue that, that that's due to the health and safety aspect, but also because they wanted to monitor it. That was what I heard saw some senior defense officials mentioning is that they wanted to use enough time to monitor the thing itself. So it's, it's not only about the safety and timing, it's also about what can they get from it whilst it's above the airspace. But, you know, we can debate that further. So all sorts, I want to ask you a question here. Uh, and I'll let you, I, I, I'm sure you have a lot to say to summarize the situation. Uh, so I'll let you do that. But afterward, I do want you to kind of go over a little bit what sorts of capabilities these balloons would actually have at 60,000 feet, which I believe is what the DOD, the Department of Defense, was claiming what, what the altitude was. Yeah, so so my comment was, you know, I, I shared in the in the NAS, like the first tweet, right? And, and we already touched upon it, right, that the DOD said basically, hey, not, not only did we jam it, and block its intelligence you know, gathering capability, but that they were able to collect on the balloon, like do intelligence collection on the balloon while it's traversing through the U.S. when the balloon was unable to transmit data to China, right? So, so there was an intelligence purpose while it's flying in the U.S. And I mean, and to Catherine's point, right, you know, the, the Navy can, rec- you know, even if it's under a body of water, the, there was another tweet, um, I can't remember which reporter talked about it, but basically said, you know, hey, we had plans to collect this balloon in, in the water, and apparently it was, you know, where it landed, the depth is 47 feet, and they said, oh, we planned for a lot deeper than that. So this is an easy operation, and the Navy has extensive capabilities to collect deep underwater. I mean, that's not something that is unique. And, oh, by the way, you know, I think, you know, when you know, people are talking about, right, there, there are specific organizations within the intelligence community, specifically the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, that are military, that specialize in foreign exploitation, right? That that is their one of their main purposes. That they go collect data on foreign equipment, right? That's why, like you know, if we go use the Russia-Ukraine example, every time the Ukrainians captured something, you know, the DoD was just shaking their hands and being, like, "Oh, this is awesome. We're going to exploit this." And, and the same is for here. So to your point, Nick, you know, can you know, there's there's a lot of intelligence platforms. You know, if you look at the U.S. that fly at uh, at certain altitudes, you know, like let's say the U-2 that flies even higher than that balloon. Uh, you know, they, they can collect extensively at, the, at those altitudes. I think it's just a big unknown, really. We, um, you know, I think a lot of that information, to Austin's point, you know, maybe the DOD has a better understanding, but uh, rightfully so, it's classified, right? And then, and then this exploitation. We just don't know a lot of it right now is speculation. I think there's a lot in the DOD that would have a fairly better understanding of what those capabilities are and what they can and cannot collect. Uh, and so that's why it's valuable to, to be able to retrieve it. And, and so, you know, the, the DOD, I, I think, to... to to the point earlier, right, was, was you know, they, they, they gained a lot of information from this capability. They're going to gain a lot more now that they can exploit this. And it, it kind of shows that the Chinese, you know, why they would use a balloon when they have low Earth orbit satellites to collect intelligence. I mean, that's kind of the questions pondering. I mean, what what I've speculated in the past in other spaces with, you know, a lot of the people that I, that I talked to that covered this is like, I think this just shows a kind of generic lack of intel capability from the Chinese that they're relying on high altitude balloons. I think this shows a deficiency because the United States hasn't done this since the beginning of the Cold War. This is something that we kind of just moved away because we have extensive capabilities. And oh, by the way, the U.S. Department of Defense are the ones who are saying, hey, not only do we know of this balloon, but the DOD is the one saying, oh, by the way, there's one over Latin America. Oh, by the way, there's another one over the ocean. So, you know, the DOD has a fairly clear understanding of where these balloons are operating and can track it. And so I think that the choice to not to shoot it down over the U.S. was a very deliberate. They... Because sure, of the ability for them to track it, they, they, I think they, it was deliberate to to avoid civilian harms, and that's the messaging they have. I think it's legitimate to criticize the DOD on that. I think you can provide legitimate criticism saying, hey, that's bullshit. We should have shot it down the moment it entered U.S. airspace. Uh-huh. But that's the decision they made. 
Yeah, so, so also, let me ask you again real quick, because uh, this was a topic that came up a little bit earlier. Uh, do you believe that this was actually an intelligent mission? Or was this something that was more along the lines of a, a, a test? Because that, that has been something that has circulated a lot, and, and pundits have actually talked about that. Uh, what, what would be your take on that? I think from all the public reporting, what we're getting is that this was an intelligence gathering, uh, you know, effort. And, and 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 historically, we've seen this in the past, right? We've seen these images and these satellites done in the past around the world, right? This isn't, you know, and Austin brought it up, you know, this wasn't the first time this happened on U.S. territory, right? And we've seen this around the world. I think this is, you know, from all the messaging we're getting, this is a a a, a deliberate effort from the Chinese to do intelligence. That's the messaging. So that's the kind of where I had to go through. I think this was an intent to do intelligence collection. Um, I mean, there's probably testing. That's just an added bonus. Uh, but I think one of the things to highlight it, and I think, uh, I believe it was, I think it was you, Nick, that, that brought it up, right? You know, the moment we, the first report we got this was very close to the U.S.-Canadian border, right? That, and, and, and it was, right. you know, in the press saying, hey, there's, you know, you know, we see this. U.S. fighter jets were over to that area. You know, we're tracking this. Uh, so, you know, there could have been a testing aspect of it of our defense. But I think the main purpose from all the messaging we're getting from the DOD is basically now this was intelligence. Sure. But okay. also, uh, if I may just push, but, but surely yeah, are we quickly. really not underestimating the Chinese military capabilities here? I mean, this is an organ. This is a group that have been deliberately artificially creating islands in the South China Sea by which to, you know, the Spratly Islands and more, by which to, you know, arguably make their uh, potential invasion or occupation to Taiwan that much more easier to undertake. Surely, what, they're literally that far behind that they have to resort to a weather balloon that the U.S. hasn't used since the 1950s. Like, I feel that's a stretch, no? Or am I just being... So, so I, I mean, clearly the Chinese have capabilities. I'm not undermining their capability. This is something, you know, me and a lot of, you know, Austin, myself, and other, and, you know, guys have talked about. You know, I think you could put me in the camp of I'm more skeptical of Chinese military capabilities. And, and I, you know, I would, you know, and th- this is not the space to discuss it. I would easily argue that the Spartley Islands have, and, you know, their ability to, not the Spartley Islands, I'm sorry, the, the islands that they build in the South China Sea, um, you know, have very minimal control and aspect on the Taiwan scenario. And I think it's more of a hindrance to their, if in a source of conflict, but you could put me in the camp of, I'm a little bit more skeptical of their military capabilities, but I don't think that's kind of the space uh, to discuss this unless we go that route later on. Uh, okay. So Dr. Dr. Gorka, I, I, I want to ask you uh, a couple of different questions here as well as get your overview do you believe that the Biden administration should have handled this differently? Should we have shot it down as soon as it crossed over into our into our direct airspace over Montana? Or was well, it a good decision to let it let it go? Well, I, I don't think you're going to be surprised at my answer to that question. But, you know, the, 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 the sad thing is everybody's been missing missing the point here on this discussion for the last 20 minutes. Uh, there's a reason it's a balloon. <laughs> there's a reason that China did this in a way that's physically obvious and has nothing to do with satellites that the average American can't even see with the naked eye. First, let's put the whole event into the correct context. So when when I joined the administration back in uh, 16, my, my job was going to be uh, counterterrorism. That's what I'd done for the DOD for, for years and years and years. But once I came into the building... Once you get the clearances, once you read the presidential daily briefing, your eyes get open to a lot of stuff that's a broader aperture than what you've done before. So um, I, I realized within a very rapid amount of time that the, the primary strategic threat we had 
to the United States was 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 not ISIS, was not Russia, Iran, or North Korea. The only peer competitor strategic threat we had was China. Uh, for those who are new to the topic, I strongly recommend you do uh, two things. In 1999, two senior PLA colonels wrote a book called Unrestricted Warfare. Unrestricted Warfare is is the Bible of how uh, China takes on a more powerful nation in a constant war. So for them, the idea that we're in a Clausewitzian period of peace and then war begins with a kinetic event is antithetical to, to basically the Asian way of, of warfare, Sun Tzu et al. For them, they are at war with us now in, in the intelligence domain, the economic domain, in the diplomatic domain. So unrestricted warfare is their textbook on how a, a far more powerful nation like America can be taken down by indirect and constant means. On top of that, since unrestricted warfare is published, and you can read unclassified translations of it online, uh, you have to look at what they developed after that, especially the one belt, one road policy, which is which is their version of Chinese led globalization, how how they will control rare earth mineral uh, deposits in Africa. What the reason why we let them buy the biggest uh, copper mine in the world uh, when we left Afghanistan. So, you know, China is, is on a war path and they have established um, a plan for the 100th anniversary of the communist takeover of, of the nation and the uh, defeat of the Kuomintang in 2049. They wish to be the preeminent hegemonic power in the world. So that's the context. Um, regarding the specific incident, it's it's not really, and we'll, we'll never know unless there's there's a leak of capabilities and a it was targeting. Yes, uh, it's difficult at 60,000 feet to penetrate some of our Minuteman silos with you know, even the best technology. However, that's not the point. The point is this was a probing event. Uh, the point is that this has happened before, and they wanted to see America's response. This was a test for the Biden administration. They saw what happened in Afghanistan. They saw the, the bloody retreat of the Biden administration. They saw the lack of an effective, robust response uh, to the invasion of Ukraine. And now, whatever their imminent plans are with regards to Taiwan, they wanted to see what the administration would do. And the fact that it took us days to do anything. In the meantime, the Pentagon gives us spurious statements on, well, we don't want to kill people or hurt people in a state that is barely populated. I mean, the, you know, the state we're talking about has less than 700 thousand people in it so it's the size of dc right. and we're worried about some solar panels falling on people in the middle of nowhere so you know th this was a test of our responses and we failed that's the point not what they picked up in terms of sigint or comment but how the Biden administration responded and we failed that test so so dr gorka it does seem today i'll ask you this one more question then we'll go to patrick uh, the the biden administration did come out and say that biden did order uh, the Pentagon to shoot down the balloon back on Wednesday. Um, but apparently, according to him, the Pentagon overruled them, quote unquote. And you were the deputy, uh, you were a, a deputy advisor to uh, Donald Trump, right? So, I mean, this is, you're pretty familiar with this and, and you are a, a, an intel expert. So with that in mind, is that something that's even realistic? Does uh, does General Milley actually have the ability to even do that? 
again, let, let's let's have a reality check on on the two individuals we're talking about. We we don't have to take anything for granted that the DOD or the White House is telling us. So so number one, uh, we know just read um, Robert Gates's memoir, former CIA director and former Secretary of Defense for uh, for um, for Obama when Biden was vice president. Uh, there was a vote when when we finally located. Uh, Osama bin Laden in Obadabad after we'd verified it there, uh, Obama curiously took a vote, actually took a vote as to whether we should kill him whether we should send in the, the, the seals and kill the architect of 9-11 the cabinet took a vote and the only person who voted no was Vice President Biden so we're supposed to believe that Vice President Biden who didn't want to kill um, you know, Osama bin Laden is the guy that wanted to shoot down the balloon. So here, that's the first thing that doesn't doesn't gel. Secondly, what is Millie capable of? This is the same Millie who said, uh, who has admitted that in discussions with General Lee, his counterpart in the PLA, the People's Liberation Army of Communist China, actually said to General Lee, don't worry about President Trump. If he decides to declare war on China, I will tell you first. I will give you a heads up. So we, we have, you know, a, a complete rogue element in the uh, the head, the highest military officer in the United States. We have a, a wokeified military where we're told that, you know, under testimony, under oath in the House, he says, I don't know what CRT is, but I'm glad that West Point is teaching it because I'm white and we should understand white rage. So this this is who General Milley is. So, you know, the, the sky's the limit in terms of what he would or wouldn't do. And also we have to have a not a pinch of salt. We have to have a bucket of salt when we when we look at the uh, the reports of Biden said, yes, shoot it down. If this is the guy who said, no, don't kill bin Laden. That, that's, you know, that put put it into the correct context and then you make the judgment. Okay, so let, I, let me I, uh, let me let me quickly ask the, the question um, if you don't mind to to Patrick who I managed to convince to come up Patrick and and uh, Sebastian as well I'm not sure if you can touch on this Oh and, and by the way I sorry Mario I told your guys no, if you can ever get um either Gordon Chang on that would be superb he's the guy I rely upon or uh, or David Goldman out of New York and 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 Jim Carafano the, these guys are superb on China I'm, uh, I, I'm in touch with Gordon Chang I can reach out to him he may not be ready tonight but I can reach oh, out to him. great beautiful uh, but perfect uh, it's Sebastian if you've already DM'd me the the names that will be great I'll get the team onto yeah, them yeah. now um, and I appreciate you coming on. I know it's your, your daughter's birthday, so giving us the time. Uh, grateful for that. Um, Patrick, yeah, Sebastian, or anyone else I can... Right <clears throat> um, so, so Patrick or Sebastian or anyone else who can comment on this, um, um, let me read it out again. Um, I'm, I, for, uh, am I the only one that thinks that this, could, th- this is more concerning than other stories that have come across? So retired Air Force uh, Major David Stuckenberg, who led the Defense Department EMP Task Force, told the Washington Examiner that this could this Chinese balloon could be a dry run to deliver a nuclear EMP device. Now I know it is speculation, um, but how credible is this? Uh, you know, this piece of information, and is that a concern that is even worth discussing, Patrick, Sebastian, or anyone else? Yeah, yeah let, let, let me just shoot this one down. Uh, the EMP threat is real. It is massively disturbing because of the lack of hardened uh, power grid we have in America. We know Iran has been probing our electrical grid. Can uh, you explain what? An, can you explain what you mean by EMP threat for anyone that doesn't know? 
Yeah, so electromagnetic pulse. When, when our, with the Manhattan Project, when we developed the first atomic bombs, uh, we found that a, a nuclear blast, in addition to the actual blast and fireball, there is a related electromagnetic pulse, which basically fries anything with an integrated circuit board. So you, you're sending a massive uh, pulse uh, of power through any system that has, you know, integrated circuit boards or, or, or relies upon modern technology. You fry, you fry anything that has a transistor or a microchip in it, unless it's sitting in a Faraday cage. That's why, you know, various very sensitive things in America have uh, have been situated inside a Faraday cage, but we haven't done that for most of our power grid. Now, this is uh, 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 the the, the uh, secondary or tertiary effect of a nuclear bomb, and it has been developed into its own type of weapon. The idea is a little bit like the neutron bomb, if you, well, most of you guys are too young, a little bit like the neutron bomb of the 1980s, that you can win a fight with an advanced nation by simply blinding it by uh, aerial numerous aerial detonations of nuclear weapons will fry the power grid uh, anything that has advanced circuitry which means the enemy is incapable of resp responding so you don't have to kill everybody you don't have to blow everything up you just put them back into the stone age now it's a serious threat because our grid uh, in America is is about 40, 50 years old, depending on which state you're in. So it's not hardened. It's very vulnerable. We know Iran, I'm just, I'm staying in the unclassified domain. Iran has been probing this vulnerability actually here in the United States. But the idea that this is connected to it, no. A, you, you can't put an EMP weapon in a balloon for various reasons. Uh, one of them was already mentioned. It's not a dirigible. It doesn't have power. This balloon is allegedly slightly directionable. Not. It has to rely upon the, 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 the wind, uh, the various trade winds, um, or the or the or the airstreams. The idea that you're going to target a specific area with an EMP bomb from the air it, with a balloon you can't really direct is 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 just asinine. Uh, and on top of that, it, it's what, what are we talking about? We're talking about China actually declaring uh, or taking kinetic action against America, which has more than five thousand nuclear warheads. No, no, this is, that's not what, what we're talking about here. You can't, you can't blind us with one bomb exploding in Montana at, at 60,000 feet. The EMP threat would have to be multiple warheads across the nation at a lower altitude. So I can't, I can't say anything more than that. But no, this, this is scaremongering. This is more about the general testing of the will of this administration. That's, that's the real buried lead here. I can see Patrick and Piotr both agree with the emojis. Patrick, anything to add? Yeah, just briefly. I, I think Seb said it very well. I would add this to it. Uh, th this is a, I agree with Seb. This, is, this was a test of U.S. commitment to defending its own airspace. And it's also a bit of normalcy bias. If you allow these kind of balloons to go across and the U.S. does nothing, it doesn't take it seriously, it views it as a non-threat, the PRC will continue to test us. It will continue to send balloons. It will continue to allow them to, as a Pentagon official said, hang out longer. That was an official comment to the AP, because we're not taking them seriously. Now, could they exploit that in some way? Sure. But it will also lead them to believe that it's an opening that they can exploit, either with balloons or with another, uh, another platform. And frankly, it's just dangerous. This is not a thing that serious nations do. 
serious nations defend their own airspace from intelligence collection assets of hostile foreign nations. And make no mistake, the PRC is the strategic threat the U.S. must confront in the next century. No doubt about it. And the less seriously we take them, the more of an opportunity it is for them. And if I may, Patrick, how, 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 so, yeah, uh, before you do, hey, hold on. Can, can I ask a you question real quick? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people tweeting stuff like this, you know, and, and I think it's absurd, but I'd love to have Seb or someone else answer, you know, the idea that the Chinese balloon could have a COVID bioweapon inside of it and that's why they didn't shoot it down. I mean, what, what, what's the likelihood of that? Ian, uh, you're going to get Sebastian or Patrick well, not, 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 <laughs> telling us they'll never join again. At 60,000 feet, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. 60,000 feet, uh, it's just, I mean, you're, you're, you're smoking Hunter Biden's crack pipe. You know, that's yeah, I figured. absurd. Just absurd, yeah. So I just wanted to clear that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. conspiracy okay. uh, just, I'll go to Patrick. H- how... Um, um, what was my question I had in mind? Ian, what'd you do? Um, yeah, so, so what's the worst case? Can I just, before you um, think sure. you remember your question, just one thing. So, so what, one last thing that kind of helps illustrate the, the broader context. So every administration, except the current one, because they haven't written it yet, has, has a something called the National Security Strategy. It's actually required by an act of Congress that every new federal administration has to do an unclassified document that says this is what this Sebastian, that was released done. in September. That, was, that came out in September. Yeah, I know. That, that, one, that one's not... A, yeah, I'm talking about real ones. So what, if, if you look at the national security strategy of the last, uh, let's say, from 9-11, they're not really serious. So whether it was Republican, whether it was Democrat... They're kind of laundry lists, like we're going to be able to do two major theater wars. We're going to save the environment. We're going to save the whale and the penguins. You know, they're they're the antithesis of strategy. They don't prioritize anything. Bush was as guilty of this as as Obama. When when we came in and and I was at the table for this, we had an interagency process for about nine nine months uh, with a very capable woman who was holding the pen for the president. And we wrote a national security strategy, the majority of which is unclassified. There are some classified annexes. But if you really want to understand Russia's response today in, uh, in Ukraine, why China's launching balloons across U.S. airspace, you need to read the unclassified national security strategy that, that we deployed uh, at the end of the first year of, of the uh, Trump administration. Because what we said was... The, the age of grand power competition has returned, that we are back in an age of geopolitics, the revenge of geopolitics, if you will, and great powers will be competing for hegemonic control. That, that went against the verbiage and the worldview of, of you know, the rhino establishment and the Democrat establishment. But China woke up and they said, uh-oh. Um, this guy gets it. He understands what unrestricted warfare is. His experts understand what one belt, one road is. So, you know, this, this current incursion and the incursions on Taiwanese airspace and everything else is, is their test to see, does Biden subscribe to what Trump believed or are we back in a safe p- position 
to flex our muscles. So again, you've got to put it into broader. It's not about you know what this thing can intercept in SIGINT. It's not about what areas it flew over. It is putting it into the broader geopolitical and geostrategic context. China wants to know whether there is any spine in this administration. And they just found out in the last you know four days the answer to that question. Um, Patrick, I'm sorry, the, the, I'm going to have to push back. I'm going to have to push back. Yeah, I'll let you do that. If you, if, if you, if you, if you read Biden's national security strategy that was published, it clearly states that the that the try to get closer. Uh, also, try try oh, to get yeah. closer to your mic if possible, please. Yeah. So what I'm saying, can you hear me now, Mario? Better. Yeah, man, it's perfect. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is that the Biden administration's national security strategy, in multiple occasions, is saying that the era of strategic competition has returned. And, and how they frame it a lot, they, they mention specifically China and Russia as strategic competitors. I mean, that is in the national security. And the reason why I know is I read it because I tweeted about the portion about North America, specifically Mexico, because it covers cartels, which is what I focus on. But I read the whole thing. I mean, strategic competition was the, the, the framing of the national security strategy. Now, you can make an argument that he framed it more in this notion of democracies versus autocracies, which was kind of this underlying issue that the Biden administration has been trying to push. But but the clear message was strategic competition is here, and that is a continuity. I, I mean, I, in many ways, I would I would even argue that the Biden administration's in this foreign policy with China has continued a lot of those policies. I mean, the decoupling with China and the economy, the notion that China is a strategic competitor, the notion that Russia is a strategic competitor. I mean, there has been a lot of continuity and bipartisan support with Russia, uh, Republicans and Democrats, specifically in the issue of China, on on the China being a primary geopolitical threat. So, so Patrick, the, I do the, know the trouble. The trouble is, is just the the schizophrenia. So, if you want, and I'm happy to post these on my my Twitter feeds uh, when I get off the phone, is in an 18 month period, Biden has said the following repeatedly at different times. He said, "Come on, man, they're not our enemy; they're our competitor." He said that on the campaign trail numerous times, and then he said on camera from the Oval Office. He's actually said, if we don't get serious, they're going to eat our lunch, right? So it's it's the utter schizophrenia of the commander-in-chief. You, you can write whatever you like in the NSS, but the, the actions of the commander-in-chief has to back it up. We wrote in the NSS, we are back in an area of grand power competition, and the president backed it up by declaring a, a trade war on China, by instigating tariffs and, and you know, going to war you know, economically. But when the commander-in-chief, the following commander-in-chief, says one thing in the document and then said, literally, I'll, I can send you the video, come on, man, they're not our enemy, and then literally three months later says, if we don't get serious, uh, they're going to eat our lunch sitting in the Oval Office, then China has to know which it is, and this is how they're testing it. Well, uh, Sebastian, would you say that the semiconductor, uh, the move that he pulled with that, would you not say that that was kind of a firing shot ultimately that kind of maybe started some of the escalation with them? I mean, I think things have been escalating for a while, but this was a very specific concrete move. And this is them kind can of you, going. Can, 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 you, can you explain to the audience what move you're referring to? 
Yeah. So with the semiconductors, what happened was he said that, uh, so, so the U.S. administration had announced that anybody who's working who's a U.S. citizen, um, would have to basically, if they're working in, in, in China, they would have to come back to the U.S. They can't, they would have to quit their jobs that are in China. And then also they forbid the importing of certain parts and things like that. So basically an embargo on semiconductors which would cause a lot of issues um, around... It help China more yeah. than help the United States. Because, um, what we've done, In what way, Ian? Um, well, allow me to explain. Well, uh, Taiwan has been severely impacted by these uh, tariffs, right? Not tariffs, rather, the, 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 the ban, right? It's been severely impacted to the point where Taiwan and China are now discussing uh, combining forces in their semiconductor industry because they're severely impacted by this. So it, it appears to be backfiring. Sorry, but the Taiwanese and the Chinese getting close on the semiconductor front. Are you nuts? That's not happening. Mike, no, that's exactly what they're, they're, they're on about. They're, they're both opposed to it. Look at, look at the uh, recent statements made by the Taiwanese government. No, no, no. They're not happy with the best. misinformation, mate. Sorry, but that's, I fundamentally have to do yeah, I'm sure Taiwan is promoting misinformation by no, itself, no, but, you know... You can wait, wait, hold on. Can we get Peter to just... Because uh, I, I want to try and understand this a little bit better, because just the situation... So, Peter, I couldn't hear what... Because there was overlap. So, what were you saying uh, in response to what Ian said? Um, I'm saying that Ian is fundamentally incorrect when he says that the Taiwanese are getting closer with China when it comes to the production of semiconductors. TSMC, which is the company within Taiwan that produces about 85, 80 percent of uh, semiconductors, is not something that the Taiwanese want China, the CCP, to have access to, because that would mean China was on board on the same level of production in terms of advanced industrial equipment, military equipment, as the Americans and much of the modern world, right? So that uh, for him, to say that the Chinese are actively up for being in greater in terms of econ- no, there's no denying that the in- economic integration of the two is high. But I'm sorry that I just that goes against the chips bill in the summer. So I just and, and, and by the way, just to add to that, yeah, I, so, I'm sure so you're under the impression could, if, that, uh, that that the Taiwanese don't want to merge with China, but you know half of them do. You know, so, well, Ian, yeah. Ian, I, so I, I I maintain contacts with friends in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Taipei. I've done a little bit of business in recent years uh, <clears throat> related actually to uh, semiconductor manufacturing. And and I will say this, there was a move in Taiwan up until maybe about five, six years ago that was pretty strong in terms of uh, expanding investment on the mainland. Uh, the, um, uh, the, the KMT had been more and more willing that one of the political parties there the two major parties are the DPP and the KMT. The KMT folks were aligned folks were more and more willing to do investment there. TSMC does have some investment on the mainland as well. But over the last six or seven years, they've got, especially as the Hong Kong situation was developing, you kind of put a cap on it. They had gotten the message that go, doing more and more investment with China, trying to build more and more relations, was actually going to undermine their security. And you're actually seeing the KMT, which had been sh- fairly strong for unification with the mainland as a long-term goal in some form or fashion and, and in various degrees, that uh, they're back. A lot of the, the people aligned with that political party are backing off. DPP has always been a strong independence party 
in Taiwan, and they were the only strong voice and did have a strong political voice. And, and, and Ian's correct that there are quite a few people on the mainland who would be totally willing to unify with China. But I'm just saying that overall in that country, they're getting more and more result. People in that country despised the Taiwanese military, just your average rank-and-file people. Totally different than the United States, where your average American citizen had some degree of positive feeling about our military. They did not used to have that. That is changing in recent years. This is something that I've been encountering in, 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 in discussions with. I got really deep into this about 10, 12 years ago when I started to make connections with that. And I'm telling you, Taiwan's more and more resolved than ever. I'm, and, and to this point, I'm not sure that this is some test to see if what we'll do with Taiwan. I have to agree with Sebastian. This is in, almost entirely a when, when, when to... Taiwanese parties are literally lodging a protest against a potential McCarthy visit. That's just because that's an can, unnecessary can, can we, can we, can we, again. Hold on. Sorry, go ahead, yeah. uh, Dr. Goka. What, what one thing here, so... We're being really, what do they say, ethnocentric here? I mean, so many people on the call are, are judging China like like it's a Western nation. The, the idea that, well, look at how they responded to the semiconductor thing. It's like, guys, uh, hang on a second. This is one of the few nations in the world today. Out of, you know, 200 countries... There's, you know, maybe three that actually think strategically in the long term, you know, and, and China's one of them and Iran is another one. China, China doesn't think about tit for tat. What, oh, Biden did X, therefore we must do Y. They, they listen to what I just said a few minutes ago. There is a 2049 plan, right? What they are doing, what they are doing today what they are doing today is to culminate for the 100th anniversary of the communist success over the nationalist Kuomintang and, and, the, and the rise of, of communist China. So the idea that, that, that we are seeing some response to something we did here is an ethnocentric Western way of looking at it. This is a nation. It's like that, that canard from when we invaded Afghanistan that the Taliban and the Pashtuns would say, ah, oh, that's a nice G-shock. You watch, you're, you've got there, Mr. SF guy. You've got all the watches. We've got all the time. Don't judge China based upon the way we do policy, which at best, at best, is done for the next, you know, shareholder quarter or the next election. So please, guys, when you're looking at China, judge China like a you know, a millennia-old nation and a culture that actually does strategy, and we really don't. And that's exactly so, what so I'm going to go ahead. Exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Yeah, go All on, right, Mark. so just very very briefly. First, James Carafano will be joining Sebastian. Just thought I'd let you know. And I want to go to a question that Patrick I've been dying to ask, uh, and then I'll go to Aaron. I know, Aaron, you've got a few questions as well. But, uh, Patrick, question to you is, back to the balloon. How serious of an escalation is this? Or can we even call it an escalation? You've got three balloons now, um, and... You know, are you concerned or when would you be concerned? In real terms, I don't take it that seriously as a military threat. I, I think the Pentagon's probably right. It's fairly negligible. It's the symbolism is more more what concerns me and the loss of face that it, it pretends for this administration generally, but the U that the nation as a whole. If we assume and, and the Pentagon has said this, that they were tracking it over the Aleutians when they first picked it up. That means either, A, they made the decision not to shoot down then, 
which then leads to the question of, okay, why did you allow it to overfly the entire United States and then shoot it down? They didn't pick it up soon enough to make a decision, which could be a tracking issue with uh, craft of this type. Or they they picked it up, they up-channeled it to the White House, and the White House couldn't make a decision until it reached landfall, and then the, the problem became more complicated. That's a problem. It, it's either a detection issue, it's a seriousness about defending our airspace issue, or it's, it's just the ability to make decisions under pressure with any kind of alacrity and then carry them out. Either way, you, any way you slice this, that thing should have been destroyed while it was in U.S. airspace over the Pacific Ocean. It would have resulted in exactly what we have now without allowing them to overfly the entire United States. Uh, so, so let me ask you a quick question here, uh, Patrick. You were a uh, uh, former United States Air Force. Uh, and, and so I do want to ask, uh, the DOD did say it wasn't safe to shoot down the balloon over somewhere like Montana. Is this a legitimate concern or an excuse not to take action at the time? How big of a, a debris field are we looking if they were to do this? And, you know, I mean, could it have been controlled? Well, first off, I was not a flight officer, so I'll, I'll answer this question with that the knowledge. Of the go. Point net bus. Uh, no, one's, no one's really had to shoot down balloons in quantity since probably the First World War, but this is not like an aircraft where you hit it, it's going to strew a major debris field behind it, and then it's going to plow into the earth. You're going to shoot this thing full of holes. It's going to vent gas and then descend. The odds of it shedding large amounts of debris are negligible. Now, it also means you don't really know where it's going to come down because it could take quite a while to descend. So if you're going to shoot this thing down, the Montana answer they gave is somewhat deceptive. This thing was overflying the Pacific Ocean, the Alaskan wilderness, the Canadian wilderness, and only then did it get to Montana. So the Pentagon's answer, I think, was somewhat deceptive on that. It gave them an excuse for why they weren't doing, you know, what everyone was asking they should do. Yeah. So, Jim, I want to go to you real quick because we have uh, James Carafano on stage, and I'd love for you to give, give an introduction before we go to Hans. Well, uh, James Carafano Jim? is a, no. an expert on uh, all things military international relations and uh, works with Heritage Foundation, and he... Uh, he, and, and nuclear artillery, so he knows his stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, ex- awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, James, go ahead. We'd love to Jim, do you mind? Yeah. I've, I've, I've got a question for him, Jim, if you don't mind. James, a uh, very broad question. What do you, and, and this is, again, speculation, but what do you think the balloon was actually useful? Um, and, you know, what's the best case and worst case scenario? You know, we were talking about whether it, uh, we had a general say or an ex-general say it could have been a – uh, an e- a, a dry run for an EMP device, nuclear EMP device, which Sebastian said that's not possible. Uh, would love your thoughts on it. Yeah, so I, hi. So um, two really interesting questions. Um, one goes back to the detection. I, I seriously doubt they had trouble detecting this. This is a big, giant blip in the sky. And remember, it's it's communicating. It's constantly sending out electromagnetic signals and sending data back to somebody. So the notion that, that this thing wasn't picked up by um, by surveillance is just nonsense. So they, they had to know these things are coming. So there's two <clears throat> logical explanations. One is they were trying to gather, gather data on it, right? So obviously the transmissions were encrypted, but 
maybe we can intercept that. Maybe we can decode that. <clears throat> so sometimes we don't like to talk about what the enemy intel is doing because we're gathering intel on the enemy intel. Um, the other argument is they knew it was coming and they didn't, re- you know, nobody knew that these flights were happening and, and they didn't want to upset the relationship with the Chinese. So they just didn't want to talk about it. Now it's possible that both those things were true. And I, I think the shoot down answer is pretty simple. The news broke after it was over the United States. The, I, I think they were incredibly risk averse that, you know, a, a balloon thing would kill some dog or something and they'd freak out. So, um, but I'm sorry, I still have this thing from this 1965 sitcom F troop going through my head of, you know, the Huckowie saying, this is balloon and everybody freaking out. Cause that just to me, this sounds like the, the White House. The other interesting question, which is really, really the real question, which is why are the Chinese doing this? They have exquisite and very capable um, satellite surveillance capability. Really, that could surveil all the kind of targets that they were looking at. So why this? So what kind of niche capability did they actually think they need? Or what were they testing or looking at or trying out that made them to do this? And Again, part of the answer may be the intel community wanted to study what they were doing rather than interdict it. Um, the, look, the other stuff that we're seeing on Twitter and people's explanations, that like, oh, my God, it could be, you know, a, a, they could attack us with biological weapons. Well, that's just nonsense. Um, it's very, very difficult to do a high altitude biological weapon attack because a, a, a biological weapon is a living thing, which means that you have to um, protect it in a very hostile environment. It's very, very difficult. I have to micro-encapsulate every single little germ. Um, getting it to the, to the ground live is incredibly difficult. And as we saw COVID spread, that you know, if somebody wanted to spread a biological disease, there's just way simpler ways to do that. It makes no sense for a chemical weapon because the altitude is way too high. It can't carry a very heavy payload. Um, you would have no idea where it landed. It'd be completely ineffective. Um, the the nuclear EMP thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, look, nobody puts a nuclear weapon on something they can't positively control and float it around the world. It's just, it's just like putting the nuke that, you know, the scenario, but putting a nuke in a shipping container. It's just, these are just stupid scenarios when you have very, very reliable delivery systems, um, that, that can actually traverse the world in 30 minutes. The balloon thing is, I mean, it, it, the physics, the chemistry, um, the, the sanity of it just don't work. And when experts jump on and say these things, I think the first thing you have to do is like block them on Twitter. So I've. Uh, so, so can I ask you a quick question? That's to, to you. Can, yeah, you can ask a quick question, then I have a question for James yeah. as well. So go ahead. So just to that point about the biological aspect. I mean, you know, weather balloons are incredibly light, um, even if they're big. To carry something of a biological chemical capacity would require something far more sophisticated. So it's just completely bizarre for people and for the general to be suggesting that is simply to drum up, you know, the desire. I don't think anyone serious is suggesting that. I think it's just stupid people yeah. on Twitter. Well, that, no, but just like you said that, you know, this could be the next one EMP device, as we just touched upon with Sebastian. It's just scaremongering because... He- yeah, that was a credible... Yeah, that was a credible person. Yeah. To, so that that one was coming from a credible no, source. I agree. So I mentioned it, but... It, it, and um, and I think everyone's yeah. unanimous. Yeah, Sebastian, Piotr, and James, you're all unanimous yeah. that this is not even something worth discussing no, for, for various but reasons. My question... 
Yeah, it's just absurd. It's just a realm of absurdity. My question for James, though, for you, I asked it to another expert we had earlier here, is um, do you not think that this could be a deliberate choice by the PLA in the sense of that they pick something that is so overtly obvious, you know, that we're all freaking out about it, whilst also it's a bit finicky to shoot down? Because, you know, if you get F-16s up there, it's a bit of an overcompensation for a balloon. So do you not think the Chinese may have done this deliberately as a way to sort of, well, just mess around with us psychologically, you know, a bit of classic psychological warfare or that's actually a really good question. I was about to ask that. Well, that that is a really good question because, like, there's two rational answers. One, again, is they have some kind of niche collection need that they thought this was maybe high risk, but it was worth trying. Um, I struggle to figure out what that is again, since they they have very robust and capable low Earth orbit uh, low Earth orbit satellite collection leads now. The reason the, the the problem with satellites is the Earth rotates, and so you know people not being stupid, they know when the satellite is going to be overhead, and they know to shut down activities that the satellite can see, so the satellite can see them. You know, conversely, you know when, when we're doing verification, we actually like open up the the uh, the the silos so the satellite can see it, so the other guy can count them. Um, so did they think that somehow you could sneak a satellite in a, a, a balloon in and it could catch people off guard? Well, I mean, that's not if that's their thinking, it's not really very smart, because, again, the the odds are that we wouldn't see that balloon coming and wouldn't be, do, be able to do the same kind of mitigation that we do with lower satellites is just stupid. So the other rash explanation is and, and I don't know, maybe there is some something that we hadn't thought of. But the other explanation is, you know what? Maybe they just wanted to do this to see what we did and to see what they could get away with. And 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 I take Mark Esper at his word that maybe they never did this under Trump. And maybe they thought, you know what, let's really test Biden and and see what we can do. You know, Sebastian, and I talked about this on a show the other day during the Cold War. You know, the first way we started to really get intel on the Soviet missile capabilities was. Um, we, we flew aircraft so high and so fast that the Russians literally couldn't get up into the airspace to shoot them down. Plane, literally planes and missiles would fall out of the sky trying to, to reach our aircraft that were, that were flying higher than faster than anything had ever flown before. And of course we did that until we had satellites. Um, but you know, we did this for years and the Russians never said a word. And the reason they never said a word was because they, they didn't want to be embarrassed to to say they couldn't defend their own airspace. And so it is possible that the PLA was saying, hey, look, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen here? The Americans will get angry at us and shoot the balloon down. A big deal. But, you know, maybe we can do this and maybe they'll do nothing. And, and maybe that maybe that's that that's worth something. James, just uh, I don't want to discount their their reasoning for this about it being a weather balloon and an excuse we all discounted it, including myself. Should we discount that explanation or is it still possible? I, I think the, the really simple answer to that is um, this balloon was spotted um, not just because it has a radar signature, but also because it was very likely communicating. It was emitting. I mean, part of the reason um, why it has solar panels on it is not just to power everything, but to power the communications thing. So if that's correct and it's, and it's, and it's emitting – is it emitting encoded information or uncoded information? If, if, 
if it's a weather balloon, no, nobody on the planet Earth sends up a weather balloon and then bothers to encode the information so nobody else can get to it. it it's very easy to tell if it's encoded or not. Um, my guess is the U.S. government knows that, and that is their absolute confirmation that this is no way whatsoever possible a, oh, okay, uh, so... a weather balloon. But, and I, just, I would just add real quickly, the other look where it went over. I mean, it's gone over. They had them over Guam. They had them over military facilities in but, Hawaii. But James, how, why, why would they let it go? I know you, you touched on it earlier, but if they spotted it days ago, and, and I think you mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, that it shouldn't be too hard to, to spot. If they spotted it days ago, because suddenly now they spotted all three of them in like two days. If that was spotted days ago, why would they allow it to get into USA space and go over all these sensitive areas? Could they have blocked the transmission or was it just not spotted and maybe they just spotted it recently? Yeah. So I think the answer to that is either a combination of things is one, um, maybe they weren't worried, worried about it. Cause again, if they knew they were coming, they can mitigate the things that they will, they can't really see anything that's of value uh, for military bases. So that's one. The other is maybe they wanted to collect against these things to see kind of what they were looking at, what kind of capability they have. We do that a lot in the Intel community. But the but the third thing is is maybe they just didn't want to make an issue with the Chinese over this. And remember, Biden was heading to China, and when we undo the timeline here, we know that they knew the balloon was coming when the trip was was already planned and announced, and they didn't cancel the trip until after. The balloon not only became publicly aware that everybody knew the balloon was coming, but everybody was really super upset about it. So they made a conscious decision not to say anything about the balloon and to push forward with the trip and only cancel the trip after they got grief about it. So if the balloon they, and it was a problem, you know, they would have canceled the trip at the front end. So they, I think they were consciously trying to bury this, maybe for intel, but but politically that. They wanted to go and they talked to China. And and to be honest, they didn't really want this balloon thing to get in the way with that. And the only reason why they canceled the trip is because we all got pissed off about it. Hey, James. Uh, okay, so let me ask you a, a quick question. Oh, hold on, Nick, Nick, Nick and Jim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, let, I'll let Jim ask the question. But Jim, just want to touch uh, – I'll let you ask the next question because I want to touch on just this particular point that uh, James mentioned. I will go to you, Jim, if you don't mind. Uh, when you said, uh, James, that they could have – they don't want to upset the Chinese – Obviously, I'm not the expert here, but it just sounds ridiculous to me. Like your 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 number one enemy has a big ass balloon right over you, um, and apparently three of them in total. One over your airspace, over all these sensitive locations, and yet you're the one that should be worried about not pissing them off. Is that like? It just sounds too extreme to me. For me to have a balloon over the U.S., usually any intelligence gathering um, uh, 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 actions are usually covert. Not so so open right, in your face with it for everyone to see. Yeah, so that's why I was surprised. Like I didn't that explanation just didn't make sense to me. But is it a plausible well, explanation? Is it genuinely possible they didn't shoot it down just so they don't piss off the Chinese? Well, this is this is a fundamental and look. And I'm nonpartisan. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I mean, but this is a fundamental difference in in leadership styles, uh, particularly between realists and you know and and structuralists. Yeah, the the structuralist impulse is to de-escalate and negotiate. Um, perversely, realists recognize that that adversaries, particularly like the Chinese and the Iranians and the Russians, 
they're realists in two and they respect power. And, and if you show them, if you show them weakness or accommodation, we, you know, being like a Biden would think I I'm, I'm showing you, I'm not a threat. I'm putting out my hand to you. I'm, 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 and they, what they see when you do that is weakness, you know, conversely, when you, when you lead from strength and you say, Hey, I'm really angry here. I'm really, they respect that. Um, and, and so ironically, you get more respect when you're in their face and confront them over your interests than when you try to be accommodating. And again, not to be political, but the, you know, a good example of this is, is Trump. There's three defining moments in, in, in Trump's foreign policy. One, the first one happened when the, when she came to Mar-a-Lago very early on and they were having dinner and Trump said, excuse me. And they came back and said, yeah, sorry to, sorry, but I just ordered a missile strike on Syria. And the, and the Chinese, uh, Xi was completely flummoxed that here, you know, here was a president that was completely unafraid of using force. And, and, and Xi knew, and Trump knew Xi knew that that was, that was all a setup that was planned to happen right in the middle of the dinner. So Xi could be not more uncomfortable about this. Um, and the Chinese, I think, respected Trump after that. The, the, and the, another story, which is absolutely true because it's been confirmed to me by a number of people, not just Americans, but by people that do the, the, the back channel stuff with the Russians. Um, the, there was an attack on an American base in, um, in Syria by some Russian mercenaries and Trump just said, take them out. And they completely obliterated the entire thing. And when Putin found out about it, he said, okay, let's just not do that again. And so he, and then of course the, the most publicly known one is the one in um, Iran when the Soleimani came to Iraq and Trump said, kill him and they killed him. And, and the Iranians were completely aghast. And this is, again, this is a true story. The Iranians actually threw with intermediate. I went to the Americans and said, look, we're going to fire some missiles at you guys and we're going to shoot them into the desert. We don't want to escalate. We just don't want to be embarrassed here. We are terrified of you. So please don't respond to the missile thing. Just let it go. And we swear this to is, God. So, so this is, this is, hold on. This is fascinating. Those, Jim, I, I, the mic is yours, I promise. But I, and that's not even a question, Jim. But like, this is fascinating that these conversations happen behind the scenes. Like, I read about them all the time. It's it's just fascinating. I wish I you know being part of those calls is is uh, is uh, will be will be fun. But uh, Jim, you've got a question yeah, no, for James. James, I mean, just uh, my my run and time in D.C. and of course Sebastian is far deeper than what I did. I was on the Hill, not in administration, but but I mean, this is kind of the 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 game that's there, and and a lot of people don't. In fact, I'm guessing that these there have been balloons even during the Trump administration. Just someone caught it. This time, some enthusiast or someone that saw it coming through the sky or something. And then these, the, a lot of this stuff gets negotiated in the background. What I found amazing and surprising is that uh, Joe Biden came out, I guess it was today or late yesterday, I think it was today, uh, and, and said, yeah, I ordered it to be shot down on Wednesday, and they told me let, that, that we needed to, meaning the military, that we needed to wait until we got it away from populations. Like, I, you know, it's just interesting because Trump, for all the negatives that people said about him, was actually very brilliant in the way that he dealt with these foreign leaders in comparison to other presidents and other administrations. What does it say that Joe Biden came out the way he did with that statement, which I think, from my perspective, was a total lie. He didn't 
freaking know what to do, or at least because of the concern about this uh, visit that Blinken was going to have was prevaricating. But what, what's your analysis of him coming out and said, I, I, I said to shoot it down on Wednesday and they told me not to do it. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I will say I, 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 I believe Mark Esper at his word, who I've known for many years when he says this never happened under Trump. Um, I will say, you know, I was very close to a lot of Trump people. I don't have a, I don't have a clearance. I, I don't talk have classified conversations, but I never got an inkling from any person in the Trump administration, like anything this is going on. And to me, this would have been catnip to, to Trump. It's like, I mean, I can shoot down a Chinese balloon out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and nobody's hurt and I could call him out and I get to look tough. I mean, oh my God, please send, send the balloon over. As a matter of fact, you know, let me pretend I'm not. I, so I just never, I just can't imagine that happening under Trump. Um, I, I think you're exactly right about Biden. I think the administration, that it was absolute chaos. They knew the balloon was coming. They knew that what's his name was going on a trip. They had no idea what to do. They, their crisis management was completely nonsense. And it's it's always Biden's M.O. to try to say something to look tough, even if it's a lie. So I. I, I... Go ahead, James. You can finish. Oh, yeah. I'll jump in. The yeah. thing I was going to say is, is the great irony here, of course, is. It was shot down with an F-22, which was the aircraft that President Obama canceled because he said, well, we don't really need those. And Joe Biden was vice president when they did that. But I think uh, it's okay, easy so, to shoot it. I'm guessing it's easy to shoot it down, though, James. Like, it's just a big ass balloon. Any, you well, know, well before you answer that, James, there, there's an interesting down. historical thing that uh, I, I saw someone report on, actually, but a lot of people may not have heard. About 25 years ago, there was... A similar balloon, I don't know if it was coming from Russia or, or where it was coming from, that both the Canadians and us attempted to shoot down and really struggled with it. Are you familiar with that story, James? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So, you know, we built the F-20. You know, people always get confused, like, why do we need an F-20, F-35 and an F-22? So the F-22 was to be a very high-altitude fighter um, that essentially could clear the skies and what that meant was the the other planes that came underneath it, the F-35, they wouldn't have to worry about dogfighting. They wouldn't have to worry about, uh, you know, f- engaging at something at 65,000 feet. And so the payloads they could carry would be a lot different uh, and the capabilities they could do. So one of the, the problems we've actually had to have since we since we stopped buying the F-22s is we've had to, you know, load stuff onto the F-35 program to compensate for that. So the mission that the F that the SF-22 did, that was a textbook mission for an F-22. You're, you're flying higher than anybody else. You know, you can shoot anything out of the sky. And this was, I mean, this wasn't even, I mean, this wasn't even target practice. I mean, this was, I mean, this was a, this was a, you know, for an F-22 pilot, it's almost an insult. It's like, it's like, you know, you know, killing a, a, a watermelon with a sledgehammer. I mean, it's just, I mean, it couldn't be easy to see slow moving. Most people don't understand the sophistication of the F-22 aircraft, even over the F-35. Like it's one of the most amazing right. uh, platforms that's ever been created and maybe the most amazing that's ever been created from avionics to weapons capabilities and, and everything. I mean, it's literally a fighter that can fly on the edge of manned, you know, 
airspace. It's a J- it, it it's it's a fighting airplane that can fly, which is if you went any higher, you'd be an astronaut. James, so, so, so James, there... you, you did say earlier, you, you did say earlier that the U.S. should be able to tell whether or not this is a weather balloon based on the fact, you know, partially in fact that the data that was being sent back to China was encrypted. I don't know if that's confirmed yet or not. I know that has been, there's been a lot of speculation around that. But the Department of Defense has been saying that we can, we've actually been able to intercept a lot of that and block the data from going back to uh, China. So it, it does it does that seem like does that seem like a likely scenario that that we could intercept and block data like the Pentagon is claiming? Yeah, I absolutely believe that that's true. I I would say the two defining things that tell you whether it's a weather balloon or not are one what it's flying over, and again the fact that we've had these balloons over Guam military bases, Hawaii specifically the missile range and the sub sub range military base, um, Canada where our strategic early warning system is, missile fields in the in the, in the Northwest, in the big square states. Um, and then the other thing is the emissions that are going. We are very, very good at SIGINT. Um, a, a big ball in the sky that's emitting like this, it has to be easy, easy to detect, easy to detect the emissions, easy to capture those. And yeah, probably pretty easy to jam them too. As well. so, 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 so James, I'll ask you one more question before other people jump in here. Yeah, I think, uh, one... uh, so Nick, uh, uh, right after Nick, Austin and Catherine could jump in with questions. And Aaron, if you have questions for James specifically as well. Uh, go ahead, Nick. Uh, okay, uh, actually, Austin will be perfect for this one. Um, one of the arguments is that the Chinese didn't need to do this for an intelligence operation because of, of satellite technology. Um, if you recall, uh, Trump actually released a photo on Twitter a couple of years ago, revealing the U.S. satellite imaging capabilities. Do we know that China's satellite capabilities are advanced as the United States? Or does it seem like it could be a benefit to use a, a weather balloon at 60,000 feet? So um, I think we have a pretty good uh, read on on China's capabilities. And the people that I have talked to who are in this community say they are very sophisticated and, and very advanced without without compromising, you know, any classified information. So they think they have capabilities just as good as ours. So so that so there's only three kind of possible scenarios. One is there's some kind of niche collection thing here that they thought they really needed or that they thought they'd try that they can't do with a satellite and they couldn't do with UMINT or some other thing. That's and we have to remember they have a very robust UMINT collection. You know, a lot of ways, they, they're gathering intel because they buy the farm next to a military installation and they sit there with binoculars and look at it, which is a lot cheaper. Um, so it's either they were trying to do some kind of niche collection thing that I, I don't understand what it would be, but but that's one. Um, the other is maybe they thought they could that the, they could sneak the balloon in and in the spaces, you know, so we when we know the low Earth orbit satellites are coming over, we shut down the things we don't want them to see. So maybe they think they thought they could sneak a balloon in, which to me seems unrealistic because that's easier to spot, just as easy to spot as a satellite. Or maybe they don't know how good our our air radar is. And the third thing is, is maybe they just did this because they thought they could do it and get away with it. 
Yeah, so, so I guess we'll uh, we'll go to Austin next. I'll let you kind of give your feedback Before, on that. Yeah, Austin, just want I'm, I'm I'm writing notes, James, on uh, kind of summarizing things you're saying into a small thread. And you, you mentioned that China's capabilities could be equal to the U.S. That caught me by surprise. Can you be specific on what capabilities you're referring to before we go to Austin? Okay, yeah, and let me add a little bit to that because the the Federation of American Sciences actually came out and said that the resolution for that the U.S. that they discovered is amazingly high. They thought that the capability was 46 centimeters for image resolution, and now we found out it's well below 20. So that's sort of the question is, do the Chinese have that sort of capability that we just found out about? Um, so, well, James, uh, yeah, go ahead. If you can refer yeah, to what capabilities uh, you think China could have, uh, referring to China's satellite um Right. What exactly? So, I mean, I mean, here's what, here's what I would say. Um, and again, just to make really clear, you know, I was in the military for 25 years. I had clients clearances my entire time. I have had clearances at periods since I've been retired. But everything I'm saying is, I, I don't have a clearance now. I am. I none of this has anything to do with any kind of classified knowledge I have at all. This is all kind of open source stuff. But um, one is, look, the state of commercial imagery itself is pretty sophisticated so even if they just have plain commercial imagery th that compared for example to what we had during in our satellites during the cold war is is infinitely better um the second is is you you have to kind of presume that anything that you have the chinese have stolen so um if you have a technology you you you, you at least have to consider the possibility that the Chinese have stolen it or parts of it and duplicate. The, the, the third thing is, um, uh, is, um, the Chinese are, are, their technology is pretty, pretty good. And, and so we should have no doubt that it is, it is at least is, or better than commercial quality. So I have, I have no doubt that their low earth orbit satellites are really, you know, quite, quite robust and quite capable. You know, here, I mean, this is again was told to me in unclassified setting. And this was a decade ago. China has the capability in space warfare to take our our space offline in 24 hours. And that was 10 years ago. Now, that's before Spacecom. You know, now we pay a lot more attention to the resilience of our space ads and everything else. But I will tell you, if there's one area of competition between the United States and China where it's a real, real-life competition, it's in space. Um, I still, you know, for example, we are still the supreme leader in the world in submarine undersea warfare, and the Chinese can't touch us. Um, I, I would argue our our air forces are are still superior. Um, you know, I, I would say in ground warfare we could probably kick their butt. They're, I think, rising up to become at least a regional pillar competitor and in the sea but operationally at sea and we'll see how long that takes them but i would say in space right now there are equal they have only a green uh green water navy right whereas america is a blue water navy i think they would have well there's a couple of un, uh, unknowns with the chinese first of all um they've never really done serious power projection you know they've got bases in dubai and these other things so they're trying to extend their ability to do operations at a distance um that but but they're not in the league in the united states the other thing is this and i and i think this is really important they've never fought a war that's true and, well, since, and i think that's a big deal you know you have to remember and and you know and always lingering in the background and i gotta i gotta run guys but always lingering in the background for the chinese is the experience of of the war in korean war um you know when the chinese jumped in 
you know, the, originally they made a lot of progress pushing back the Americans, but then they got their ass completely kicked. They made a cool movie about it, though, where they win. Yeah. Right. I mean, they did good <laughs> in the first time, but, you know, because we'd overextended and they pushed us back, but then they got decimated and, and discovering, you know, a, a lot of what the, the Russians had discovered in Ukraine, that their military was not well-trained, it's not well-prepared. And again, their ground forces, you know, you, all they do is they have fistfights with the, 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 uh, the Indians on the, in, in, in the Kashmir, mountains. Yeah. But yeah, but, um, well, on the border with, with China and India, but they, 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 and I don't think we can, can dismiss you know, actual having serious operational practice, what that really says about how how good a military is. But I want to thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me. I'm sorry I got to run, but um, this is awesome. Please have me back. Thanks for time, man. Awesome. Thanks. Well, well thanks a lot. Yeah, we do have. Yeah, Jim, oh, Sebastian, great. thanks a lot for, for bringing James on. And we are trying to bring Gordon Chang on as well. Thanks a lot, Sebastian, for, for uh, connecting us. I will go to Austin to add on. Aaron, I'll go to you right after Austin. Just to add on what – and Patrick, if you want to add on to what um, um, what James was mentioning, because uh, I'm just adding it all into a thread. Any other points you want to add on to what was said um, or any anything you want to um, disagree with? Yeah, I would just say, so a couple of, of brief points here. The first I would say is, so, I mean, the Air Force did decide to use, did decide to use the F-22 platform to intercept this. Um, that being said, I mean, the greatest sort of assets that the F-22 has is its, you know, its maneuverability, its electronic suite, its stealth capabilities, stuff like that. You know, altitude itself, it performs at about the same as like an F-15 would in regards to its, its service ceiling. The only real difference there is it has the ability to conduct tactical maneuvers at higher altitudes than most other um, aircraft that can reach that high. Uh, on top of that, so there there was a, a thought that was sort of posited about, you know, did the Chinese kind of just think that they could get away with this? And if we look at sort of the previous sort of balloon incidents that are now being reported on that previously weren't, you know, in, over the Pacific and Guam, um, even other ones coming over to the U.S., I, I think I, I don't think it's a um, or I would say it's a fair sort of assumption to, you know, if you're if you're an intelligence agency or you're making a decision like that, you've gotten away with doing something five times out of five. Why not, you know, try the sixth? Um, and if, if we look at that historically, right, uh, a lot of times when intelligence gathering platforms or equipment are used in a in a uh, in a covert way, I mean, obviously, they're not being talked about the public, but the moment that a large-scale overt incident happens, there's sort of a, a large public outcry about it. And I think a really good example of this is uh, the United States' use of U-2 spy planes during the Cold War, right? When when we were running U-2 runs over the Soviet Union, over communist China, over Cuba in the 60s, um, before there was the incident where uh, Gary Powers was shot down, there wasn't much, you know, being covered in the press about the U-2. Obviously, the Soviets didn't want to talk about it because, you know, even if they could observe them, they, they had serious difficulty in trying to bring them bring them down. But the moment one did come down, it was, you know, it was a massive diplomatic crisis. And I think what we're looking at right now is, you know, like I said previously, these balloons, these balloon incidents have happened before. It's been sort of kept under wraps. It's been classified. But now that it's in the public eye, we're having to play sort of catch up on it. Can I just uh, Austin, in? I want to, yeah, be, be, Catherine, do you mind if I do one quick thing with Austin before you chime in and I'll give you an hour in the mic? Just to, to, to take me just a minute. Uh, is that okay, Catherine? Yeah. I just want to uh, quickly, uh, Austin, I'm just going to go through the points that I took down with our discussion from James. I think it will be the audience as well, it'll be a good summary. 
Um, and correct me, I want to get your if, you, if there's anything you want to add to it or anything you want to disagree with on, on uh, uh, through these points. I've just simplified it. So the balloon was likely spotted a while ago, not shot down, likely not to upset the relationship with China. It's unlikely to be a dry run for a biological weapon. It could have been a psychological move by China just to kind of uh, ruffle some feathers um, and also test the U.S. response. Oh, there it is. Yeah, maybe this was a test on U.S. Uh, military capabilities. It is highly unlikely to be a weather balloon. The balloon was spotted as it was emitting information, likely encoded. And uh, the the way it was an in-your-face type uh, information gathering uh, mission is a bit surprising. And last two points is um, China's satellite network capabilities are possibly the same level at the same level as the U.S. And how the U.S. are leaders in, in on the ground, in the sea, in the air, but um, in space, it's relatively equal. So the these are the key points that I got. Yeah, these are the key points I got, Austin. Anything you want to add before I know, I know Catherine and Aaron? I'd like to ask for a, while. a question to everyone in the audience. What happens if China decides to send, say, uh, half a dozen more balloons to the United States? Uh, what's what's the response going to be like? Well, well, I mean, I think we've actually well established that, you know, by talking to each other and going over the data, that it doesn't appear that, you know, a single balloon is going to do a ton of sort of intel gathering that other assets wouldn't be able to do easier and more efficiently. Um, if, if we're going to, you know, purely talk about symbolism here and talk about, you know, that line of thinking, then there's, you know, nothing really stopping, you know, us from sending 12 balloons over there with smiley faces and even larger cameras, right? Um, I, I think what, what's key here is one thing I would add to those points that you mentioned, Mario, is I think, you know, it's very clear that the DOD and NORAD were tracking this thing for a while, right? Um, what could have developed... What makes you say... Alaska. Hold on, Austin. What yeah, makes yeah, you say it's very clear? Oh, because they said so. They, they said it was over Alaska. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, okay. I, don't think, I, I don't think there's any argument that NORAD all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about an institution that tracks multiple, you know, airspace, um, airspace penetrations on a, on a daily to weekly basis. I, I don't think there's anything, anything particular about this balloon that would make it, you know, fly under the radar, so to speak, pun intended. Um, but I, I do think there could have been sort of a, a game day decision in regards to when the DOD knew that the average person on the ground is going to look up in the sky and see this balloon. And I think that does change the strategic calculus there as opposed to other balloons that may have been hidden from public view, both literally and uh, on the information space. But also, I'm just I'm just confused why they let it fly over sensitive locations. But Catherine, I'll, I'll give you the mic. That'll be my question, but I'll give the mic to Catherine before you yeah, respond. I, I, think, uh, I, think, I think we can debate that all day long, but I think it's pretty clear that it was tied to Blinken's visit to China, and they didn't want to ruffle any feathers. Yeah, but like the, 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 the yeah, but still letting it fly over such I locations know, bad, again. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's just, no, I'm Obviously not saying it's pretty bad. bad. Like they're yeah, not, but, yeah, but they're, they're, they're not. This, though. We've already made it clear that it was because they, you can go onto Google and find these sites pretty easily. So the, no, but what was what about the argument? What about the argument? But what about the argument that the, the 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 balloon was also there to intercept communications as well? You know, so you know, so Mario, I think the reason why is that is that they managed to jam. Like that, that's what I shared earlier, right? From Jim Shooter from CNN. That's what I thought. Yeah, they jammed and blocked its ability to communicate back intelligence, and so it literally was just a balloon flying in U.S. airspace. But they managed to like stop 
the intelligence collection's ability. So like, oh, it's just a balloon flying. Why are we going to shoot it down with the risk? I think that's the justification, right? That, that, that they did that. Hence, it reduced even the, the, the least the amount of intelligence capability that it had. And then they shot it down when there was no risk, zero absolute risk of civilian casualties. That you makes know, that makes that one for me makes more sense. I, that I one just, clicks. I, 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 say, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I just I, throw I, in here. There, there's no sense at all to the argument that it was going to harm civilians. Let, let's just let's back up a little bit, and I, I just want to refocus a little bit on what Gorka brought up earlier: the fact that uh, Bill uh, that uh, uh, Gates, not Bill Gates, the the former Gates, uh, Robert Gates, did mention at one time. The incapability and uh, of, of Joe Biden to really make sense of anything. Joe Biden is one of the most is a prevaricator. He he's slow to move. He doesn't understand things. This isn't just now that he seems like he's got cognitive incapabilities or whatever. And people talk about he's always been this way. He's indecisive. I am convinced that when they knew this was there, he had no freaking clue what to even do about this because he knew the, he wanted the Blinken thing to happen. And so th- he was just twiddling his fingers or maybe not even engaging on it out of fear to be candid. And this is the kind of thing that the Chinese are very good about is, is they just take the long game of looking at how people react, engaging it. And that may have been the intention all along, but whether it was the intention with this balloon, that's what they got. And they just got a deep bit of information. They know that Joe Biden really has problems. Hey, Jim, I have a question for Mark. you. What, what, uh, do you do mind? Do you mind? Uh, yeah, Aaron, I'll just uh, quickly, Aaron, go. And I, I'm bringing Catherine back up. I'll let Aaron go, then yourself, Ed, if that's okay. Uh, well, you're right after. Aaron, actually, go ahead. I'll defer to, to Ed um, to ask his question of, of Jim, and then I'll go after. No, no, and, and I, I mean, like, right. this is a question like for the whole panel. Like, what would the appropriate response to this be? Like in your minds, what do you think the appropriate response on the U.S. end would be to this? Say that one more time, Jim. Did you want to respond? Yeah, to that say one? that one more time. I just make sure I understood. Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, you and others. What do you think the appropriate response from the White House or from the U.S. government should be here? Well, so I think uh, you don't have to say a word, and you shoot the damn thing out of the sky. Like, let's be, let's keep it very, just down to brass tacks here. A foreign country um, is flying a, although they claimed it was otherwise before, but is flying a non-commercial, whether it's a balloon or an aircraft, into your space where there's no absolute understanding that it has anything but a military purpose. It's a balloon. You shoot it out of the sky. I mean, you have to be aggressive on that level. Now, Chinese aircraft fly in here because... You have commercial uh, aircraft, uh, you know, that are bringing passengers from the mainland. Okay, so yeah, obviously you're not doing that. But when it's this sort of thing, you need to treat it belligerently, whether, however uh, innocuous its use is, because you have to make a case for that that is just not acceptable in the international scene. Now, of course, we do some similar things, and I get all that, but the point is that that's how you deal with these international... This is an international relations issue, and you have to use basic constructs to deal with that. When you have weakness in that sphere, then you breed problems, and that's why I think it should have been quick and absolute. Yeah, this strikes me as the... uh... Chinese Communist Party communicating with the leadership 
class in the United States and also gauging what our response might be. But whatever three-dimensional chess uh, China was operating with when they floated this balloon, I wonder if we could Google Earth up, because I have a question for anyone on the panel, sort of following up on Sebastian's point that China really is thinking long-term strategically. And if you look at the history of China, uh, they've tended to be insular. They've tended to be suspicious of the West. They've always adopted Western technology and, you know, reverse engineered it. They've been happy to do that. But uh, Western ideas, values, uh, systems of liberal democracy and so forth. You don't see that in the the history of the Chinese empire. Um, But uh, the flip side of that is that they have not shown a lot of interest in territorial expansion. So my question has to do with their long-term goals, because it seems absolutely clear to me that Sebastian's right, that China is interested in being not a world power, the world power, uh, certainly economically. Um, but d- does that also involve um, an intention toward territorial expansion, which seems to sort of run contrary to their, their historical trends? But on the other hand, you have you have the Chinese Communist Party adopting Marxism, which is a universalist ideology, um, you know, to its very core. They've tailored it in their own ways. They've uh, they've shown that um, capitalism is not necessarily uh, does not necessarily coincide with liberal democracy. They some people have called it capitalism with Chinese characteristics. Some have called it uh, communist capitalism, but they have their own thing going there. So, so with, I really uh, like so to speak to, the, with the way that to a couple of points, there, Aaron. Um, for one, um, to the I think personally that Blinken shouldn't have cancelled his trip. Um, this was a mistake because you could have won this round for two reasons. One, go to China. Put them on the back foot, which they already were yesterday. The statement that they come out. It's very rare for the Communist Party, particularly the Standing Committee, which is the highest echelon of the entire thing, to release statements where they admit, you know, to well, screw ups like this. So Blinken goes. He puts them on the back foot and he makes it even more clear, uh, you, you know, that the American government is not going to be uh, intimidated or coerced or whatever it is, co-opted into, uh, you know, through rather weird means of surveillance, right? Yeah, assert your dominance, but, assert your sovereignty. Yeah, exactly. You know? or, shoot, the, shoot the damn balloon down and then go there. And yeah, Ian, like, hey, if I can finish my point, you guys please, do? Um, so, you know, yeah, I totally agree yeah, with you. Okay. I mean, like, I'm not disagreeing if you're here. No, at no, all. I yeah. know. I just, I just want to, uh, like, yeah, yeah, no. Okay. Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll let you make the point because I do want to go to Patrick while after he's been waiting for a while. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point I'm trying to get to is that one, you either force the Chinese to accept Lincoln and that makes them look rather foolish, or it forces the Chinese to cancel the visit uh, and it makes them look foolish. Either way, the Chinese are look, made to look rather stupid on the international stage. And then, Aaron, to your more specific point, I wouldn't necessarily agree that the the Chinese don't have territorial expansionist uh, ideals. Uh, the skirmishes between India and China have been over Tibet. They've got some interests in Kashmir. They've also always been interested in some islands um, further east near Japan. Um, and then you've obviously got Taiwan. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that the Chinese have a sort of unique approach to international foreign policy like that. Um, and I would also just point out that this this whole idea of 
economic capitalism systems with a sort of state political entity is something that has been, you know, worrying people for a long time. But they're not really any more communist. They're, they're an authoritarian regime that run through a very, you know, centralized vertical structure. So it, it's not really a, a communist party anymore. It's just everything it says on the tin. But it's much more of a, you know, centralized uh, right wing, almost fascist in some ways. It, I would call it fascist, yeah, and they, they definitely have um, interests in uh, in taking over territory that does not belong to them. Look at the uh, uh, the dotted line, right? The, uh, the the line that they have drawn around the South China the Sea, and they're line. claiming that the nine dash line. Thank you. Yeah, the one that they have, you know, they're claiming territory that belongs to Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, and of course Taiwan. You know, they they certainly have interest in that location because of all the oil there. So, you know, the idea that they're just not expansionists is completely false. And I want to go quickly before going to TJ, TJ and Patrick. I want to go to you guys, but before that, Rose alerts. Is there any updates? The team is telling me there's nothing new since they shot it down. They're just trying to gather some pieces, whatever is on the ground, some of the debris. Um, uh-huh. Anything else on your end before we go to TJ yeah. and Patrick? Yeah, so officials just announced that there's a seven-mile debris field in the sea of water or in the ocean, so that's pretty much going on right now. So, But, yeah, it's pretty much slow. Well, well, Ross, I, I do want to ask you again, because obviously there was something last night, right? There was a, a, a big uh, storm of, of media on Twitter, especially, that was coming about that uh, about the balloon in Montana. And, you know, people yeah. thinking that, that so, there was a, a... So go ahead. Yeah, sorry about that. So we got very confused, too. Multiple uh, people were de- uh, messaging us on our Twitter feed and our, and our DMs saying that there was a giant explosion. So we quickly reported, um, Fox News was reporting, I was watching the live feed on there. And then things didn't make any sense because people kept saying, oh, a second balloon exploded. And we knew that there was only one balloon that was going over the St. Louis area into the Tennessee. So we were trying to figure out if it was a plane that went down if there was a supersonic jet that flew really fast or could it be was it maybe just a fake video or that's not a fake video um another one of our intel friends messaged us and saying hey check out the page and we found that that it was a marketing stunt because their whole page was just full of uh advertisements about their product so it was just didn't make any sense so well, well, did you so, did you see anything about the? Oh, I don't know who that is. Oh, um, continue speaking, uh, Nick. It's a okay, bro. Don't stop. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I, I don't know who that was, but uh, but but Ross, there were uh, there was a statement that had come out from both the sh- the local sheriff's office there in that particular county in Montana, uh, and then a news network that actually interviewed the lady that posted that. Uh, did you see anything about that? I did not. Um, I did hear about the statement that the sheriff and everyone else saying that there was no explosion or no aircraft that went down or balloon that was exploded. So that's what we heard up latest. So, but nothing else. Yeah. So, so TJ, I want to let you jump in briefly to respond to the points that Piotr and I believe Aaron were making earlier, and then I got to jump to Patrick right afterward. Yeah. I mean, just talk. But uh, sorry to interrupt, but we did hear that there was a small power outage near uh, the town and Billings. So, but that could be something completely different. So, it's currently unknown what really happened. 
So yeah. And by the way, Rose Alert, if there's any if there's any up if there's any breaking news, Rose Alert, just interrupt whoever's speaking and tell us what it is. Don't hesitate. Don't don't feel bad. Uh, TJ, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, is I that right? Because there was an update. In terms of um, sorry, sorry. Hold on, guys. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, everyone. Just hold on. If everyone can mute, just two seconds. Intel, do you have any breaking news? I know you tried to jump in a couple of times. Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did post in the nest. So in terms of the balloon that was shot down earlier today, uh, there is a little bit of a follow-up posted by U.S. Fleet Forces, which is the section of the Navy that's kind of in charge of U.S. naval deployments. Uh, they just came out about 20 minutes ago saying that the USS Oscar Austin the USS Philippine Sea and the USS Carter Hall have been deployed to go scavenge through the debris field and recover. Uh, Did we lose Mario? No, no, no. So, no. so Intel, Intel was speaking, Rose. I don't think you can hear him. All right, cool. Thanks a lot for the update, Intel. TJ, go ahead. Yeah, man. I mean, just talking about China's expansionist policies. If that's their goal, they're doing a terrible job at it. I mean, just considering the fact that their their debt was 100% of GDP in the 1990s, and it's now more than 255%. That's a 2017 number. That's the fastest debt growth of any recording country ever. It's much faster than the United States. Further, their people are having significant health problems as well. Looking at the International Diabetes Federation, you look at the United States, we have about 12.5% of the population is the estimated number of people with diabetes, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed. Compare that to China, that's 51.7%. And they don't have the resources to provide insulin for these people either. They have a deeply outdated military, military structure. They don't have the capability to build the body armor by us. Their economic workforce is stunted compared to ours, where 30% of their population is working in farming. And out of those, out of those farmers, 40% of them still use animal power or human muscle to plow, uh, to plow their fields. I, you can also look at the fact that they are aging more rapidly than any society in recorded human history. Further, their fertility rate is anywhere from 1.1 to 1.3. And, I mean, this is all just assuming we believe their numbers. I don't believe their numbers because they're a communist nation and their economies naturally decline. I think that their their health problems, where you look at 90% of China's groundwater is polluted. Breathing in Beijing is the equivalent to smoking 40 cigarettes per day. They also have border conflicts with Vietnam, with India, and I'll go. I'll, I'll tease you. I think you're getting you're getting deeper to the. I want to add this as a note because that was part of the next segment we're going to continue. So I want you to hold that point because I want to finish off the discussion about the balloon itself. Uh, but you seem to know a lot about China, so I'm going to put a note on the agenda to go through these all these different numbers and the point you're making right after uh, we finish the discussion about the balloons, the three balloons. Is that okay, TJ? Sure, absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Um, Patrick, I want to go to you very briefly, just to continue the discussion about the three balloons and the points that were made earlier by James. Um, um, anything you'd like to add, because I know I was asking you that same question about 30 minutes ago. Anything you'd like to add? Anything we missed? And um, I would like to get a bit more context on the other two balloons. Like, how, how does it, from no balloons a week ago to now three balloons, um, and is there any reason to be concerned on a? I know I asked you this question already, but when you start, when you add the other two balloons to the discussion, does that increase the the likelihood of being concerned? And and what can you tell us about the, those other two balloons? Well, just briefly, uh, Ian I never. There. By the way, Patrick, Patrick, just quick question. I never thought we'll be having a discussion about balloons here in Twitter Spaces, <laughs> but here we are talking about balloons. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, just briefly, uh, Ian really ran down a good good list of the Chinese border conflicts. I'd add this to it. 
They are also very, very aggressive about securing mineral resources around the globe. And they do this in a variety of ways. They're also very aggressive. They've started to be very aggressive about securing areas from which they may base military forces out of in future. They have a tracking station in Argentina. They're looking at putting a port. Um, probably they're, they're looking at trying to put a port in Argentina. They've had, they have a base in Africa. And th- this is an expansionist power. There's no doubt about it. As far as the balloons, shoot them down. I, I get James' point about collecting SIGINT. That's great. You can do all of that you want right up until they reach the 12 nautical mile limit, and then you and then you splash them. The, the U.S. has got to enforce its own sovereignty. It has to, because I, I, I think it was James who was, who was laying this out. They respect strength. The second you try to be accommodating, they do see it as a weakness. They do see it as an opportunity and an opening. As far as the other two balloons, uh you know, I'm, I'm going to be a good analyst and say, I, I don't know. Is it possible they released all these things at the same time? Yeah. Um, is it possible they have a specific operation in mind for them? Yes. What is it? I, I don't think I, I don't think we know yet. Patrick, Patrick, I just got this. Uh, someone just sent me this Forbes article. I was going to read out the heading. Yes. So they said this the following. Uh, there were in 2019, there were two balloons over the USA. Do you know about that incident and the, high, uh, the headline of uh, Forbes? Yes, Chinese spy balloons flew over the U.S. when President Trump was in office. Obviously, they're politicizing it. But without politicizing the discussion, because I don't care about the politics yes. right now. Um, do you know much about the two balloons back in 2019 and how that compares to this story? Does anyone know? Can anyone give us a comparison between the two incidents? Well, and we have a former member of the cap of uh, the uh, Trump administration. I'm with Sebastian. Oh, Sebastian be still on. Too. Yeah, Sebastian. Uh, yeah, perfect. Sebastian, uh, do you know what the the reports they're referring to? Okay. He might be away. Yeah, yeah I, I think he might be away. That these these kinds of things happen often. The Russians have done flybys in British space. Uh, they do this in Alaska. Balloon, oh, no, balloon, balloon flybys? Uh, balloon well, balloons, uh, reconnaissance aircraft, um, you know, anything of a... Wasn't one, wasn't a, a US reconnaissance aircraft was shot down by Russia a few years ago or by China? It was, no, it was by China. No, it was Iran. No, it was Iran. 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 It was Iran. And then you also had a yep. fighter jet shot down in, um, in Syria, but those aren't reconnaissance aircraft. They're, uh, they're for different purposes. And, and again, it's very different. Mario, you... Balloon, so. You you may be thinking of the uh, P three that collided with the J eight. Yes, yeah, the collision, yeah, and they held the the they held the the, the 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 pilots were held in China for a while and they were interrogated. Right. Correct? Yeah, cool. That's right. Sure, I, I knew I wasn't going crazy. Technology. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, what you say is that these incidents are relatively common, but I'm I'm just I was just a bit surprised, especially when people are politicizing it. And again, I, that's not my intention of mentioning this. Um, and whenever we politicize it, I try to move away. But uh, just that there is balloons in 2019, because that kind of moves away from the discussion that this was a psychological move by China. Um, and having balloons is very unusual. If that happened in 2019, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the article quickly. Nick, I'll give you the mic. Let me read the article um, and, and then probably give a bit of context on how this compares to what happened in 2019. Um, so, Nick, maybe I'll give you the mic for a bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, all sorts. You just came back up. Uh, what, do, what do you think about what you've heard here over the past, uh, say, 15 minutes or so? No, I mean, again, again I think I think, you know, there, there could be a legitimate criticism of, of this administration for not shooting it down immediately in the moment in entering U.S. airspace. I, I'm not going to 
deny that that's not a legitimate question. But unless, but also, also, yeah. uh, unless, unless what James mentioned that they could have, inter- if, if they, 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 they intercepted its ability, or they, they, the, the, the device was not allowed, was not able to, to send any information to China, and they managed to block those abilities, then it, then it's not, not a big deal if they let the balloon fly. Maybe they let it fly for a while before announcing that they know about it. China thinking that the US knows about it, they've blocked the, they, they've blocked the data, uh, you know, the ability for the device sent data to China. So I'm just saying it could be a lot more complex no, than, yeah, hey. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, no. The relationship. Absolutely, 100%. Like, it, it's a very complex issue. I, I just, you know, and, and I think, you know, what the administration did, like, I, let me put it this way. I can understand people in criticizing the US administration for saying you did not shoot it down immediately when it violated U.S. national sovereignty, right? Sovereign airspace. But I can also understand the Biden administration's perspective and point on what we've seen in open press is like, hey, we just didn't want this to go spread across the continental U.S., causing either property damage, damage anywhere or killing or, you know, the civilian casualty. Like, like I think, you know, th- again, this isn't just black and white. I think, you know, anybody, especially in office that takes an action and takes a decision, right? Let's say the president of the United States has the, uh, at the end of the day, is the, is the, uh, the highest authority to make decisions for the U.S., right? And, and so ultimately the buck stops with him. He has the highest level of responsibility. And as such, he's, you know, you can criticize the decision and those are legit criticism, right? I think you can criticize from the administration for saying, hey, you didn't shoot this immediately when it violated U.S. airspace. And you can for saying, well, you know what? You blocked it. You were concerned about civilian casualties and then you shot it down in South Carolina and now you're trying to get it, right? I, again, I don't think this is, you know, I think the criticisms and praise are both valid. You can view it both sides and, and the arguments aren't wrong, right? I think this is just a very a more complex issue that you know in both the criticism the praise there's probably right and there could have been something in the middle um and and again i think i think maybe the uniqueness of this is is just the i think as i think austin has alluded to this a lot is just the the, the publicity of it right i think the, the public knowledge and the shock that kind of caught a lot of people by surprise and, and you know, it's, you know, because a lot of us who who served or, or deployed overseas, I mean, stuff happens all the time around the world, and ninety nine point nine percent of it we never know about it, right? I mean, this is the fact of the life, and that's that's how government operate. But I think my comment just ends up saying I think both praising or criticizing the administration actions here is valid. The, the, it's not um, crazy, and it's just you know you just have to view it. At what is in the end but, of it? But it's hard. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's it's just hard. It's hard because we don't know much. Can I? I'm yeah. going to read out read this out to you. The article is not that long, so oh, I'm going to read a piece that matters. So about the, the balloons in 2019, talking heads on cable TV are up in arms about the Chinese spy balloon, blah, blah, blah. The Chinese government's claims, okay, uh, was first spotted, but I can get by my – okay, I can nearly guarantee you that the balloon would not still be flying if we were still there. Okay, they're trying to pull it. That's Mike Pompeo saying this. Okay. Um, all right, instances – okay, there we go. So instances of this kind wrong. of balloon – sorry? I said he's not wrong. If, if it was yeah, Trump, but, uh, Trump would have shot the damn thing down. I, I don't know. Didn't. Again, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, uh, this is tw- but this is but this is in 2019. Instances of this kind of balloon activity has been observed previously over the past several ye- several yeah, several years. Over American soil, press you know. secretary Pat Ryder. No, hold on. I think, but several reports have been published in the past two days that give us a better sense of why when spy balloons operated by new Cold War adversaries have sailed into U.S. airspace. So Bloomberg on Friday said that Chinese balloons flew over the U.S. while Tr- uh, President Trump occupied the White House. Quote, the balloon spotted this week over Montana was not the first time the U.S. has detected Chinese balloons over their territory, with previous incursions occurring during the Trump administration. That's by Bloomberg. But an unnamed source from the Trump administration insisted to Bloomberg that in that same article that it wasn't a big deal. Quote, one top national security official from the administration of former President Donald Trump said none of the Chinese spy balloons were near sensitive sites or had payloads as large as this one appears to carry. So just saying that this one is larger than previous ones. Just yeah, this one's fucking massive. 
Yeah, so Sebastian's back with us. Yeah, yeah, Sebastian. Exactly. We were asking you that question earlier, Sebastian. I think you were not on your phone. But yeah, we'd love it. Can you tell us more about those incidents? Yeah, I, I wasn't in the White House and I wasn't briefed on those incidents. That's after I left. But let's, again, uh, is, I, whoever was talking earlier about, you know, it's not black and white and it's something in the middle. No, absolutely not. You, you've got to put it in the context of the last four years. Uh, you know, the four years of the Trump administration, what was happening geopolitically, and the last two years of the Biden administration. That is the context. Don't focus on one balloon, one incident in a four-day period. You have to put it in the last two years. So, so when we were in the White House, we said America is back. We're going to lead from the front, no apology tour. We said our allies have to pull their weight, NATO has to get serious, and if you threaten us, and President Trump was very explicit. He said, basically, we're going to turn you into a sheet of, a cl- a sheet of glass. If little Kim threatens us, we're going to take decisive action. We're going to kill Soleimani. We're going to turn him into red mist. When there's 300 Wagner Group operatives working for Putin in Syria, we're going to kill all of them in one mission. Never happened before in American history that more than 200 Russian mercenaries were killed with our weapons in another country, and Putin doesn't even react. What do we have in the last two years? We have the antithesis. We have a return to waffle, piffle, uh, the global commons, uh, NATO's great, don't insult Russia. And then Sebastian, we- just, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Sebastian, just four minutes ago, China's foreign ministry said, expresses strong dissatisfaction at opposition towards the U.S. use of force to attack the airship. Just well, they, they, this, they, they, they ha- they, yeah, they have to say that. They, they have to say but that. For them, it's I'll the give you the weather. mic, Piotr. I'll give you the mic in a bit, Piotr, right after this is a, Go know, ahead, the, the, Their, their ever-changing narrative was, you know, first it was a weather balloon, now it's you know, it's it's something else. So the, the point is, what have we seen in two years? We've seen uh, a disastrous loss of Afghanistan, the only strategic airfield that we had in the region. There's no over-the-horizon capabilities. You can fly from a UAV, you know, field in Arizona that's going to let you hover over Central Asia. We have 13 uh, Marines and uh, one corpsman and one you know, Green Beret killed, uh, you know, by yeah, uh, Afghan ISIS affiliates as we're leaving that, that, that strategic asset. And then we have what? We have the second invasion of Ukraine. The context isn't, oh, well, well there might have been balloons under the Trump administration. No, there is a weak administration that goes back and forth, flip-flops on you know, the MiGs for the, the F-16s for Poland and the MiG deal says we're going to give you Abraham's tanks, but you're going to have to go through the, the regular procedure. It's going to take you more than nine months to do so. So here, again, we don't know the capability of this balloon. It is a massive balloon. It's not steerable. It's not chemical weapons. It's not biological weapons. It's not COVID. But it's the reaction. This is, this is I think somebody DM'd me. This is the ferret. This is the lure. They want to see the reaction. It's like the old Russian saying, you push the bayonet into the belly of your enemy until you feel resistance. They are seeing whether there is any resistance. And it took days and days for there to be any resistance. This is in the broader context of a relatively new administration and China testing the waters 
after Afghanistan and after the war in Ukraine. That's how this, wherever you stand politically, I don't care. I'm not interested in where you stand politically, but you have to put this in the correct geopolitical and geostrategic context of the last two years and then the prior four years. Uh, so, so TJ, I want to I want to bring you in on this real quick. I'll let you respond to Sebastian. Hey, Nick, I know you're going to want to do the same thing, Fielder. So, real quick, just kind of breaking news. Go for it. Up in the uh, up above there, I, and this is not verified, but someone apparently not, not hearing anything. HD footage of the uh, blue. It's uh, so Seb. Yeah. Just Seb, hold on, hold on, Nick, hold on, Jim. Uh, Seb, uh, Jim is speaking. It's okay. Can't hear him. He uh, uh, he's just sharing some breaking news that he's pinned above. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I just pinned above the. Uh, a video which yeah, is uh, report reputed to be the uh, balloon being blown up um, whenever they took it down. I, it's not verified, obviously, but it looks it looks accurate. Ah, oh, perfect. Thanks for sharing. Uh, go ahead, Nick. You were giving the mic to TJ. Sure, I handed the TJ and then Pielter. So go ahead, TJ. Yeah. So my concern about the notion that we have to be immediately tough with every single international scuffle is that it elevates these threats. I mean, the main thesis of what I was pointing out regarding the facts behind how China has horrific health, horrific demographics, horrific military preparedness, and a horrific economy is that if we give them that attention, it makes it look like they are a dire threat. And simply put, I don't think that they are. Now, this balloon is another thing. That's our airspace. We should have shot it down upon immediately seeing it because that is our airspace. If anyone does that, if there's any invasion on the United States, absolutely shoot it down. Now, the problem, though, is, is that searching for monsters abroad, as John Quincy Adams described it, it makes those monsters seem like a bigger threat. I mean, the fact is, is that, yes, China is probably the second largest economy, if we believe their numbers. It's probably the second best military, if we believe their numbers on that. But uh, once again, I don't believe their numbers, because here's the thing. If we make the claim that China is a strong economy or a strong military, we're kind of conceding that communism works in a way. Um, I'm not ready to make that concession. Most uh, most communist nations go down on their own. And as I was pointing out with the fact that more than twice of China's GDP is their debt now, that is a stunning demonstration that their economy is, shamble- is in shambles. I mean, th- what that really says that restraint is prudent, if anything, and, and this is largely inspired by the central thesis of uh, Michael Beckley, who was a uh, scholar for the Kennedy School in his book, Unrivaled, Why America Will Remain the World's Sole Superpower, is that the main danger is really doing too too much rather than too little when it comes to China. Because you do too much, you put yourself yourself into a position where they now all of a sudden are obligated to escalate even further. You're we, like, this is one of those things like we should have shot this down, but I don't think this is a huge situation. So, so TJ, can I, yeah, I, 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 I got to respond here because, because this is, you know, not a representation of what we did in the Trump administration. We, we, we weren't neocons. I mean, the reason president Trump was elected is because he said no more stupid wars that this is, this is, you know, this is the sad reality of, of conservative national security thinking that for, you know, since since the departure of Reagan, you had you had a binary option. It, it was either, um, you know, neo Buchananite Tucker Carlson isolationism, and you know the rest of the world can go hang itself, or we don't care, 
or you have to invade everywhere that you think is a threat and turn them into quote unquote democracies at the end of a gun barrel, which is the, you know, the Bush neocons. And, and what we did when we came in is we said, you know, strength, you know, you know, a peace through strength, neo Reaganite philosophy with no dumb wars and ending the dumb wars and getting out of the dumb wars. However, when we saw a threat, to our either our interests or to you know international norms such as the use of uh, chemical weapons against civilians for a second time in Syria we're going to drop 52 cruise missiles on your air force if we see you know 300 russians running around you know Syria we're going to whack them because we don't want you destabilizing the middle east even more than it already has been destabilized so th- this is this is a you know this is a false dichotomy what you've painted we weren't searching for monsters abroad it was actually the opposite it was stopping the stupid wars but when necessary showing force but very very judiciously so you can't paint the America First Trump administration is neoconservative. I want that on the record. Oh, I'm not, yeah, I have I'm to not agree with that wholeheartedly, TJ. And by the way, TJ, I know you're a big fan. Right, of but then who, who are you saying? Who are you? Who are you saying is looking for monsters abroad? Because I wasn't calling for that. Neither was my former boss. I would say that the deep state, like the CIA, particularly has, particularly since Carter. And, and here's the thing: like the the best thing Donald Trump did was not start any wars. And thank God for that. And I'm glad that you were calling for a more restrained foreign policy than I've seen my entire life, Dr. Gorka, like in full disclosure. But what I'm saying is that really when it comes down to it, there is an element of searching for monsters abroad, and, and that's just everywhere. And I don't think that's necessarily the president's decision. I think that the CIA played a huge role in that. These lifetime appointees are really the biggest threat in that. So I'm, I'm not really trying to yeah, pin it you, on the you, Trump administration. You don't, you don't have to lecture me on, on what the deep state wants. So, yeah, we, we can agree on that. So I just want to jump in on this point um, just to contextualize a couple of things about China. Uh, Sebastian brought them up earlier, but I just want to reiterate them. And also something that James mentioned and a question I had for him, but couldn't get to it. Um, You know, China's policy when it comes to foreign relations has changed under Xi. Uh, Up until that point, they had been a little bit more, should we say, passive, more observing, getting ready to be more assertive in their foreign policy. And we've seen this happen in the past 10, 12 years under what the West has coined as wolf warrior diplomacy. So basically, President Xi is very intent on rekindling national rejuvenation to restore the national century of humiliation that the Chinese have felt uh, up until sort of the late 40s. And Taiwan is arguably the pinnacle of that achievement. And President Xi is obviously going to pass at some point, and he wants to be the man who uh, rekindles all of this. But there's a couple of points to what TJ has also raised, which quite interesting in that China does have a systemic problem. Its demographics are not good. The one-child policy that has dominated the Chinese domestic situation for the past 40, 45 years has made the country completely lopsided. And as I've said this before, the working dependency ratio of the elderly population and the younger population is increasing on that of the working population. So you've got a top-heavy, what's known as a population triangle or pyramid, where you've got you know an older b- group of people. It's what you're seeing in Japan, Italy, other parts of Eastern Europe are really struggling with this. And, and But the problem is China's got a really... Demogra- uh, gender-wise, really lopsided. And this puts huge havoc on healthcare, on social security, on just economic output, not to mention the housing estate crisis. Um, about 40% of the houses that people have bought 
don't actually exist. So the housing bubble that happened in America in 2008, multiply that by sort of tenfold in China because of what could potentially happen where one of the main companies is known as Evergrande uh, and it's basically just a, a huge ticking time bomb. So President Xi's got this... Um, balance of trying to stimulate domestic and continued support for the CCP, whilst uh, also retaining control over the economy, over the CCP itself, and the Chinese people. And we can see how the Chinese people felt in September and November when they uh, when they were protesting against the zero COVID policies. And for once, President Xi realized that he has to take a step back on those policies. Uh, and, and, and what has it done? It's, it's given the Chinese people an illustration that protests can work. They can capitulate the uh, the party into well capitulation. So uh, there's a lot of things on China's um, radar at the moment which don't play well into its uh, foreign policy interests or objectives, namely counterbalancing against the United States, dealing with its uh, immediate neighbours like you know India, Japan. It feels contained. There's a lot of things on its plate. And, and the last thing on the balloon point, just to bring back to what we were originally talking about, is um, James mentioned realism, right? Realism is one of the cores and the cornerstones of international relations theory, but there are different subsets of realism and one of them is offensive versus defensive so why has the united states responded in the way that it has versus um what it could have else done right defense is sort of saying that a nation state a country has to defend itself for its own legitimacy whilst offensive is talking about um you know pushing for more national security um needs so uh james's points about how the psyche was playing into biden and the administration's um calculus is is really important because we could have seen a number of different methods uh and we didn't and and and, and this this ability for the Chinese to have sort of basically put the Americans on the back foot, arguably, or make them respond in a very delayed way, uh, will have either emboldened the Chinese or, or made them think, well, if, if they're not going to respond with the balloon, what else can we get away with? So it's uh, we're in a bit of a, a difficult time at the moment and tensions are extremely, extremely high, even before the balloon uh, developments. I'll land that. I, I, I have to second everything Nick just said about the internal challenge. Absolutely spot on. That, this that, is that the... was me. Just gonna that was that was Piotr. So I'm just gonna own that <laughs> compliment yeah. from you, Sebastian. So it's appreciated. Yeah. That... Oh no, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that, everything you just said, Piotr, was correct in terms of the internal dynamics. So this is this is the the, the dichotomy, or this is the catch twenty two that they. they They've set a goal for themselves to be the world hegemon by the 100th anniversary in 2049, but they are incredibly fragile internally, just like Russia is. And, and the lack of natural resources, the, uh, the lack of uh, females in, the, in certain demographics, uh, th this is, you know, in many cases, a, a tightrope balance that may be impossible for she or anybody else to walk so you know th th this is the 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 the, the, inter the the internal fragility of the chinese state cannot be uh overemphasized and and you have to put that into the scenario and that also plays into calculations by the pla as well so yeah spot on spot on I do want to, so Nick, before giving you the mic, just want to say one thing to the audience. Uh, so I haven't asked you. Mario, uh, sorry, Mario, yeah, go ahead, Sebastian. Thank you. Um, you got to get him if you can. Our former defense attache 
in Beijing, uh, General uh, Rob Spaulding. He's also a B-1 stealth bomber pilot. Oh, Sebastian, I, I interviewed him on Thursday. I can I texted him. Yeah. He's not responding. We need to need to get him on. He's he 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 could tell us chapter and verse. So I, you got his number? Yeah. I'll, oh, perfect. Really appreciate. It. I'll give him a text now. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so we, we've texted him as well, Sebastian. It'll be good to get him for the next space that we do on this. Uh, I do want to go to the audience very briefly. If you don't know already, bottom right corner, that purple circle, do share your thoughts with us, questions that you have, because we'll probably do another panel on this very soon about U.S.-China relations. We were planning it for a while. Piotr has been helping us plan it. Um, but we did it obviously today as a quick one just relating to the developments. But if you go to the comment section, I want to get your thoughts um, on what you've heard so far um, and whether this story even concerns you. Um, or it's just a, a quote-unquote nothing burger. Uh, but Jim, any final thoughts, man, before we start wrapping up the space? Yeah, no, I, I don't have anything uh, too big. But just to, to emphasize a point, and Sebastian started to make it earlier, um, you know, China looks out in not just in weeks or months or even two-year cycles. They look out in 10, 25, 50, and 100-year cycles like, they they have extreme weird i can't hear we have extreme patience they have extreme patience and doing something like this is a small part of a long plan typically to figure things out and i think that's a significant aspect of what we are seeing here so anyway i was going to kind of bring that point up i appreciate it piotr any final words um uh, before we wrap up the space i want to give you a big shout out by the way sebastian piotr you were there since the beginning of the space so so thank you for both of you uh, for helping us do this last minute uh piotr you have your hand up i'll give you the final words we'll go to patrick yeah thank you i appreciate that mario this is uh well i mean this is my entire master's thesis is is, is great part play um, I think you know nothing about this stuff. You just pretend. I'm You just watch some. You just watch. You watch some movies and then you come up with stories. <laughs> oh dear, cheeky little shit. Um, I no. I um. I I've texted Robert. What? Did he China is uh, the CCP is the single biggest yeah, threat. Yeah, you're back. You're back. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Piotr. You just dropped out for a bit. You texted Robert and then you stopped. I've texted uh, General Spalding. Um, I'll see if I can get him on. I, I, our, our space took several months to get together. But I did, on the China actual point, I'd just say very quickly, look, the CCP is the single biggest threat uh, that is, it, apart from, you know, other non-human ones, uh, it's, it's major. And, and, and we've got to treat China with respect, whether or not we, we like what they're doing to, say, the Uyghurs or, or, or to Taiwan's treatment. They are a formidable entity. And whilst they have domestic challenges, so do the West. The biggest asset that the United States has is its alliance network. Our friends are not even... Sorry, sorry, Pio, Pio, sorry, sorry, I love you, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Four hours ago, Jack, um, I don't know who that is. Um, sorry to interrupt you, Matt, but it's, I think it's important someone just sent it to me. He's got 1.2 million views, so he did a tweet. This is a senior editor at humanevents.com, veteran Navy intel officer. We should probably invite him, Jack Posobiec. I think we did invite him. Um, yeah, obviously we did. Yeah. Um, but Jack said the following, uh, that was uh, 11.50, that was a few hours ago. Hearing a lot of people say their cell phones are acting weird in areas that spy balloon flew over. Has anyone seen similar reports to this? Does this change uh, the discussion in any way? Uh, anyone can chip in. I'm asking Piotr, of course. Co I, I got back. I got Co uh, he's a former Beach. naval intel guy, but caution with Jack. Um, I, yeah, okay. I got Thanks, Myrtle Beach in South Carolina and they're reporting everything is fine so i don't know if it's just rumor or if it's happening 
Yeah, so, Nick, can you Nick? I'll send you well, the, 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 the Nick. I'll send you through the tweet. I uh, see Intel uh, Schizo is wanting to speak. And Piotr, don't worry, I'll give you the mic again. I know I interrupted you, but I'll give Intel Schizo if you can comment on this. And Nick, I'll send you through the the, the tweet if you could look into it because you're pretty good at digging out information quickly. If that's okay, Nick. Uh, Intel Schizo, do you have any further details on this? And and anyone else that has their hand up, I just if you could just comment on this particular point, and then we'll wrap up afterwards. Patrick Austin. If you can comment on this particular point, please give me a thumbs up so I know while Intel Schizo gives us his thoughts. Intel, go ahead, man. Yeah, so I haven't seen too much on it. Um, my commentary about the uh, the posting, though, I would say there is, a, let's say it's just happening in Montana and not happening in, say, uh, the Carolinas. Uh, there's something that is interesting between those two areas that, uh, the Midwest, a lot of the infrastructure, say the cell towers, the internet providers use Huawei equipment that has not been removed versus other parts of the country do not have that infrastructure in place. So is it necessarily the balloon that caused alleged issues in the Midwest? Who knows? Uh, the balloon was able to fly you know, unharassed for some time over Montana before being followed by a RC-135U for the entirety of the rest of its drift across the United States. Uh, but uh, I want to go to... There are yeah, further uh, reports. So I would awkward. say maybe the infrastructure... Thanks, Intel. Go ahead, Ian. Uh, yeah, I'll, Ian, right after you. Just quickly, yeah. right, right before you go, Ian, just one quick addition I want to add, and I will go to All Source and, and uh, Austin right after Ian. But one thing that I've had, is, uh, Sebastian said caution with Jack. I had someone else message me, the same, someone I respect message me the same thing. I don't know why. I don't know Jack. But yeah, go ahead, Ian. Uh, a quick addendum to the point about the balloon uh, in areas where they're, uh, you know, they're, they may be experiencing difficulty with their cell phone coverage or whatever. It is entirely possible that that could be caused, assuming it's happening. I'm not saying it is, right? But assuming it is, uh, it could be caused by, uh, you know, uh, by efforts to shut down the balloon's transmission, right? That's a good point. Right. That was that was one of the things that, that we were just about to bring up here. Um, oh, I've looked through uh, outage information from both Verizon and AT&T, which are the two largest cell phone providers in the United States. Um, uh, through going through the path of this balloon, uh, there does not seem to be any uh, large amount of reports uh, from AT&T or Verizon that would indicate that there was any uh, widespread outage issue. Verizon has actually responded to this um, uh, via their Verizon support Twitter account and has said uh, that they are not experiencing any sort of outages in this. So if you can take that as you will, that's from the two major carriers, and that's from research that we've done over the past two and a half minutes. And, so. and by the way, breaking, oh, thanks, uh, breaking alert, Raw's you. Alerts uh, put out a uh, map of the debris field where they think around uh, Myrtle Beach that that yeah, happened. He, pinned it, pinned he, it pinned, he, told, he told us. Yeah, he pinned it an oh, hour sorry, ago. Uh, not an hour ago, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, all good, all good. Uh, oh, good. Uh, so I'll go to uh, 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 All Source and, and Austin. You both gave me a thumbs up. You can add on to this uh, uh, this point about uh, the uh, what Jack was saying in his tweet. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't believe cell so. Phone, uh, cell phone uh, network connection. Cell phones acting weird. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't believe so because I mean this is the main thing, right? So a lot of times when you look at uh, platforms that carry intelligence capabilities, a lot of them also have dual use for jamming, right? But those are two completely separate 
mission sets, right? You have what's called electronic warfare jamming, right? That's one specific mission set that they would utilize in an offensive manner. And by the way, I think that would have been significantly more provocative if China were actually trying to jam and do EW over U.S. territory than just collection. Like EW is a, a, a that that can almost that could be de- almost a, that is a declaration of war because you are you are actively targeting U.S. infrastructure, right? If you look at the blue, hold on, and hold on. so what's got, what's a, yeah, what's EW? Can you uh, like, tell us what e- uh, electronic warfare? warfare. Yeah. So, electronic so when warfare. You look, yeah. So when you okay. have platforms, right, that you have collection, you know, Intel collection, right? So that's your imagery, which is called IMIT, is the acronym imagery intelligence. Basically, so for people to understand, you're taking pictures. SIGINT, signal intelligence, which is uh, absorbing and trying to decipher and collect uh, communications from people. And then you, the other one that, that, you know, there's multiple types of intelligence, but the other one is uh, ELINT, which is electronic intelligence. And what that is, is more. Everything, imagine any uh, data that you can collect that's electronic that is not communication. So a, a, a good example, like a radar, right? So if you have a radar emitting to try to see, okay, what's in our airspace, you send a platform to collect that. This platform, it, you know, if it, you, you, can, you can have kind of dual use in the same system, but everything points that this was 100% utilized and done Image. to do collection. And generally, when you do EW, electronic warfare, there's frequencies and jamming. And so you can specifically target specific frequency that a lot of times civilians don't, you know, utilize when you use your cell phone. That's a specific frequency compared to something else. So in summary, I don't I don't believe that this is a valid uh, a report. This is this is also this is this is actually cool. Like what you just said, like essentially it's like in, in intelligence gatherings, there's like different lines you cannot cross. Like, hey, we don't like you to do any intelligence gathering, but I know it's inevitable. So these things are okay, like general hidden, like uh, unspoken of rules, uh, rules of engagement. It's like you can't do this, you can't, uh, you can do this, you can't do this. This one is is a declaration of war. So what were the three categories again? One of them was uh, EW. Oh, so, electronic so you have various, warfare. yeah, you have various types of intelligence collection, right? So, so I mean, you anybody can Google this, right? You know, uh, like so. Let's say, for example, you have imagery intelligence, imminent. Uh, SIGINT is signal intelligence. That is your interception of communications. You have ELINT, which is electronic intelligence, which is the uh, which is the everything but you know any electronic frequency that gets emitted that is not communication generally falls within the realm of ELINT. So what that means again, as an example, let's say uh, a plane is flying, a plane is you know sending electronic data, and then you collect that. It's like okay, that's where the plane is. Like that that's just a rough explanation. You have ELINT, human human intelligence. Think of your spies. And to your point, Mario, right? Like. We have spies are spies everywhere, and it's, this is the game. Like everybody spies on everybody, that's the game. Just deal with it. Everybody spies on everybody. That that is just a, the game of the world we live in. And okay, okay. So let me let me go live. through them, and this is yeah. this is fun. Okay, so so you got uh, human intelligence, which is like that's okay. That's part of the game. We all do it, and we got if we catch them, we're gonna do a trade later on, like it's happened before. Then you've got electronic intelligence, which is like you know location of certain, like let's say location of military equipment, correct? And is that one considered a, a dec- is like no, no, know, no, that's the line? No, any type of intelligence collection is fair game, as long as you don't like. And, and this on. is kind of where that, I think signal, signal. Can you can you tell me? So, signal intelligence involves what exactly? So, you are calling somebody on your phone, and I intercept that call, and I hear what you're saying. That's 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 a rough estimate. But this is, but this is, isn't that what you said? Is a declaration of war? If no, 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 no. What, no, what, no, what it would be considered a, a kind of like a no. declaration of war. And again, I mean. It's like when Maybe you, I would, when you I'm being start hyperbolic. disrupting I'm being people's hyperbolic. networks, that would be considered a declaration of war. Say like that again, Ian. Down, Say that again. Shut when down you what? shut down people's, you know, phones, when you shut them down, when you when you literally disrupt their infrastructure. When you disrupt, yeah. When you disrupt exactly. When you when you actively disrupt the yeah, operation of an economy. On them, that's not a declaration of war. Everybody does it. 
So information so gathering is fine. Disruption. So, so, so it, also a simplification is yeah. information gathering is fine. Disruption is crossing the line. I mean, people do it. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm being hyperbolic. I, what I was trying to say is like this Chinese balloon was going over to the U.S. and wherever it goes, cell tower started to just break. I mean, I think you can then imagine how that would have crossed the red line. You know, militaries have EW capabilities, electronic warfare. The other one is cyber. And that's kind of more of a gray zone where they go in and, you know, we all know hacking. Uh, but EW is basically designed when you're going in to try to jam electronic equipment, either be a radar, communication, et cetera. If this balloon was going in through the U.S. over Montana and was jamming everything and now people didn't have cell phones, I think that at that point we would have seen a response a lot quicker and then we would have had a lot severe response. Intelligence collection is kind of this game where – and this is kind of where the administration kind of said, like, look, this balloon has the same capability as their satellites. Satellites are, you know – just hey welcome to the new 21st century they're going to take pictures of you just get over it that's kind also, of a, a, a quick question for you. Like how 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 possible is it that this is this story is a lot worse than what we're making it out to be um and i know it looks unlikely to me but what's the likelihood that this could be something significantly more serious that's being kept under wraps which is i know is like i don't want to go down the conspiracy path i'm not going that well, extreme unlikely. but I think, I mean, like, I think, how I think given, given how many OSINT people are involved in, in you know open source intelligence people are involved in in finding out what's going on I, I don't think that's the case at all i think we would have seen a lot more indications that that would be the case if you know if we actually had evidence for it yeah i, I would agree with ian i think this was because it was such in public nature i mean again i'm not going to say 100% because the government is capable of doing a lot of things and under the wraps and not denying it. But I think Ian brings up an excellent point. And oh, by the way, this flew through the US where everybody has a cell phone, everybody can look up and be like, Oh, there's a balloon. I mean, and this is kind of the crazy thing. This is an international incident, which maybe happened 60 years ago, we wouldn't have that much footage. And like, literally every single day, we were live tracking this. And, and I think I, I watched this in the news, somebody made up a good example. This was kind of like the NORAD Santa tracker on Twitter. Like, we were live tracking this. So I think Ian brings up a good point. It's hard to really put this under wrap. Lost you guys. Did I disconnect? What's going on? I don't, I don't know what's going on. Oh, I was talking. Okay. <laughs> I was just talking with my mic. Oh, you muted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just quickly. Yeah. Just quickly. So, so the reason that uh, Jack's account, so Sebastian's like, careful what Jack posts. Um, so someone's telling me that he posts things that are not confirmed. He asks um, like questions. Someone... He asks questions and a lot of people, you know, so those are very interesting questions. He asks questions and people take the questions to mean something else, which is the fault of the reader, not necessarily the asker. He, he asks okay. provocative questions and people run with them as if it's reported. Yeah. yeah, that's what they do. And he'll be like, guys, I never said that. I just asked a question. And it's true. He only asks a question. <laughs> Um, all right, so I'll go. I'll go uh, with uh, Austin. Anything else to add to the uh, to the uh, communication disruption before we go to back to Piotr? Yeah, no, I think this is actually another really good example of you know just how um, how hyperbolic these conversations can get sometimes, right? You know, we we've been able to kind of thresh through the the previous reporting of like, could it be a bioweapon? Could it be an EMP? And, you know, within two minutes to five minutes of analysis, it's very clear that that's not the case, right? If we were seeing like mass cell service disruptions, that would have been probably readily apparent far before now. And, you know, as, as Nick sort of commented on what Verizon and AT&T are saying, um, this doesn't appear to be the case at all. 
Uh, but that being said, the fact that, you know, we've, we've talked about it and we've seen this like narrative spread, you know, there's a, there's a quote that's oft attributed to Churchill, but actually kind of derives from Virgil on, you know, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on. Um, but I think an even larger sort of example of this, right, is that we're seeing, we're seeing, we're conducting analysis on whether or not, you know, this balloon could be carrying a WMD. And in this entire conversation, you know, in, in the past week, there have been two major developments in U.S.-Chinese relations. Number one, the fact that Fiji has decided to cancel its uh, mutual security policy with the Chinese on law enforcement. And secondarily, uh, the United States securing access to four um, additional military bases in the Philippines. I would say either one of those instances alone have a larger effect on U.S.-Chinese relations than the balloon does in, in the physical realm. Uh, but the fact that we're, we're talking and we're threshing through, you know, whether or not uh, cell towers have been fried by the balloon is, is I think, really indicative to how powerful uh, the information space has been on, you know, the balloon itself. Yeah, and if I can uh, just go, uh, since you mentioned me, Mario, but um, I really love what uh, Austin said, you know, um, and this is like you were getting a kid in the candy store with the intelligence stuff. This is my uh, kid in the candy store stuff. But, um, you know, China is feeling contained or is feeling a, a sense of containment. Uh, the grand strategy plan that the US and allies did in the Cold War, right, to deal with the Soviet Union, they are trying to do, at least in China's mind, in the South China Sea. Um, and you have a large array of countries that are very angry over the nine dash line that we also touched upon. Uh, Taiwan is arguably the, uh, the crux of that nine dash line element. But, you know, China established a defense pact with the Solomon Islands in the summer of last year, which is a major one, the first of its kind. Um, and the fact that they're trying, the fact that they've lost this out to Fiji with the US is a bonus. You've got Australia for the first time really beginning to take a lead in militarization activities. You've got India on the quad, India, a staunchly neutral power, usually the head of the non-aligned movement in the Cold War. You've got a lot of countries that are increasingly wary of Chinese belligerency. Uh, not so, and again, I want to make this very clear for everyone listening that this isn't me defending the West or the hypocrisy of the United States or anything like that. It's more simply the recognition that China is making a lot of countries very aware re very wary indeed and and and, and it, you know th they have limited capacity in some ways i think as i say we need to treat the chinese with respect but the fact that the best that they can do at least initially uh, is to use a, a balloon to to make us all start scurrying around you know head headless chickens kind of narrative like is it an emp could it do x could it do y is exactly what the chinese want to do because they want to see what reaction they get and how much it can uh, cause all of us to go crazy but anyway, uh, uh, last time. One more, one more question to you, actually, uh, uh, and anyone else. This is a question from the audience and someone I know personally, not personally, someone I know who's spoken on our stage before. He's asked a question. Um, just tuning into your space. Um, I, I'm just going to read out one sentence. I just expected China's spy tech to be more advanced than this. Is that it a is. fair statement? It is. It is well, more advanced. It is. Yeah. It is advanced. We don't know. As I say, just because they sent a balloon, um, sort of that. So the intention could be. The, you're saying the inten the intentions of the balloon, similar to what uh, I think it was James that mentioned earlier. The intentions of the balloon could be more than just 
information gathering or spying. Well, of course, Mario, when you, the basic principle of diplomacy and particularly at the highest level, so grand strategy is optics and posturing, right? Think of Theodore Roosevelt in the 1910s. He paraphrasing here, but he talked about carrying a big stick, but not necessarily using it, that it's the same principle, right? You can have a large nuclear arsenal, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to use it. It's about instilling a sense of fear without actually doing anything of a kinetic sense um, or actual action. So the Chinese definitely have very capable equipment. We, we just don't know much about it. They, the last point I'll make is, is that they have a, a doctrine called minimal deterrence, which is basically they carry the minimal amount of warheads, nuclear warheads needed, about 250, to deter other powers, namely India and Pakistan, who are their immediate threats. Um, or maybe not Pakistan as much, but um, that, that, that's the point. They're beginning to shift from this minimal deterrence because they think they need more nuclear warheads. They're getting, yeah, they're but, getting more ballsy. We're just seeing every yeah, year they're just getting more so, and more ballsy. It's, Concerning. Yeah, that's part of this war-forward diplomacy I mentioned before. So, um, so to, to, to answer the person's question or point is, you know, China definitely has a capable military. We've never seen it in action since the 1960s, 70s, and that's something we have to take into account. Last point is um, General Spalding will be keen to come on, I'm sure. He's just a bit... Um, particular about how he likes spaces to be run i'll be in touch with him i can see if i can bring him on uh and i've also got a lot of staff from size john hopkins who talk about this sort of stuff so i can bring on anyone you want who can talk china britain russian anything so let me know but this is this is your christmas christmas is early for you piotr he's the subject you know a lot about is is finally here um we'll go to we'll go jump to patrick um and uh and we'll go to, to Intel and Joy to kind of wrap it up. Thanks, Mario. Uh, just kind of a final note for me. What's interesting ne- next will be how the Biden administration responds. Now, obviously, I think their initial reaction has been subpar. But if they want to, there are steps they can take you know, after the fact to basically let China know that this is not something that we're willing to tolerate in future. Rolling up some of these Chinese unofficial Chinese police stations would be a start ejecting known PRC intelligence assets would be another. There are things we can do to communicate our displeasure, and it will be very interesting to see what steps the Biden administration takes to do exactly that, if they choose to do so at all. And I think their reaction will be something to watch, and we'll be able to gauge exactly how serious they took this based on that to some degree. Um, Another thing, two things, Patrick. First is just... I think if you, if you go back to – imagine you were two years ago and someone told you like, hey, the U.S. will be shooting down a spy, a spy balloon, a Chinese spy balloon while being involved in a proxy war with Russia uh, through Ukraine. That's where we're at right now. We're, we're in uh, – when I say where, I'm talking about the U.S. The U.S. is just uh, – you know, it is already in, com- in confrontation with, with Russia and escalation with China is at a – I want to say an all-time high. But definitely higher than it's been in, in many, many years. How concerning is this, in your opinion, Patrick? Uh, well, the let, let, thing. let me just say real quick, just came through the wire, um, and we don't have the statement yet. We're looking at it uh, right now. Uh, China has come out and they have expressed, quote, strong discontent at U.S. downing the balloon. Um, and then secondly, they just said, actually, I just got another one. So let me let me read that really quickly. Uh, and the second one says, uh, we reserve the right for further reaction. 
So what that means is oh, yet that's to be fun. seen. Cool. Yeah. So to, are they planning to go to war over a fucking balloon? Probably not. The Chinese are rattled. They're rattled. And 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 yeah. and, and, and this is going to this is if, if the West is intelligent, i.e. America, we can spin this to our advantage. Um, well, Biden do it though. That's the war, question. Like, well, 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 Martin, well, Blinken should have gone to bloody China. He should have gone to Beijing, and, and now we screwed that up. He lost it. He but lost why, why, why? Yeah. So, so first, when you say China's rattled, can you elaborate on this, Piotr? Well, I mean, look, China. To Sebastian's point, is a is a is a gradualist power in the sense that they think decades. They don't think quarterly terms or years of the next election cycle. They're thinking years, decades in advance. And this is, uh, and therefore, they're very good at usually probably their game theory is pretty good, right? They're able to think about chess, uh, as as we've always po- talked about. Russia plays in checkers or in poker. Um, China plays in chess. They're very gambit, right, focused. So when we're talking about China's capacity to um, be rattled or not, um, they rarely release statements that aren't very carefully worded. It's it, the, the, it's known as benevolent neutrality. Yeah, but, China... but why? Why? Well, sorry. So what I mean by my question, Piotr, right. is why are they rattled? Like I don't get it. They've got their own balloon over the U.S. It's just not because it, they it's not a... be found because. So the... uh, they intend for this to happen at this extent um they didn't expect but how, uh, but, but, but how, how can you like, again sorry for my ignorance but what do you mean they have a big ass balloon over the country what do you mean they didn't expect that that they'll spot well, it they've admitted that it didn't go along the wind patterns that they intended maybe they wanted it to just go down the coastline just outside the eez or you know america's exclusive you know, ah so do you think you think it's, it's very likely they fucked up and and, and went off yep. course yeah Definitely. So, so they're, they're rattled. If, they're not sure how to manage. If, if I may, yeah, I, so I think to, to back up Piotr's point, right, the, the, the issue what we're seeing, right, and, and this is something I talked about in the space yesterday, right, if, if you look at Chinese scholars, like Western-based uh, Chinese scholars that prioritize and focus and are professionals in, in kind of the Chinese political system, and you look at Chinese economic experts, one of the things that we're seeing that China is trying to do Right. Especially in the last quarter. And I, and I understand the argument that, you know, the Chinese, oh, they play chess and they could decades. I'm not of that belief, but that's the separate conversation. I do not believe they're like that. I think they're a lot more short minded than people realize. But I, I, that's for a separate conversation. The, the, what China's was trying to do after now that they done got rid of the zero COVID was their whole messaging. If you look at it is we're back in the world stage. We're opening up our borders. We want economic integration. We want to be back a global player in the international forum. This and, the, and then the Blinken visit was a huge part of their kind of this notion that China's back. We want investors, et cetera, right? So th- this is kind of the messaging. And they, one of the things about the Wolf Warrior diplomacy, right? If you look from last year to this year, the key diplomats and the key, so specifically the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, their spokesman who was kind of the head of the Wolf Warrior diplomacy, he was removed from that position. And he was sent into like a, like basically the equivalent of the U.S. NOAA department. Like he was completely downgraded and he was sent away and they put something like they're trying to get away from the Wolf Warrior diplomacy and go back to this because they realized with Russia, Ukraine, that they were becoming isolated and the zero COVID. So this was the messaging that they were trying to do. And oh, by the way, now here comes a balloon over U.S. you know, national territory, U.S. national sovereignty, and it just got shot down. And now they're kind of embarrassed. And then I think this kind of backs up my why I believe Blinken did the right thing and saying, I'm canceling this visit to kind of show that you're now a pariah because sovereign and normal international players who play by the rule book, that that's something that 
at least propaganda wise, not in reality, but propaganda wise, the, U, the China really tries to do that. They are members of the U.N. charter and follow it. Normal global powers and responsible stakeholders do not fly over national sovereignty over the countries. And I think this really slapped them in the face. And I think that kind of backs up to pure to said that the ruffle. They just and the fact that they regretted this incident. I mean, anybody who watches China, the fact that China said we regret this is like what China doesn't regret shit. And the fact that they said it really shows that I think there's some underlying, you know, and this is kind of where the Chinese scholars are having an argument between each other trying to figure out, like, maybe this was something that was got blown out of proportion or did not intend to go this in depth and that, or China overshot what they were trying to accomplish. And now it's hitting them in the face. So, so and, it is worth mentioning right here that it's going to be very telling to find out where the, because you have two, you have the, the two jet streams, right? You have a subtropical jet stream and then you have the jet stream that we all know. And these balloons seem to follow the direct path of both of those jet streams, which do originate over near China. So the, the, it's gonna, it seems like it's gonna be very difficult for them to argue that they didn't realize these two balloons were gonna end up getting caught in those, in those jet streams. I, I, just I guess we'll see. One, but it one is important point, to figure to out that. where they were launched Sorry. at. Yeah, before you go, just as you make this point, I'll add a question that, but in the comments as well, by one of the regular panelists on here, he's like, when you said what you said, Piotr, that this could have just gone blown off course. He goes the following. That's the person that was questioning China's spy tech earlier. He goes, that was my point. You can't have it both ways. If China truly has great tech, a balloon doesn't get blown off course by the wind. Um, they didn't get caught. They didn't. They didn't intend to get caught, and that kind of addresses another point someone mentioned. A, a lot of people are mentioning was this uh, the U was this a U.S. balloon? Let me read out one message here. It's asking like, was this a U.S. balloon? Wondering if there's any thought on this being a U.S. balloon to again create distraction. Um, you know, it, that's a hard argument to make. But then when when China it's admits that the balloon, to make, especially in China, acknowledges it's theirs. Yeah, yeah. So China well, acknowledging well, that this is a Chinese balloon just makes it a difficult argument to make. Uh, you well, know, I'm we'll, open-minded we'll, to everything. We'll find that out when they look at the debris in, well, hours from now, days and whatever. I think it's preposterous that this is a U.S. thing to distract from what? I mean, the U.S. is pretty distracted as it it's is. It's a distraction. Why would it I, create... I love that argument. It's like my favorite one. You know, whenever people say, it's a distraction. It's like everything is a distraction. <laughs> no, I, like, I, like, I, like, I, I look at, yeah, I, 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 but annoying. again, for anyone, for anyone that sent this, I look at every, every theory with an open mind. So just objectively look at it personally, I'd say like, yeah, so being a distraction is an argument I would have made it I would have made it if we did, if you know China didn't admit to it then it's an argument worth making and, and debating uh, like any any point but yeah this one is just a bit hard to make considering you know China said what they said and China regretted as also said China regretting this incident it is and that's a very good point it is very rare for China to regret anything um, yeah. so, so as, uh, in all just sources just words just they, re they regret fuck all <laughs> yeah go ahead Piotr or Nick uh, uh, yeah, well, well, real just... quick well, let, me, let me just say Piotr because this, this just came up as well China is now saying that they asked this is happening in real time which is why I keep jumping in They've, they said they asked the US to handle balloon in calm professional manner and that uh, the US shooting down a balloon is a serious violation of international practice and repercussions should be expected. So that was the actual quote. Can you send, uh, me, yeah, can yeah, you send it look, to me look, in our group, please? Uh, please look uh, what's uh, happening. Yeah. This, this is that hilarious. was from the Associated Press. Yeah. And I want to give, I wanna give a, a just election election wizard as well as tweeting a lot of this stuff. So I want to give him a shout out there. Go ahead, Piotr. No, no, no. Just, 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 I love it. It, it. Look at what's happening in real time. So as I said before, 
Um, this is what's known as benevolent neutrality. So the Chinese try to toe a line of deliberately sticking to a very sort of real politic, pragmatic tone in their messaging, right? Look at how they've um, talked about Ukraine. I, I encourage anybody listening who's interested to Google Chinese foreign ministry statements or Chinese UN statements. They're very... Um, they're very void of emotion. They're very void of any hyperbole. And then you look at those compared to, say, I don't know, the British or the US, if it's about Ukraine, for example, it's very cold. It's very detached. These statements that are coming out are frankly quite hilarious. It shows you that the Chinese are really running out of ideas and how to spin this. They're trying to spin the narrative. Um, diplomacy is half about narrative. And, and they're trying to spin it so that it's about, you know, how dare the United States defend their airspace and sovereignty you know they've they've done something aggressive here therefore the americans are actually wrong i mean it's it's ridiculous so um i i think this is going to be quite entertaining to watch what else they come up with in terms of why it's america's fault and not china's intel joe hey i had more of a question for piot because i agreed a lot with the points he was saying about china and natural resources and and everything else um and he seems very knowledgeable, although we come to two different conclusions, and that's why I kind of had a question about it. The Afghanistan is a very uh, important resource for China, correct, Piotr? Um, sorry, say again. Sorry, cut out from me there. He's asking, is Afghanistan is a hypothetical question. Afghanistan is a very important question to a very important uh, resource uh, or strategically very important to China, correct? Uh, it depends, but yeah, let's let's say it for, is, yeah. Yeah, for cobalt and for lithium especially, to, to make the chips, all right? And <laughs> Syria, who also has the pipeline to Saudi Arabia, um, is also very strategically important to Russia or China in terms of cheap fuel, Correct. Okay, yeah, so, so we'll continue to move to the point, yeah. Joe. Uh, so, so why is China more emboldened today than they ever were is the previous president pulled out of both of those countries in conflicts that we were not losing. The only president to ever pull out of active conflicts in the past 20 years that we're not losing. I would, I would, George, you mind, George, I would, I would, what I'm going to do is, I, I, you know, I invite you on the stage and I love you on stage all the time. I will uh, keep that question for the next space. Would love you to come on just because that, that will go down a completely new rabbit hole that's in a political discussion that is worth having, but I, I'd love, rather have it on another space because I'm trying to wrap this one up. Uh, is that okay, Joe? Yeah, yeah, Piotr was just very knowledgeable, so I'd love him to be on because... Don't worry, Piotr is, always, Piotr is always on. I can promise Absolutely you that, especially when there's China in yeah. the title of the space. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Intel, Intel, I'll give you the mic. Uh, any final words? And then we'll have Jim, uh, yeah, Nicky, and wrap guess, it up. Um, I guess if we want to continue the conversation, I can create a space uh, here in a few minutes if anyone's interested in that, and we can kind of continue the conversation in any particular direction. Uh, in terms of the balloon, though, um, my final commentary, I, I agree with a lot of the previous uh, speakers uh, with this potentially, you know, like uh, being not what China intended. Uh, if you look at China's high altitude balloon program, it's been ongoing since 2015. It's typically launched from the Chinese Academy of the Sciences. And typically, that's very short range 
Uh, like they, it usually is just for altitude and testing different payloads on the balloons. I did post in a nest a couple research papers from the Chinese Academy of the Sciences about the various payloads that they've tested with these balloons. Uh, so I think based off China's reaction to this, it seems very plausible that it could have just been a routine test of this high altitude balloon and it went completely awry from their intended goals. And the U.S. response, as Patrick said, I definitely am curious to see how the U.S. administration reacts further to the developing situation. Because uh, we uh, now that this has happened, we need to make it clear that it's not acceptable. Um, and definitely want to see what I agree. could happen. The, the res- I think, yeah, I agree. I think the response, the U.S. response will be very important uh, moving forward into how serious the matter is i think always when you look at the response of a country generally shows how you know we don't know what we don't know and the response usually hints to how severe or how much we don't know I- i'll go to, also did mention to me i'm gonna read it i'm gonna say it in the space unless he jumps hey, hey, says, Mario, don't Mario, say it but also messages there shit what's going on bro uh all right so so general spalding is in the space i was uh, we were gonna end, wrap up the space but that's uh that's a great reason not to wrap up the space. Let me get. Uh, I'm just sending him an invite now, General. I've just sent you through an invite um, now, uh, so you should accept it. It's via your DMs, and I'm just going to follow you as well, uh, so I could actually see you in the stage. Uh, I'll go to. Uh, so also did say the following. He does not want to read out exactly what he said. Tell the person who's asking. Do you mind if I read it out, also? I'm guessing. How about it, my man? Yeah, so it so also says, tell the person who's asking about China military intelligence capabilities that my opinion, and I respect Allsource's opinion, he's been on the stage a few times, is that China capabilities suck. <laughs> that's it. That's Allsource's quote. Uh, Aaron, the mic is yours as we wait for General Spalding to come up. Yeah, I just um, wanted to make a comment because there's been a lot of talk about intelligence surveillance with this balloon, but there are other forms of surveillance that we also need to kind of pay attention to. They're not as... Um, sort of attention grabbing is a huge balloon in the sky that gets shot down by a military plane. Um, but there's been mention of TikTok, but I want to mention one other means of digital surveillance on not only ordinary Americans, but people around the world that China rolled out quite brilliantly a few years ago during the Beijing Olympics. And that's that um, they first rolled out the central bank digital currency, the EUN. Uh, prior to the Olympics. And then for all those international travelers, whether athletes or spectators or anyone who participated in uh, in those games, they were required to download uh, the, the, the app for the EUN and uh, use that for all of their commerce while they were there. And then, of course, they went back to their home countries with an app on their phone that was tied to all of their financial information and lots of other data on their phone. So, you know, data being the new gold uh, that's recognized both in the East and in the West um, with the surveillance capitalism sort of model that we've, uh, that we've pioneered here, um, that the fact that we're giving away lots of information freely, not only on TikTok, um, but in even more powerful ways. Um, and, and that China was able to do that. I, I found it interesting China was able to do that to almost no sort of public commentary or notice. And I think people are starting to comment on, you know, central bank digital currencies and the power that would give to uh, central actors to monitor and potentially control uh, financial transactions. But um, actually the Chinese are a couple of years ahead of us 
on that. Uh, the feds are floating the idea of a digital dollar, but um, China's engineering may be sort of backwards, catching up, reverse engineering our technology. That may all be true, but um, in, in certain economic realms, they, uh, they've actually taken some steps that I think we should be paying more attention to. Um, thanks for sharing that, Aaron. And in the meantime, I do want to say General Spalding have DM'd you invites to come up. Um, so before giving the mic to Piotr, I just want to say check your DMs, your messages, your Twitter message, and click on the link there. You can leave the space and then click on the link there. Jim will communicate with you directly if you're facing any technical issues. Piotr? Yeah, no, I, um, I, I just wanted to say I, I think that Aaron raised some good points. Um, I can't actually see the general in the space, though, so I don't know if it's a glitch on Twitter. But, um, no, just to this point, I mean, again, I, I think a space about China's internal domestic uh, dem demographic situation is, is is really worth diving deep into um, because I mean a lot of people you know if Kim dot com was here he'd be arguing about bricks and, and and you know we could have that debate oh, I see the general up now um, nice to see you general um, but uh, yeah I, I think um, uh, you know uh, the, 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 there's a time scale element to this which is really important how much whether China is able to you know rekindle its uh, glory days. Uh, before the demographic crisis really hits it hard. Then you've got the debt crisis, which is a problem for all countries, but as I think it was um, uh, All Source or some others, TJ, who were raising, you know, that's uh, that's something that China hasn't really got that much capacity to deal with, namely that America, aggregately the economy is very large, but there's questions about how big it is. Is it? Uh, there's one study that was done about three years ago that, estimated that China's economy could actually be 40% smaller than it actually is because of the amount of light emittance from economic zones like cities. Um, this was a trend he'd, he'd plotted um, across all autocratic countries. So there's a lot of questions about China's actual capacity. Um, the semiconductors is really important because it puts the overall economy behind by about 20 years. So a lot of these questions are playing into the psyche of Chinese policymakers, for sure. Uh, oh. But I'll pass back to you for the general. I appreciate it. Yeah, so, so Jim, I'll let you introduce uh, the general. Um, uh, general, pleasure to have you on stage. Jim, the mic is yours. Yeah, no, actually, Piotr, will you, uh, do you mind uh, introducing him? I think you're going to do that better than I would. Oh, okay, sure. Um, well, yeah, welcome uh, to G General Robert Spaulding. He is a former Brigadier General of the United States Air Force. Uh, I was lucky enough to interview him uh, on Thursday last week. Uh, for a conversation about Taiwan, China, and, and also some aerial elements of Ukraine. Uh, and he has also been part of uh, previous uh, U.S. administration. So, General Spaulding, it's great to see you again. Uh, welcome to the panel. Uh, just unmute yourself there. General, can you hear us? you got a yeah, bottom left corner. Yep. You can unmute. Your mic. How are you? Yeah, sorry, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yep. How are you? Great. I apologize. I have a cold, so um, maybe oh, me too. I appreciate you joining us uh, despite the cold. Uh, General, you know, we have a bunch of questions for you. I'm not sure how much time you have, um, and we appreciate you joining. Um, general thoughts on recent developments, China's response to the balloon being shot down earlier today, um, and uh, any other thoughts? How serious is the matter? Well, <laughs> you know, I think the... Um, the, uh, the thing that I find important about uh, the balloon um, issue is not so much the intelligence collection capability. It's more so the signal it sends. Uh, I don't believe um, it's accidental. It's, it's kind of like the, 
Um, if you remember when uh, President Obama went to Hangzhou for G20 and um, they told him that they couldn't find stairs for uh, Air Force One and he ended up coming out down the bottom of the plane. I think the, the, the way that this is portrayed in the U.S. media is far more important to China than any intelligence uh, collection activities that, that they could get from the, from the balloon. So you're saying that – so two points you're saying, and you're not the first person to say that. Um, we've had other guests earlier in the show say the same thing, is that the use of a balloon is not an accident. And do you imply that that was more of a, a psychological move by China, or did I misunderstand the point you're making, General? No, I think that's uh, – it's very uh, akin to what I think um, you know happened during the coronavirus, which is widespread um, – you know, what I would call mistrust of the medical community now in the United States. I think um, a, a good example of the benefit of what's going on right now is a beginning to mistrust the ability of the United States to defend itself. And so the, the, the military, which is a, a pretty strong institution in the United States, uh, I think ends up looking probably the worst in this uh, in this um, in this effort. And it's, it's really an inexpensive way to to achieve this goal. And do you think that could be a response to the escalation we've seen in, in Taiwan and the semiconductor? Um... <laughs> I would, I would, I would characterize it as less directly related to Taiwan, uh, more um, related to the overall relationship between the U S and China. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I consider us to be in uh, the second cold war. And I think this is just, um, a part of that. So I, I, these these things occurred regularly between the U.S. and the Soviet Union during um, the first Cold War, and I think this is this pattern of behavior is going to be something we're going to see quite a lot of. Uh, General, I'm, I'm curious uh, your thoughts. Uh, we just had a statement come out uh, from China, uh, basically <clears throat> saying, uh, you know, they asked us to handle the balloon in calm in a calm, professional manner. And they reserve the right for future action. Uh, what what's your having been there and, and uh, been something of an attaché in that direction and working with them? What what's your sense of what they're trying to communicate with that statement? Well, again, it, it's hard to say their exact motive, other than to say I think it really has to do with the optics around it, and and, and those optics um, really have to do with you know, their, their, um, you know, undermining of the institutions of, of the United States and the West, um, more broadly. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really put any, uh, large stock in the statement itself. The, the, the behavior of the, of the, um, regime in terms of how they have handled it so far is pretty characteristic of the way China handles most things with the United States. Does that seem to indicate? Um, sorry, so Jim, oh, just, yeah, Sorry, just, sorry, just a, a point you made earlier, and I'll give it back to Jim because Jim, you're asking great questions. Um, I've just had a doctor that comes on stage on a regular basis when we do spaces or shows about COVID. Um, I'll read out what he said, and I want you to elaborate on it, General. When you made the, the comment about COVID, he, uh, so the general is implying that China was testing our response to a pandemic as a way to sow distrust in medical professionals. So what was uh, – can you tell us more what you, what, when you referred to COVID – um, how how are you relating this to, to the current situation? Maybe we misunderstood. 
Well, I'm not I'm not implying that um, COVID was deliberately uh, started, you know, to achieve the outcome that they achieved. What I'm saying is the advantage or the opportunity presented itself as a result of the spread of the pandemic to um, avail the Chinese of the ability to undermine the faith and confidence in Western medical institutions um, in the West. And I think they've been quite effective of, of that. And the, 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 the real the cause of that is the overall um, what appears to be ineptitude by the West medical profession to deal with the pandemic in ways that bolstered the trust of the public. So, so looking at this incident, understood, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so looking at this incident, the way that it played out, does does it seem to you that they got kind of caught with their pants down related to this balloon, or was there some confident purpose that they had in its delivery, or did did something just mess up? I mean, that, that it's, it's it kind of seems strange. Well, that, yeah. Let me ask. So, so let me answer that question with a question. Do you believe that the Chinese could possibly move several neighborhoods out of Hangzhou for the G20 and not uh, avail itself of a pair of stairs, a set of stairs for Air Force One? Or, you know, are you willing to concede that possibly they liked the optics of the president having to come down to the belly of the airplane and that ability to demonstrate to both um, friends and foes, its ability to essentially make the United States look um, weak in that instance. And I and I'm what I'm saying is this is another opportunity for them to do that. Yeah, see, we, we were talking earlier about some of that stuff, and it sure came across that uh, the whole PSYOP or whatever you want to call it here was really to watch the reaction of the administration. Is it your opinion that they actually specifically, therefore, were trying to test what the resolve and or the reaction of the administration would be. Yes. Piotr, what you have a question, apparently. Why don't you go ahead? Yeah, so, a General, um, you know, we spoke on Thursday as the, <laughs> as the balloon was entering uh, U.S. airspace. I, I hope you get better. I hope I didn't overly talk you too much on Thursday. Um, but my question for you is, given these developments now, and we're seeing how the, um, the Chinese are acting quite out of character, do you, do you think that this, we, could, we could use this as a bit of leverage to see how they would play if we pressured them in other areas, say Taiwan, say other theatres, or do you retain much of how you felt uh, when we spoke last? Well, I, I'm more prepared to, um, to do that. I just don't think that we um, have the ability really to um, to do the same types of things, I think, to the Chinese Communist Party right now that they have with us. And, and the primary reason is because I think there is a battle going on both within the administration and within you know the West writ large. That says, you know, where, you know, a component of, you know, the West and the component of the administration believes that, you know, the, the Chinese are generally genuine uh, in their communications with the United States. And um, and then there's a, an aspect or, or, or a side of it that believes the Chinese are not genuine and, in fact, have uh, ulterior motives to, to most of the things. And, 
you know, given you know the the interactions I'd had with the the Chinese Communist Party over the years, I would tend to believe that they know exactly what they're doing. <coughs> Excuse me, and and their messaging um, reveals more about what they're trying to get out of this than we're willing to admit. And so for us to really take advantage of the situation as it currently is, we would have to become much more sophisticated um, from, you know, how we approach the Chinese Communist Party than we've been to date. And so so I, I don't think that we're prepared right now to do that. So one last question, General, then quick follow up. Uh, one of the themes that we've been talking about here tonight is um, just why the balloon? why this method of sort of, you know, interference? Um, maybe it's more about, as you said, it's the media, but equally the Chinese, how, how capable, two sub-questions. So one, how well in your mind is the Chinese PLA? How capable is it in its aerial com- uh, uh, areas, uh, com- uh, capacity? Um, but second, um, what's the likelihood that we could see them, you know, <laughs> escalate, if that makes sense, or just raise the bar a little bit by using other forms of military equipment to to test the waters, you know, in a, in a, in a metaphorical sense, not literal? Uh, yeah, so I, I look, we're not going to know until the invasion comes how um, how good they are. I can tell you having, you know, sat, you know, you know, feet away from the CMC uh, during the negotiations to re- return the UUV, that their command and control of their military forces is far better than what we have in, in, in the United States. Um, so that was reform number one of the PLA. Reform number two to make it more combat capable. I think we like to say that they haven't, <coughs> excuse me, been in a war, so therefore they must not be very capable. And I would just remind everybody that you know when we went to the first Gulf War, we hadn't really fought um, for a couple of decades, and you know the last showing. Uh, other than saying something like Grenada, was Vietnam, where we had um, not done very well. So um, it is possible, and and we have to, you know, part of the problem that we have in understanding China and really dealing with it, uh, you know, realistically, is the fact that we kind of tell ourselves stories about China based on, you know, our expectation that we're better. And so... To answer your question, I believe that they are far superior to us in the in the Indo-Pacific, particularly as it uh, as it pertains to Taiwan, and that um, if they do um, decide to move on Taiwan, we're actually going to be very shocked at their capability. Uh, General Spalding, uh, by the way, you're really good to come on <laughs> when I know you're kind of going through a cold there. And thank you so much because it's really helpful, I think, to everyone listening and been following this all day. But um, I, I got to. And general, just uh, just about your call, just quickly, general. If if you if you're feeling bad at any time, you want to jump off. Don't hesitate. Say, guys, I'm going to jump off. Uh, yeah. Be very casual about it. You can jump in and out anytime. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. No. And and so so you you did point to us being in a second Cold War. Uh, now, as people are looking at this incident that just took place over these many days, how does that relate? Maybe put some perspective into that second Cold War sort of footing that we find ourselves on now and how this uh, kind of fits into that and what we should learn from it moving forward so we have good understanding. Well, I think that, you know, 
as I said, I think we're in a, the second Cold War. I think the Chinese um, recognize this and they are acting appropriately to, um, you know, and everything, as I've said before, uh, if you look at the, the, the way that they look at war, um, and, and it's much more in the vein of Simon Sinek's Infinite Game, then we have to be prepared for a series of actions by the Chinese that are um, that are continuous, that are constant, that are meant to advantage them and disadvantage the U.S. and the West more broadly. And we have to be prepared to think at that at that level um, in order to deal with it. Do, uh, another question, General. Go ahead, Piotr and Jim. Yeah, just just the general. But what of the um, the fact that you know we have seen Fiji reject this deal? <laughs> Um, that you know, China has only really been able to establish one defense pact with the Solomon Islands. Um, you know, the, there's quite a lot of willingness by the Philippines to accommodate more U.S. presence. The Nine Dash Line has angered quite a lot of the you know periphery states. You know, do you not think that the Chinese are going to be overextended a little bit by going up against such a large array of other? countries even well, if they don't yeah, get directly involved i mean i mean i mean let's be honest you know when when i was at the white house you know we would continuously get delegations from the asia pacific that said look don't make us choose we want to be friends of you and we want to be friends of china we want to be friends of china for the economic opportunities and we, we want to be friends of yours for the security relationship and so the former actually undermines the position of the latter and and therefore you know we can't, you know, we can't smack ourselves, you know, give ourselves a pat on the back too hard when, you know, the the vast majority of our allies and partners would rather do business with China um, and be security partners with the West, given the fact that the fact that they're doing business with China undermines the technological superiority of the military. It undermines the the economic basis from which the resources for any military conflict might might be gained from it undermines the supply chain and the industrial base that would support any conflict and so i think we're just deluding ourselves into thinking that we could have a cold war where china owns the industrial base owns the supply chain owns all the economic and technological and financial relationships with our allies and partners and the united states is continue will continue to rely on the military superiority um, to be the deciding factor that's just it's ridiculous on its face um, on that on that point, I've spent a whole lot of time in India through my life and did some business there. And and I know you're an expert on China, maybe not on India, but as thorny and tricky a woods it is to walk through to build and grow relationships with India, even though they're friendly with us, but it's still kind of thorny and tricky because of, of our historical past, their previous connections to Russia, for example, and some other things that, are, that we don't have time to go into here, but is that not somewhat a path to take a look at to balance out our interests in Asia is to figure out how to forge a, a better relationship with India? Because they do provide that. Well, that, well that yeah. So, I mean, to... that's a good example of what I just said. So we're pouring billions of dollars into China and we're trying to have a military relationship with India. You know, we'd, we'd be much better off if we were strengthening our economic and financial and trade ties with India and basically cutting off or isolating the Chinese. In this case, you know, it, it, it just makes us – no relationship with India, I think, is going to be very successful uh, between the United States and India if it's solely relegated 
to a military relationship because I just don't think that's going to allow for the type of relationship that would allow the India to kind of let down their guard the way that people want. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to have the DOD and DOS uh, highly involved with India, but then, you know, the business community writ large is pouring, um, along with commerce and treasury, are pouring their attention and effort into China. But uh, General, I've got, I've got just quickly, I just want to go back to the balloon quickly, if you don't mind. General, I'm not sure how much longer you have, but just going back to the balloon, uh, we had discussions and debates earlier about the purpose of the balloon beyond sending a message to to the U.S. Um, is it a balloon that was intended for electronic intelligence um, or imagery intelligence, in your opinion? And uh, the theory that an ex-general mentioned to the Washington Examiner about it being um, a dry run for a biological weapon, um, more specifically a nuclear EMP device, which we all said was, all panelists said was highly, highly, highly unlikely. Um, would like your comments on that as well, like the exact purpose of the balloon beyond sending a message. Well, and the second point is why, did the, why do you think the U.S. didn't shoot it down immediately? Do you think they, 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 they disabled its ability to send information back to China and they, they were no, so there was no reason to shoot it down early? Would love your thoughts on that point as well. Yeah, I think that um, any any military operation can have multiple goals. Um, you know, one could be just to test the response of um, the United States to, I mean, identify, track, um, and, and and go through the targeting um, uh, cycle of this of the balloon. That's one, and then you know. Uh, understanding, you know, the political ramifications, which we've been talking about. And then, yeah, it can be for either, you know, for instance, it can be the ability. I mean, one of the things that a balloon provides you, particularly one that can be that can be steered, um, is the ability to loiter over an area and be able to connect uh, intelligence, both from uh, visual and also sig- sig- signals intelligence means so I think there's multiple goals that you can that you can achieve from this. And so, yeah, you could um, you know, there was, I think, some thought that uh, you could use um, fentanyl deaths and track the migration of fentanyl deaths in the United States um, to identify uh, smuggling routes in the United States. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can use uh, these things for in terms of. Uh, understanding better how the United, St- United States responds to um, these kinds of uh, uh, events. Also, yeah. So, oh, hey, General. Sir, thank you. Thank you for joining. <laughs> I, I have two questions for you. Um, and, and then, Mario, I'm going to have to drop after this. But um, my first question for you is if you were the chief of staff of the Air Force, what would your recommendation be to the, you know, the president of the United States, the forces of action that they should have taken to shoot this down? Or what, what should have been the response to this balloon since its launch, et cetera? So if you were the chief of staff of the Air Force, what would your recommendation to POTUS be? And then two, what, what's your opinion as, as somebody who served in the Air Force of the ability that of the fact that an F-22, based on all public reporting we got, managed to shoot down this balloon at what appears to be at over 60,000 feet with an AM-9, you know, air-to-air missile, which, you know, I think a lot of us, to me personally, I mean, I'm an Army tanker, right? That's why my profile picture, I, you know, I thought that was a pretty impressive capability. I wasn't so, that I didn't know that Air Force could fly such high altitude to do air-to-air combat at such elevated altitude. So I would just like your, your points in, in answer to those two questions, sir. Yeah, I think, you know, and, in in, you know, to prevent this from looking like um, we are impotent, um, feckless, 
I would have done, you know, my, my position is we should have taken it down uh, immediately. And, you know, I think it, it's not out of the uh, realm of the possibility that you raise the alert level of your nuclear forces, just as a signal to China that um, this time, the type of prop, provocation is, um, is, is really not going to be uh, acceptable. And, um, and then on, in terms of how they brought it down, I think there was some, hesitancy um, because this is not something that we do. And quite frankly, it probably needs to be something that we are anticipating and training for. So, um, so, you know, I think that's, that's probably, that could have played a role here in terms of how we responded. Um, And maybe, you know, the, that, that purpose um, is what, you know, made us slow on the response, but um, at the very minimum, you know, I think it's right that we did bring the thing down. I do think, though, that an, an add-on signal to this would have been to raise the, the alert forces uh, or alert status of the nuclear force. Um, so, so, so uh, Piotr, I'd give uh, Nick, Nick, uh, General, we just got a message. General has to jump jump off. So we'll give Piotr the final question before you drop off, General. Um, yeah, so, um, General, just I wanted to just raise again the Indian point, right? So, um, you know, we're talking about China's capacity as an economic power and, and, and so on. But the one thing I, I do slightly differ with you, and we touched upon this during our conversation, is that do you not think the time element is important here? Sure, we need to, you know, America's in the process of decoupling or trying to, and, and we're trying to reallocate or realign uh, through like friendshoring, nearshoring in the Latin American areas. So you do not think it's a bit unfair to say that, you know, the U.S. is too integrated with China, but that's because it's been the case for decades and, and we're still taking a bit of time to, to reach that point. Um, and whilst we're focused on the military aspect, you know, the economics isn't going to happen overnight. So do you not think that there's a bit of a difference in time, uh, time length there, time scale? Well, can you, can you elaborate on what you mean? Because uh, uh, I'm not sure... I think what you're asking is, um, you know, the timeline required to reindustrialize. Is that is that what you're asking? Well, you were you were you were raising the point that you know it's it's not good that America is in bed with China economically as much as it is, uh, and therefore we have no right to tell the Indians or try to get closer with the Indians militarily until we've sorted our own bed out, you know, in terms of economic relations with China or, to, or to codependency. But the point I'm making is that China and America have had this relationship far longer than uh, you know to the past few years. So you do not think it's a bit difficult to simply just say to America, right, off you go, time to disconnect from China completely. At the end of the day, trade is, continues to grow despite the trade war. Uh, the two countries are still reliant on each other for, for lots of different areas of commerce. So uh, I, I just feel that some, it's a bit difficult to say, you know, to disconnect economically when it's not that simple. Do you, do you understand where I'm coming from? Well, so, so, let, so, so, um, so let's take World War II as an example. Prior to, um, prior to, you know, the, the, the Japanese, um, bombing Pearl Harbor, uh, we were higher, highly integrated, uh, with both countries, with both Japan and Nazi Germany. And so, and then, but then afterwards, once war began, we were completely economically, you know, um, isolated from them on, on purpose, but it was on their terms. So my point was, I, I think it was that it's time to do it on our terms before a war in Taiwan 
um, really forces us to do it in a way where we're caught off guard and we don't have the ability to resupply antibiotics or, or microelectronics or any of the other things that we may need as a society. So doing it on our terms is far better than waiting for war to break out and then having to do it on their terms. Go ahead, you go ahead. Uh, General, I know, I know you got to jump off. Any final message to the, to the audience uh, about um, the, the incident and what to expect over the next few days? And again, appreciate you jumping on. Any final comments? No, I just think that we have to be prepared for an invasion of Taiwan. It's coming. We um, we have to accept that. And I think the sooner what, we get, uh, our in, house, uh, how, we get how long, in, in what period of time do you think that could happen? I, I, I expect it to be before um, the the, tw the elections in twenty twenty four. Wow. Well, that's, that's, a, that's an incredible note to leave us with. Uh, General, thank you so much for jumping on. Um, you're welcome to join anytime in the future. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Get well, sir. Bye-bye. Holy shit, guys. What the hell was that closing comment? Like, protocol, is that a, a protocol, Piotr? Just on that point, protocol, just on that point, all source, anyone, can can you, like, that was a, Mario. a crazy comment to end it with. What, what are your thoughts, Aaron? Yeah. So, I think this... This balloon maneuver was, if we think of this as a chess game. Before, before, before the sorry, Aaron. Just on the, I want to just quickly comment on the last point, and I'll give you the mic to, to, to comment on what say what you're saying now. But just on the last point that he's yeah, mentioned no, no, that's, that's about exactly the, the but, oh, okay, sorry, yeah, go no, ahead, no, my I'm, bad. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there. Um, so if we think of this as a chess game, and the balloon maneuver being, uh, you know, the movement of a of a pawn. Um, the invasion of Taiwan, I think, is uh, – I'm going to make his comment maybe even more terrifying. I think if we think in 20-year increments, the invasion of t Taiwan is, you know, moving a power piece, a rook or, or a bishop, uh, into a more strategic position. I, I don't think that even is the end game of China's ambitions. So – I mean, the time horizon is scary, right? Thinking of, thinking of something like that happening on the geopolitical stage sometime in the next year. Um, but the Chinese seem to be accelerating uh, with uh, the, this, the saber rattling, the intelligence gathering, the, you know, what's been going on, you know, literally in space with, with satellites and, you know, attempts to figure out... Um, ways to either take out our, our infrastructure or put their tentacles into the digital world in such a way uh, that they can both data mine and gather, you know, massive intelligence from that bulk collection of data. So I, I don't think we should think of China as a slow moving beast that's trying to catch up with us anymore. But the, the statement of, I'm not sure if he's still with us also, because I had to jump off, but Allsource and, and Piotr and Austin and Patrick and Prodigal, actually I want to go to all of you on this particular point. The, the, is, it, is it a common narrative? Have, have others been mentioning the same point that China could be invading Taiwan? Because I thought an invasion of Taiwan was, was just off the books, at least in the near future. Well, they, they said they want to be prepared by 2027. I mean, it depends on the timeline, right? I'm no fan of the CCP. You know, I look at some of the moves we've made, whether the Inflation Act or uh, 
the most recent one, the infrastructure before that. And we aren't preparing for this. Our, our manufacturing, our facilities, the reason why they didn't want to ruffle China's feathers is because they have a stranglehold on rare earth elements and precious metals uh, across uh, the world. I mean, in some instances, they have 100% market share, especially because they now control uh, Myanmar. So while you're pursuing this green tech and killing your own oil industry, while we're exporting everything we can to Europe and they're taking coal from South Africa and anywhere they can get it, uh, we are fighting a very stupid battle uh, that makes no sense. I mean, now McCarthy is going to take a trip to Taiwan, which, listen, I understand that, but they aren't actually taking tactical moves to prepare for any type of conflict that comes. I think China can do it in two years if they want to. I think they can do it in 10 or 20. They're on a much longer timeline, and they stick to their plan. You look at Wall Street, it's by every quarter. You look at Congress, it's every two years for reps, every six for senators and the president, depending who the party is. There hasn't been a coherent national strategy to counter China. One of the few generals who spoke on it, Flynn, was laughed out of the office and then ended up in the Russiagate scandal that they uh, you know, basically ambushed him. So I'll, I'll close with this. I mean, you can't do business with China. Their national strategy is military-civilian fusion. This is ignoring the joint ventures they require, the IP transfers, the, you know, they're stealing submarine plans from Russia. And who knows what kind of advanced weaponry Russia is going to give them now since they're dependent on them as their lifeline in this war. And we are not preparing in any instance, and I think the general makes a valid point. I want to so go I, to the, I, before going to Piotr, before going to Piotr, just the audience, I want to get your thoughts on this closing statement. Um, I just want to get a sentiment. Am I the only one shocked by it? Uh, Piotr? Yeah, so, you know, I, I spoke to the general about this on Thursday. We ran through several different war games or scenarios, right, simulations, which is whereby you uh, outline different cases. You know, do you have a amphibious landing only? Is there air support? Is there a, a large scale? But is that, uh, Piotr, is that a, just, I'll let you continue, sorry to interrupt you, I've done this a That's lot right. today, but is that a, co- is that a common is, is that a common narrative across other other experts in that field? Right. That is no, possible, and is that um, such okay? Because I, I, I've, I've, I haven't seen any from any reputable uh, p- persons recently. So the general's take on this is very, very interesting, and one so, I, don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to take it lightly. I just, I just, it just caught no, me by no, surprise. We've we've got to treat China with respect, right? We've got to treat the PLA. We've got to be very cautious and wary of this of this um, uh, potential adversary. And and to Prodigal's point, you know, I, I don't disagree with him on, on on some of what he said, but I, I I did disagree with, and I do disagree with fundamentally quite a lot of what the general says. Um, I think it's unfair to sort of compare um, our inability to get things done with India on a military aspect to the same with a long-standing deep economic integration, the two largest economies have had for the past 30 40 years i mean it's not that easy to decouple from china that easily so for him to suddenly say well we can't do anything with india until we've done something about china well that's not it's not the same time scale equally i asked him this very question do you not think that china is in in international relations you have two mechanisms you have pull mechanisms and push mechanisms and i said to him do you not think that india is being pushed more by china than america has been able to pull india towards us and 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 he disagreed and but he's he's definitely in the minority with that and again i don't mean this disrespectfully he's you know served well and, and, and an esteemed career but um i i personally think that the PLA undertaking a uh, a campaign against Taiwan in the next two years is is absolutely out of the question, um, the, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. So one, 
there's only two months really in the year that make it a feasible uh, time to actually conduct a, a, an amphibious landing to Taiwan, either April or October. Otherwise, it's too windy, the seas are too rough, the, the conditions are just wrong. Second, let's, replay, uh, let's replay amphibious with people. Let's do that as step one. <laughs> Okay, sure. Um, second, um, in, in, in basic military doctrine, you need a three to one invading force, which means for every one defensive individual. So you're ruling out a blockade and starving them into submission. Is that what I'm hearing? No, you're not. What? I, uh, anyway, so I mean, what I'm saying, to, it could, it be, could, be, could it be blockading Taiwan? Oh, a blockade. And then yes, we would have to make a move. Scenario, but the point is, even a blockade would be very difficult for the PLA to sell, sustain because um, we have, as in the we, I mean, the Western coalition have, you know, we have Philippines, we have Japan, which is the third largest navy. We have the Americans, we have the British, we have the Germans, we have the Australians, we have even India would like. So you're saying if they blockade Taiwan, then we're going to initiate uh, kinetic warfare against them. Is that what you're saying? Well, you can't you can't necessarily uh, very easily blockade Taiwan because uh, the satellites imagery and just. We would know what China was going to do weeks, even months before they were going to do it. Because How far don't is, think that... is, is Taiwan from China's coast, from its uh, actual naval bases? A couple hundred miles. But the point is that you still will see a huge array of military vessels and equipment moving in such a way that we would be able to tell what exactly they're planning to do and, and when. And, and by the way, clear... we have international waters between Taiwan and, and China. And that Precisely. ostensibly gives us cover to go in as well, too, well, so keep that in mind. Yeah, five, $500 trillion worth, sorry, $5 trillion worth of commerce through there annually so the my point i'm making is that china's window to do this before 2024 just keeping it very narrow to what the general said is is is, is limited they either have to do it this october next april or next october and that's not very much time equally i just don't know how much money that they've put into the military not that they haven't been spending a lot but they've got a domestic situation and i just don't think that the pla spreading their attention on uh, invading taiwan or taking taiwan or whatever it is um Whilst they've got the remnants of COVID, whilst the Chinese economy is trying to reopen, uh, I just don't see that time frame making sense. Before 27, possibly, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen before 2030, personally. Patrick, all source, any final comments on this general's final statement before he jumped off? Uh, absolutely, Mario. General Spalding is being a bit conservative. Admiral Gilday, the Navy chief of staff, said he couldn't rule out a 2023 action. Uh, General Minahan, the head of uh, Air Force Mobility Command, has also stated, has also given the 25 figure. I think it's, uh, I think the current war in Ukraine and the lessons that are being learned from that have probably pushed back any time frame they might have. But you have some very senior officers in the U.S. military who are sounding some serious alarm bells in conjunction with General Spalding's prediction. Patrick, can you send me the, 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 the two examples you used? Do you mind sending me the uh, some information to DM it to me if you don't mind? Because that's, that's concerning. Uh, Certainly. Uh, that's very concerning. Um, and I, I, I just wouldn't have – is that recent? Because considering how much uh, support um, NATO has offered Ukraine, that should really deter China from doing anything with Taiwan. Oh, yeah. General Minahan said this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Admiral Gilday said it, I think, October, November of last year. So w- within the past couple of months, I'd love, yeah, I'd love you if you can send me that information, Patrick, and would definitely love you, obviously, Piotr, also, Sporgo, anyone else to join Austin, to join uh, the discussion. I want to have a whole space on this because I think this, um, to me, this is probably one of the, the most concerning geopolitical discussions there is right now. Um, so, yeah, we definitely want to have a, a space 
purely on this topic. Uh, all sorts, the mic is yours. Hey, Mario, if you're doing a war game space, uh, you have to have me. I'm a total nerd in war gaming. Do it for a living. <laughs> I will do it gladly. And this is how I'll end up my point, right? And I think this is to, to Prodigal's point, right, about the blockade. I think I think the issue that China has, and, and I'll, with this, I'll, I'll drop out, right, from the space. Um, the, the the thing that China has to realize is they have. My opinion is they have to go for China, the Taiwan. Like they have to go all or nothing. If they do a blockade, or if they do what would be called kind of seizing one of the outer islands that uh, Taiwan owns, because there's actually territory Taiwan territory islands that are like rocket distance, like 10, 20 kilometers from China proper, right? There's a multitude of islands that Taiwan has outside. And so a lot of the scenarios is, okay, do they seize one of the outer islands? Do they do a blockade? I think the problem with that scenario, the moment China does that, they have given their hand. Everybody understands now what their intent is. And if they do that, that allows the West to respond. And if you think that the West respond, like what we're seeing right now in the U.S. is the largest arm militarization and arms buildup that the U.S. has had since the end of the Cold War. And 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 our 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 Defense Department, right, our policy right now related to Russia Ukraine is we are going to produce so many weapons that we're going to outproduce the Russians. If China does that against Taiwan, that would mean the U.S. would do that in overdrive. And then now you allow sanctions, a lot more severe sanctions to go into place. You you allow the U.S. to mobilize, to respond. And more importantly, at the Puritus point, Japan as well, our allies in the region, the NATO, our European partners, you would allow the U.S. to build an inter- international coalition similar to what we saw in Russia, Ukraine. And so, so China has to do all or nothing. I think that's the only gamut they have, and they have to do it quickly. They have to seize Taiwan as quickly as possible to prevent the U.S. from responding. But for them to do that, and I think this is what Spiritual's point is, you, it takes months. It will take Yeah, yeah but also, there's one thing you're leaving out, right? Mm. China has infiltrated Taiwan heavily. I mean, they had spies in the president's security detail. I mean, before geopolitical tensions ratcheted up, it seemed that China would get Taiwan without firing a bullet. No, and I, 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 let me push years. back on that because I think if I could push back on that, I think Russia did the same with Ukraine. And then we kind of saw how that does not necessarily translate into overall military success. Right. And I don't disagree with that notion. I think that's obviously a risk. And then Taiwan has to take into account. But I mean, in the end of the day, there's nothing that changes actually seizing. You need boots on the ground and the defenders to surrender. And I think Russia really tried to do that in Ukraine. And I think that's one of the lessons learned that, that China got from this invasion with Ukraine, that they need to go all in nothing. And let me just finish with this. Mario, China realized they need to seize Taiwan quickly because they cannot allow the U.S. to respond. Because right now they understand in a toe-to-toe fight with the U.S., they're at a severe disadvantage, especially. Con- and if you add even just Japan, then it's a huge problem that they have because the, all the U.S. has to do is disrupt the Taiwan Straits, prevent China from maintaining logistical lines and their sea lines of communications there, and they are in deep, deep, deep trouble. What happens is if you we saw it again. I mean, this is the the lessons we learned. A speedy invasion is a recipe for disaster, right? So I think the buildup that China would have to do to initiate an invasion against Taiwan, it would not be hidden. We would know it about it like Russia and Ukraine. It would allow the U.S. to respond. I think, and then we see the capabilities, and this is, I'll keep this from your, to your next base. Again, if you war game, please let me know. But, 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 but again, but this yeah. is, we're talking, war game. we're talking about two proxy wars with the two biggest um, oh, they, you know, no, a Russia, the biggest military a superpowers in the world. No, a China invasion of Taiwan is not a proxy war, it's a direct war. I, I'm the firm believer. I mean, Biden has basically said yeah, China goes after Taiwan, that, we're going in. Yeah, that's it's true. a war. It's a war. Sorry, I can hear. Also. And this is, but again, yeah, like this is just for anyone in the audience. Like, 
we have a level-headed panel here and not warmongers and and you know I've had a lot of the panelists here on spaces in the past very objective and and yeah like this is I didn't expect you to say this all source you've been you you and Piotr have been level-headed Patrick as well you know Patrick when you came in the first time when we had the missile land in Poland um uh, you know you were very calm about the response and the repercussions of what that could mean so for you guys to be talking about a direct war between China and the US is a great way to completely screw up my sleeping pattern, Piotr. No, there's two main okay, so three main points. One, um, there's not many global conflicts that I'm genuinely concerned about. Um, the South China Sea is one. Taiwan being the catalyst for a broader engagement with the whole of the South China Sea with all the countries that have claims to the nine-dash line that we've mentioned. This is a genuine concern. The other is Pakistan and India over Kashmir because they're both nuclear power states, but that's a separate conversation. And then the last point I would just mention is that, um, again, for China to conduct a successful amphibious landing, and this is what I was asking the general, is you need strong air support. You need strong aerial capacity to ensure um, that the amphibious landings aren't well shot to shit by the Taiwanese defense lines, right? Um but as it stands, the, Taiwan, the, the Chinese military would only be able to transport about 30,000 troops per, and that's just troops, that's not tanks, that's not equipment, that's just troops. Um, and that's not you, what you need, because the Taiwanese have about 200,000 troops, well-trained, and they'd be fighting for their homeland. Like so, the so Ukraine. Pyotr, in so terms of the nuclear weapons, so just back to, the, to, to potentially using nuclear weapons, we've discussed it at length, and I can't believe the discussion went down that path. I didn't even know that was a something even worth discussing, but obviously General's comments kind of changed that and, and Patrick's, the sources that Patrick sent. Um, and all sources will be great for this. I'll see if I can ping him to come back just to comment on this one. Um, but we know that Russia, there is a certain process, you know, Putin can't just press a button for nuclear warheads to be used and there's and generals could push back, etc. Um, do you have any ideas, any clarity or any information on the process for China and Xi Jinping using yeah. nuclear warheads? And how many levels is there before that, that you know, such action could be taken? Well, my concern about the Chinese is because, um, well, the Cold War was between the Soviets and the Americans, right? So both had the red telephone. They both had direct lines of communication of all levels, be it general, president or, or whatever. Um, and so you had a very clear understanding of the protocols with these massive stockpiles of nuclear world warfare. China, because they've only ever had this minimum deterrence policy of about 250 warheads, and generally because they're very cagey when it comes to this sort of very secretive uh, intelligence information, we don't know. I mean, maybe Patrick has more information or something, but I, 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 I know very little relative to the process of Russia. And when I say I know more, I mean, it, I just, you know, I've studied it. It's easier to have. Historically speaking, we've got more information about the Russians than we do the Chinese. So um, I'm concerned by the capacity for the Chinese to pursue proliferation of nuclear warheads to increase their, 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 their stockpile for various reasons. Um, but second, also what the process is. It wouldn't just be a case of press red button and off we go, but it would certainly potentially be, you know, different to the US or Russia's. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we would likely see nuclear warheads used in Taiwan because the day China wants not to nuke the island, they want to occupy the island for access to the to the semiconductors. It's it's been called the unsinkable aircraft carrier by the US in the past. Nuking Taiwan will kind of defeat the object of invading in the first place. You might as well just not bother and nuke it from afar, not not waste your energy on the uh, on the uh, navy. Um, uh, so. I, I, and 
I'm trying, Piotr, this is me keeping the space pragmatic. Like, do you agree that this is a pragmatic discussion to have? Obviously, it is. You had it in your podcast, and, and uh, Patrick sent a few sources, and we just had General Spaulding, um, you know, make that warning as a closing statement. Um, I, I want to get uh, uh, Austin's thoughts on this, and I'll go Aaron for some closing thoughts. Austin, anything to add to the discussion? Where do you stand on this? Oh, I don't think he's on this phone. Aaron? So, <laughs> I think we we answered my question about China's territorial ambitions. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take for this to play out. And I think it's hard for a lot of Americans to wrap their heads around this possibility, uh, in part because we have such strong economic interests in China. I mean, you saw when, I think it was a general manager of the NBA stepped out and criticized China's human rights violations. And the league immediately circled the wagons and, you know, made him shut up, more or less. Um, that's because it's a huge market for professional basketball there. And the same thing could be said of Hollywood. There's so much of the financing for major Hollywood films now comes from China. So you have all these industries in the U.S. that are deeply tied in with China and happy to continue doing business there. Um, and China's happy to continue doing business with us as long as it's on their terms. But setting aside those entangled economic interests, I don't see how, and I, I pray every day that I'm wrong because I'm not a war hawk. I, I do not want this outcome. I hope we can look back and this space is recorded and you all can laugh at me for my wrongheaded prediction. I'll be very grateful, but I don't see how we avoid a hot war with China, given the t trajectory that the Chinese Communist Party has been moving and, and the pieces they've been moving around the chess, chessboard. The U.S. Before, U.S. During... finding the U.S. finding a way to strategically yield without embarrassing itself, finding some sort of middle ground, coming up with a plan, a long-term plan, either to integrate Taiwan or not integrate Taiwan or meet halfway somewhere. Like I'm sure there's, you know, I just if, find it so. Mario, then again, I'm I, I, I'm I'm naive because I never thought but, ever I, Russia would invade Ukraine. I, I, I hope – look, I hope you're right about that. I, I don't think that's how the Chinese are thinking at all um, uh, in terms of but strategy. You but they, that would jeopardize – that would jeopardize their, their grasp on uh, – sorry to interrupt you, Aaron, but that would jeopardize their grasp on power, uh, you know, especially them with dealing with zero – Not if we're ne entering a new multipolar world order, right? People it's too early to say that. Probably gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll let Aaron. Probably yeah. I'm just going to let Aaron finish. Yeah, yeah, I know because I know I know you're going around. Sorry, because I interrupted <laughs> right, Aaron. Right. That's all, Prodigal. And I'll give you the mic. Go ahead, no, Aaron. All right. I'm, I'm actually going to. I'm actually going to venture another very, very dicey prediction that I hope is uh, proved wrong along with the first. And this one might really tie your brain in knots, Mario. I think, uh, God forbid, if there is a hot war with China. Um, we will very, very reluctantly, uh, kind of kicking and screaming, uh, eventually enter into an alliance with Russia against the Chinese. Um, that's, think, not, that's not far-fetched. That's not far-fetched at all. Yeah, I think that's, that's going to be how things actually shake out and how the lines end up being drawn. If, uh, I think if developments can continue as they are both economically in the realm of uh, in the realm of particularly of a big tech and in the realm of sort of the biosecurity model of governance uh, and that that is going to obviously result in major shifts in terms of 
balance of power, if you want to, if you want to call it and that. The Ukraine, you know, so the US, alliances. the US yields, the US yields in Ukraine yeah. for Russia to become friendlier with the US. Like, it's crazy. I just thought globalization and, and nuclear deterrence, the, the, the self-destruction or mutual destruction are enough reasons for us not to even have this discussion. But then again, I thought it was enough reasons for the US not to invade uh, Russia. Uh, I'll, I'll give you yeah, the, the, the word before Piotr wraps it up. For a late dinner, but I disagree. I, I think that was a chance before. A lot of us believed we could have done a new detente with Russia against China. Uh, our administration chose, chose a different path, which led to escalation of tensions in Ukraine. Listen, moves we make on their end may speed up China's timeline. We're starting to send them more advanced packages. You have the uh, Chinese, not the, the Taiwanese tech billionaire, I believe it's pronounced Robert Sao. He's funding a three million strong uh, civilian, basically militia force in preparation for an invasion. So... I agree in regards to China being strategic, but, you know, if we don't play this right, the timeline might be sped up because China does know that we don't have the production capabilities right now to support Ukraine alone, right? There's only five prime contractors to the Defense Department, just like we've seen consolidation in other industries. You know, they took a model just in time, just enough. And this new modern warfare we're seeing in you know, Armenia and Azerbaijan and now in Ukraine is showing the past models are not going to work. And I don't see, you know, we'll see what our defense industry does. I'll end on this. It didn't make the news, but the last uh, uh, budget that passed, we gave wartime purchasing authority to the Pentagon. They are buying and going to be buying up as if we are in war, which technically I would argue we are. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. I'll go, I'll go I think Piotr. Piotr, thanks for a go. Uh, final thoughts. I know we are wrapping up. Just for the audience, first, um, and before, uh, Piotr will give the final words before Jim and Nick wrap it up. But first, I just pinned above again. I'll retweet it on my profile so you can see it. The newsletter. So it was an incredible space. I didn't expect it to, to go on for that long. wanted to wrap it up hours ago. Um, but we just had so many great guests. It was an incredible discussion. One of my favorite spaces in a while. Really enjoyed this one. Um, and we were, you know, we were contemplating whether to do a space on the whole balloon uh, discussion for hours, for days, since yesterday. Um, and we're like, yeah, we'll just do it as part of the debate that we've been preparing for a while between the, the tensions between um, China and the US. I didn't expect it. I mean, first, I didn't expect the guests that we had to come in last minute. And we decided to do this space an hour before we actually did it. So well done for the team. But also didn't expect general's comments and then the feedback afterwards by the panel regarding the risks of a US-China war. Otherwise, um, I've pinned the, the newsletter above, so make sure you register there, subscribe um, to get the latest updates, to get recaps of the space, and also go to the comments, bottom right corner, and give me your thoughts. Uh, what would you like covered in our China-US um, debate? I'm just going to call it that, keep it general. Um, and whether that concerns you, potential war between a direct war, as All Source himself mentioned, the conservative All Source, conservative as in you know relatively pragmatic, that it, he if, if China invades Taiwan, he expects a, a direct conflict between both superpowers. So would love to see whether that would love to know whether that's a concern well, Japan of yours. Well, Japan already If that happens, right? Japan said has basically said that, and now Japan is is remilitarizing. They're going to actually going to start purchasing offensive weapons, which I agree with. I think I want Japan in the fight. So I'll give, I'll give the... Uh, I want Japan in the fight. Protocol, you already started the war in your head. <laughs> I want Japan in the fight. Um, I'll, I'll give the mic to, to Piotr. Piotr, uh, you helped a lot uh, with the moderators to organize the panel and invite a few of the guests. So really appreciate it and can't wait to, to work with you on the next uh, space on the US-China relations. Um, but would love your final closing thoughts, mainly focused on 
the tensions between both countries and whether we should be worried because you, you are relatively pragmatic. Um, the final thoughts, and then we'll go to Jim and Nick to wrap up the space. Yes, yeah, so thanks a lot for the space. Um, I'm happy to provide more guests from you know various people I, I know. Uh, just let me know what you want and when. Uh, if anyone in the audience wants anything, message Mario, and I'll see if I can facilitate something. Um, but yeah, to the topic at hand, I mean, look, we are in a very difficult situation. Um, I want to make two main points, which is one, we must be careful in directly comparing Ukraine with any scenario in Taiwan. Taiwan is an island. It's in a very busy shipping area. It's in a very wavy sea bit. The entire bit would either be done, as General Spaulding calls, from paratroopers and with support from the mainland through missile battery or, or like, you know, coming down, raining from the skies, right? Or it would be done via some amphibious, you know, multifaceted landing. Ukraine is a terrestrial um, uh, invasion utilizing tanks. Uh, the terrain is very flat. It's very open. Um, you, Taiwan is heavily populated with trees, rocks. The beaches aren't even that well uh, great for amphibious vehicles. So it's very different. So we need to keep those in mind. Equally, Russia is reckless. It's a smaller power uh, run by someone who wants to rekindle Russia's, uh, you know, glory days. It feels it's an inferiority complex. Whilst China is very much on par with the U.S., it's a much more, well, it's 10 times, 20 times the economy of Russia. Um, and, and, and so the scenarios are very different. The other thing I just want to emphasize is about tensions right now. Yeah, we're in a we're in a difficult moment. Um, you know, the, 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 the balloon, we can argue, is, is, is a distraction. It's a test. It's a it's a fuck up, whatever, excuse me, it, you know, it, whatever you want to call it. It, it, it. It's reflective of the very tense period that we're in. I'm not a scaremongering person. If you ever attend my rooms, you'll realize that I push back heavily against scaremongering or sensationalism. But the South China Sea theater is one that I am concerned about as to whether or not we see this in the next couple of years remains to be seen, if not at all. And I'll land with this point, which is that sometimes in history, um, countries deliberately use um, you know, objects or other things as a way to, to fan nationalism. And there are some people who don't believe that China ever intends to invade Ukraine, at least directly, because they need it to sustain support for the CCP. I'm not saying whether or not that's the case. I'm just simply sharing this perspective that some theorists have suggested. I see Sebastian's back, so he may well want to get on to that. Point. But, well, Sebastian, uh, we just spoke. We, we were looking at wrapping up the space. So this is your final words. So, Sebastian, we, I don't know if you heard the discussion. We had General Spaulding earlier. Good. You did hear that because you messaged me during it. He, he had a comment at the end that we were just discussing. He said he would not be surprised or he expects – I can't remember whether he said he wouldn't be surprised or he expects uh, China to invade Taiwan or to try to invade Taiwan before the next U.S. election, so in the next 16 months. Uh, and then I was surprised. I thought he was a, a you know, that was an anomaly. Uh, not many had that theory. And then Patrick sent me articles that others, um, other generals and other respected people within the military uh, voiced similar concerns. Is that is that a concern in your opinion? Could uh, China invade Taiwan in the near future? So I, I'm not a Sinologist, but I, I greatly respect General Spaulding and he's been a a guest on my show frequently, and he was the former defense attache in Beijing for for the for the United States. So um, I I've only heard that from him, from Gordon Chang, and and from David uh, Goldman. Those are the three guys I respect the most. Um, if you look at the uh, four star three star general who released the letter Friday before last. He's in charge of an element of the Air Force that controls 110,000 of our 
our troops, and he said that he expects China to uh, take Taiwan before the 2020, before 2025. So that's somebody who's actually in uniform now within 48 hours. Who said that? Sorry, sorry Sebastian, who said that? It was, uh, you have to look it up. It was General Miniford, I think, or M- Miniford, I think it is name. It, it caused a lot of, it was not yesterday. It was the Friday before that. Uh, it was released. It was the, uh, an official letter to his troops that was dated february the first it was leaked before february the first and he said in this letter on his command letterhead uh general miniford somebody can look it up right now i'm actually driving i just dropped my kids off um that he expects china to to to, uh to take taiwan by before 2025 so yeah i mean look if if you get general spaulding if you get uh Gordon Chang, um, and if you get David Goldman on the next space, bring them up with somebody who doesn't share that analysis, and let's have a debate because the, these these guys are the best of the best. They he's fought, he's flown in combat. You know, Rob was a B one, a stealth bomber pilot. He served in Beijing. So yeah, look, they they've made it very clear that they don't recognize the independence of Taiwan. We never gave them the uh, mini subs that uh, W. Bush um, promised to them. So it's it's a gaping wound in the quote unquote sovereignty of the communist state of China. So I, I would defer to their judgment. If Rob says that, um, Rob knows what he's talking about. Um, Jim, Nick. Yeah, do Nick first. Um, yeah, I've got uh, about 1% battery here, so I'm going to try to wrap this very quickly. Uh, just want to say great job to the team. Really, it's awesome. Created a diverse group of panel uh, experts with a, a wide range of expertise. Practically no notice at all. Um, clearly, there's a lot more to discuss. By the way, sorry, Nick, I know you have low battery, but just very quickly, anyone that knows the, the Sebastian, because Sebastian is driving, anyone knows what Sebastian is referring to, if you can send me through the general's name and, and the article, that would be great, because I, I just want to look into this further before we do the next page. Just, sorry, uh, Nick, I know you have... Oh, thanks, Mario, thanks, man. I, thanks, I, posted, man. I posted a link to that on top, if you scroll through the... Uh, oh, perfect, we'll go. Thank uh, you so much. Yes, yeah, Mike Minahan, Mike Minahan. Fortune is it Mike like uh, Sebastian? It's Mike Minahan. Is that who you're referring to? Because I heard you say Miniford. Yes, it's Minihan, General Minihan. Oh, okay, okay, correct. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right, cool. Go ahead, Nick. Sorry, Nick. Okay, so I'm just gonna say real quick. Uh, clearly, there's a lot more to discuss about the whole U.S.-China situation, uh, Trump's China policies versus Biden's. Uh, what the ultimate goal of China is to relate to replace the U.S. as you know the world's predominant uh, superpower. And are they actually a threat or not? So we're going to end up doing a space on this very soon. Uh, I think we're going to really start putting a lot of effort into planning this over the next few days. And maybe we'll have something next week or the week after. But uh, I'm excited for that. And uh, we'll have some really hard-hitting panelists for it. Thanks, man. Uh, Jim, final closing statements for the audience. Yeah, hey, uh, when it is uh, shocking, obviously, when General Spaulding says what he says, uh, the potential for a hot war. And and, and I, I, I think I tend to agree with him. I, I'm, I'm not very fond of war, but I, I have to tend to agree that if something happens in Taiwan, then it will be a hot war 
unless we just sit on our hands and do nothing. And I would be, it would be absurd for us to do that. And war with listen to this, uh, Jim. War with China over Taiwan is likely in 2025. Warns U.S. General Mike Minahan. I ho- quote: "I hope I am wrong." Yeah, I hope he's wrong too. I'm. I I don't subscribe to that. I, I think I'm with Piot on that, but uh, but I but it is it is possible. I mean, it's, it certainly is possible. But so what it will do is change the face. And and I say this from discussions I have with people in Asia, people in Taipei and the government that I know. Um, and just my experiences around that, and I'm not an expert, but just my experiences just on, on the edges of legislative activity and other activities. And I'm just saying that, you know, then it's going to change the dynamic of how we think about uh, the Asian theater, because it will bring Japan in. Japan will come in strong if anything like this happens. That's going to be the first major engagements that they would have ever been in since World War II. Um, and that changes the whole, the fundamental nature of how we look at that. I, I'm with Piotr. I think that the uh, South China Sea is the most, maybe the most critical area uh, militarily and otherwise in the world right now. It is the, the greatest potential for problems beyond even what's happening with Ukraine and the potential uh, fallout with NATO that something like that could could happen. I, I don't see that nearly as a threat as just what's lingering in the South China Sea, just waiting to happen if something goes wrong. China's intent upon asserting itself, that's why they're building islands there, that's why they're making you know the, the deal with the Solomon Islands and other things. Th- this is a very serious threat and a very grave concern. Um, I do want to emphasize what I brought up, and I was glad that General Spaulding uh, added to this with an agreement. I believe and have for some time having done business in India, I believe we need to move in a strong direction. It's a long-term plan, but a strong direction of really forming those ties with India because they are the one counter. They've been a a nation that has uh, had a policy of uh, non-aggression and not utilizing their military that has suddenly shifted its way of thinking about how it does the military and gotten into a buildup itself. This is a key partner for us potentially because they also love Americans. It's actually the largest English-speaking country in the world. A lot of people do not know that. And and so there are a lot of reasons to, to draw closer to India too as we consider this theater. So this is a hot yeah. spot. It's going it's to be also a great a country topic of, of discussion. A billion people, right, Jeff? What? I mean, it's also it's also the only other country that has a billion. Well, people, it's right? just about to surpass China in in population if it hasn't already. It's getting very close. So yes, it's a key factor to what we're doing. And again, more 450 million English speakers in India. It is absolutely. Uh, a Hold on, Jim, Jim, yeah. Jim. I, I can't believe what you just said, and it's true. Yeah. India is about to surpass. Uh, I think it already did, possibly yeah. already did. Hold on, I think it just did uh, last two years. Two years ago, one. No, no, hold on. Two years ago, India was at one point four zero eight billion, and and China was at one point four one two billion. So you're looking just a a few tens of millions difference, and that that gap could be closed, especially with the recent articles we're seeing. So it could be the most the most populated country in the world. And in fact, their demographics are much better than China's because uh, of China's one-child policy. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very bullish. I'm very financially, economically, I'm very bullish on India. You know, we're expanding our business. I have to tell you, India is also the wealthiest. uh... Sorry, go ahead, Aaron. 
Oh, yeah, I was just going to just quick comment. India uh, is also the uh, in terms of ethnic groups in the United States, the ethnic group uh, with uh, the most wealth. Yeah. And so and, and on I January and the, the article, it just the most Jim, also just back to, to your point about population. A month ago, this baby could push India's pa- India past China to become the world's most – any day now, the UN yeah. will declare India as the most populous country in the world. And that probably would have happened already. That's insane. I had no idea. Yeah, and, 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 and their, their, their technical capabilities and skills, I mean their, their, their uh, STEM capabilities are quite similar to China's. There are some differences in approaches and stuff like that in development, but nonetheless – so and, 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 and this is something we'll pick up in this space coming up because I didn't want to belabor it too far. But but it, but it's an, a key point. India is a key factor in what happens. They are a counter to China militarily in the region and and they, their military can could potentially get to a place to, to be a counter. But not beyond the military factors, the economic factors really draw people. And, and Pilch talked about the, the pull and push stuff. That that we need to change that dynamic with India very quickly, and and I think we could if we were determined to do so. I did appreciate uh, Donald Trump making a, a strong effort to reach out to Modi and to build that relationship up to go to the country himself. I I have for years been because of my experiences there been talking about how we need to take a look at that. It's a really potentially positive factor. They believe in peace. They're not out for war. But they are also willing to fight, and they have fought with China. So to sum this up. And it's official. And Jim, yeah. it's official, by the way. Yeah. Just got a confirmation from someone from the audience. Bloomberg uh, article, India's population has already overtaken. That was two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Already, so uh, India is officially the most populous country in the world. Right. And, Insane. And, and that gets fungible as, as this is starting to change. But, yes, that's going to happen. Their demographics are better. They do have larger families there. I know. I, I hang out with those families in Delhi for many, many years. So, so uh, anyway – that that's a positive factor here, but the South China Sea, uh, the 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 balance of power in Asia, is is really a key factor for what happens in the future, and that's why things have to be so good here in the United States because we are ultimately the beacon of freedom if we can sustain it, if we can regain it, and so uh, the 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 implications are tremendous. But anyway, the, the, I think this has been a fantastic discussion. In a very useful space for us. Oh, it's to, uh, an incredible and, space and for such. We only, yeah. we only prepared it. Oh, yeah. when we we prepared it in an hour, and the guest that we yeah. had is going to be epic. Yeah. yeah. Epic. Uh, Piotr, Piotr, go ahead. Final thoughts. I'm not sure if Patrick wants to add anything before I close the space. Go ahead, Piotr. No, it was just, um, yeah, India overtook China earlier in this year, um, about a week, 10 days into the year, they, they officially overtook them. That was according to UN data. I mean, again, it's, it, take, it takes, fun fact for everyone, uh, 800 or so million people are eligible to vote in India. It takes them over a month to count all the votes and do the entire uh, dem- democratic process. So it, it's crazy. And how's the, how's the, how's the, how's the, rela- I haven't looked into the relationship between India and China recently. Uh, oh, it's terrible. It, 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 yeah, it's terrible. They 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 they, they had a skirmish in 2020. Two Indian soldiers uh, died. They have a disputed territory. Yeah, yeah. I remember. And, yeah, and U.S. has been warming up, and China's pretty pissed off because U.S. has been warming up more and more to India in the last. In, few in months. fact, for both of them, their only military was, engagements, was, the only military engagements that each of those countries have had primarily have been with each other and not anywhere else. It's a very interesting dynamic. But India, India's had military engagement with. Um, 
Pakistan. Pakistan, and, yeah. Uh, that's the biggest. Yeah, that's probably their biggest, biggest, biggest potential enemy is Pakistan, followed by well, India. Blame, correct, Piotr? Well, blame the blame the British for that. Yeah. Uh, and the way that they arbitrarily cut up the um, the uh, the country. Jammu Kashmir. In, uh, but Piotr, in, but in, how? But Piotr, but again, the Jammu probably the, the Piotr. Uh, yeah, so just back to the yeah. to kind of wrap it up with the following question, Piotr, because I do want to close the space. But last question, just for the audience, um, as the person that's probably the the, the most anti warmongering person I've had on stage, um, how concerned should people be? And, and I wanted to come out from you as the the you know the main the main person to push back against anyone that's that's talking about potential wars. What in between China and America over Taiwan or, or India? Yes, it? yes, man. Yeah, that's no. Forget India for now. Okay, well, uh, it, dude, I mean, I'm putting my entire political career on the path. Um, I would say um, the likelihood of Taiwan versus America directly... In the next, let's say in the next five years, or let's say, actually, let's do more extreme, in the next two to three years. Two to three years, uh, less than 50%. Uh, in the next five years, above 50%. Um, or around 50%. Um, I just, I really. You're talking, hold on, Piotr, you're talking about direct confrontation between US and China. Direct confrontation? Or just. Possibly. 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 Less than 50. I thought you'd be saying like 10%, that's concern, 10, 20% is concerning enough for me in the next two, three years. Right. This Wait, space is really not. This is, this is the last thing I wanted to end the space with that note. The probability is quite high, Mario. The probability is, well, again, in, in war gaming scenarios, Anything under 50% is, 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 you know, you don't put anything above 60% because it, it's just pointless. Anything above that, you might as well just engage nuclear warfare. I mean, Patrick's a military guy, probably more knowledgeable on this than I am. But I would say, you know, possibility in the next five years, 40, 50% under that. Okay, yeah. maybe. But I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, right, man. And I'm, I'm canceling. I was about like literally, I was days away from coming, to, moving to Miami again for a while. And I'm just let me cancel those plans after the space. <laughs> How do you think I feel? <laughs> yeah, right, man. I'll, I'll, uh... <laughs> all right, man. I'm gonna. So we're gonna wrap up the space. Anything to add, Patrick? Before I close it down, we went way over time. No, Mario. I think we pretty much said it all. Thanks, man. Thanks for ruining my night. Appreciate you all, audience. I hope you enjoyed the the discussion, the panel. Um, it was a great, great space um, and unexpected guests. Uh, if anything develops with the balloon, and you know, I've got a pinned thread on my space, and I'm sure other panelists are tweeting about it as well. Uh, Rose Alerts are is sending regular updates uh, on the matter, so definitely check out his account. He's the source that we've been, a lot of us have been using. So massive shout out to Rose Alerts and all the panelists that we've had. Sebastian, I see you in the audience. Thanks for giving us your time. And um, and uh, General Spaulding as well was great to have among all other panelists. But uh, yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you.